So, Harley, every week we meet to pitch our evil ideas. This is where we get approval for the use of Legion resources like goons and getaway cars. And explosions! I have no idea what the fuck explosions are, Bane. But we do have explosives. So this is a place to get creative feedback on ideas. Exactly. We modeled it after the way they do things at Pixar. I wish they would make another Up movie. They can't. The story was over at the end of the first. Unless the kid is the old man in the sequel. Well, that's fun. That's a good one. Can we stop with the nonsense, please? What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Bebe, sponsored by Detnarat. Remember, you can't spell talented without Detnarat, because it's meant to be talented spelled backwards. Still doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Not really. <laughs> yeah, Should have workshopped that one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is your host, fanning the flames of Metal Liberation, Mikey. And with me, as always, is... Bringing unto all our listeners, Paranormal Liberation, your co-host, Ryan. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everyone. Out by Christmas, so hopefully this is relevant. To be fair, we were hoping to be taking a break around this time. Yeah. <laughs> schedules permitting, like, we kind of had to record this out a bit more. Yeah, like, I guess we just took our break early in November. Uh, yeah, no, let's be honest, no Christmas break for us this year. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> because since I'm hoping to get this out by Christmas Day, that also means that our uh, anime Secret Santa should have uh, come out the day before this episode came out. I was looking to dedicate this whole month to that anime Secret Santa. <laughs> well, what can you do? Oh, well. But yes, holly jolly holidays to all of you. Just like that, we've reached the very end of 2022. I gotta ask this, would you call this the end of another anime baby season or should our season start with like each new anniversary episode mm, that's a good question i don't know i think it could go either way yeah like uh you folks at home maybe help us out a little bit there so the year-end finale or season finale of anime baby this episode is <laughs> either way seasons are coming to an end yeah another full year is uh in the books and uh, it's been quite the year for us and we appreciate you all sticking with with us through all the highs like say our Tiger and Bunny episode, which at this point is officially our most listened to episode. Oh, good. I'm happy for that. And also, uh, sticking through with us through some of the lows, such as me drunkenly ranting about Blade Runner Black Lotus, or all of the uh, delays in the back half of the year. <laughs> so, uh, we appreciate you all for sticking with us through all, all of that. Yes, thank you, to, thank you to all of our listeners out there for sticking with us for uh, a very eventful year. And let's close out 2022 the same way we started it, by 
going beyond plus ultra style. <laughs> as we return to our favorite hero society and reunite with Deku and the gang as we're talking all about My Hero Academia Season 5. And for me, quite possibly, the first divisive season of My Hero Academia? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, let's let's endear our listeners with that angle. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was not a regular season for us. This was, full disclosure... I was hyped for this anime season coming out because this adapt because it was going to eventually adapt one of my favorite arcs in the entire series. Yes, because like uh, when looking at the anime and looking how they handle their adaptation, where it's like an arc for each half of the season, and uh, before the season came out and like looking where season four ended, everyone's kind of doing the math a little bit, going on like, okay, so if this stuff is going to be in the first half of the season, then maybe oh that means we're going to get that arc next mm. and everything goes well right <laughs> <laughs> and it came and it came out approximately to uh what, what was the amount again 24 26 25 episodes 25 episodes that's what it kind of came out to and uh we really thought that uh you know given that uh, it adapts uh how many arcs this is, is this again this season three arcs three arcs now you might think it's as simple as that you know hey roughly 24 episodes you know 24 divided by 3, 8. 8 episodes each, maybe. Yeah. Maybe do something like that. Or maybe um, for, like, the, the big arc later on, you can maybe get it to 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does each arc of this season come to? I believe the first arc is entirely the first half of the season. Oh. And uh, the big arc that we wanted to get to is only 5-ish episodes. Five-ish? Yeah, five-ish with a little epilogue at the end. And then do the math, the rest of it, for that third arc. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big arc to adapt. (laughs) Into five and a half episodes. Yeah. Twelve of those for an arc that maybe could have been shortened. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And an arc that I feel kind of took a lot of the flair that should have gone to the big arc. Woo, Yeah. So, going into this, uh, this was this is a very divisive season for My Hero for us. Yeah, because, like, you know, we've talked about My Hero before many times. It's, like, one of the first big series that we dipped our toe into when we first started the podcast. And it's always fun to talk about My Hero. Like, I love the series a lot, but, yeah, coming out of the gate here, and I gotta say, season five is a bit of a mixed bag. Yes, for the first time, for the, for the first time in the My Hero Academia anime, I faltered. But... I think we will get to that when we get, when we cross that bridge. Yeah, and I will say that uh, a lot of the mixed baggedness isn't for the story content. The overall story content is still very good and very solid. It's more so the adaptation and how they handled it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's not Horikoshi's fault. It's more or less Bones' fault. So this might end up being a uh, meaty back half to this episode. And also I want to bring up how, like, uh, you know, last season with season four, there were some... Small hiccups here and there with the animation, but overall it was pretty forgivable. But uh, here, especially in that back half of the season, it's very glaring and like there's a lot of questionable decisions that went into like a lot of the stuff. Yes, for the first time I've begun to notice the uh, weaknesses of the production in My Hero Academia. And yet they are not readily apparent as, as, as they will be when we start off with the season. Mm-hmm. And also I want to stress that uh, you at home shouldn't misconstrue our comments here as my hero is now bad it's not far from it do not think that do not believe for one second that you should give up on it because we didn't really say any 
good things about the back half of the season. Like, it's still a fantastic series, but this season, season five, didn't reach its full potential. This is just our personal opinion, folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it was hype for you, good for you. Yeah. But for for us, uh, we had we had different feelings. Mm -hmm. It's okay to like an anime season, and it's okay to keep going if you feel like we're being negative. Yes. It's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Now, with all that out of the way, yeah, we should get into we should get into the stuff here. Let's so. really dig into the meat of My Hero Academia season five. So we're talking all about season five of My Hero, and without further ado, let's go beyond plus ultra. Let's liberate ourselves. <laughs> things first the opening and the ending for the first half the opening is number one by dish and the ending is footprints by the peggies oh yeah uh, what do you think of these songs here <laughs> <laughs> nice oh yeah there. yeah i mean you see peggy and you gotta you gotta pay respect to peggy hill i i respect that <laughs> uh I, I i think the i think the first opening for the season is just very kind of normal just gives you it just tells you exactly what's going to be happening happening for the next 12 episodes. Yeah, pretty pretty standard my hero opening. It is very straightforward. Uh not much else to say about it. Also, I thought I thought in the grand scheme of openings of my hero it was uh uh kind of bland. Yeah. Also uh I hope I'm not going crazy here. Like is it just me or does this OP sound like it starts very abruptly? Mm, a little. It's, it feels like there's a weird edit at the beginning of the song where it feels like they cut out the lead-in. Because it always kind of, like, the opening kind of almost, like, startles me every time it plays. Because it just goes, it just goes, bam, into the song. Eh, you might have a point. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, this, this, this opening does not really stick in my craw too much. It doesn't really stick anywhere in my head. No. We're kind of, at this point, far from, like, you know, the highest of highs with openings with, like, you know... Season threes make my story. We are five seasons into a shonen, people. They can't all be bangers. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they. Sometimes when you get this far into a shonen, you just end up with really normal openings. Yep. And it'll probably. <laughs> and it just. And it will happen to your anime. <laughs> no way, man. We're gonna keep rocking forever, 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 forever. 
And that's what Urusei Yatsura will feel like in three, in, with, after three years of airing. Uh, I'll enjoy these openings while they last before they become <laughs> mid. <laughs> yeah, but uh, how about the ending? Uh, the ending, I also think it's just very normal. Like, whatever. It's just, like, quaint little um, uh, scenes of domestic life with all of the uh, main cast members. The uh, members of Class 1A. I think it's alright. Yeah, it's very nice. Very cutesy. Though, uh, the Peggy's did do the first ending to Bort, so uh, they're cool in my book. Hey, that's pretty sweet. All right, so kicking off here, uh, we pretty much get the classic, you know, standard My Hero Academia opening episode where it's just basically recap everyone's quirks, kind of like get yourself into the story. So we're not going to dwell on it too much. You, you kind of know what to expect. Fuck no, we are not doing that. If anything, this is the point in like My Hero where I'm going to say, stop it. <laughs> you don't need to do these episodes anymore. You really think some someone out there is going to like think to themselves, oh, wow, I want to start up My Hero Academia. Let's start in season five. <laughs> yeah, like if you're five seasons, five seasons deep into a shonen, you probably know everything by this point. You think you need to make dedicate one single episode out of your already very compacted season <laughs> <laughs> to introducing new people? I don't care how endearing the big three of UA were in the previous season. You don't need to do this. Yeah. Like, last season was a good enough showcase for them. We, we already know them. Don't. Stop it. Stop it. Thankfully, uh, skipping ahead to season six, they do stop it. Like, season six starts with, like, the next big arc. Like, no fucking about. Well, yeah, because they had no choice. Yeah, they had no choice. The story was ramping up. You What, you're going to start off with a happy-go-lucky story of training for all the heroes? You know well, actually, you know what's fucked up? There's a four-month time skipper on that point in the story. So they, so you, they actually absolutely could have. Yeah. Oh, wow, they actually had some fucking foresight there. Yeah, a little, <laughs> holding themselves back there. <laughs> the one point in the story where I would have actually been fine with them introducing any setup for, like, what came next. Yeah. <laughs> with four months to kill. Yeah. Uh, but they just, but no, they decided, yeah, we're just gonna not do any setup. We're just gonna go right into what comes next. Yeah, like, you, we all know what you're here for. Let's just get into it. Yeah. Uh, same with this podcast right here. As, uh, picking up from where we last left off, uh, we get the aftermath to Endeavor and Hawks' fight against the high-powered Nomu, along with, uh, their little confrontation here with Dobby. Just Dobby taunting Endeavor, you know, the new number one, and saying, all like, oh, I'll come back to you later. Arguably, this could have probably been done last season, though. It, this could have been like the cliffhanger for last season. This feels, yeah, this feels like this feels like wrap up. Like you couldn't have just gotten this out of the way and just gone into what what came after. Yeah, I guess they wanted to end on the heroic pose of like Endeavor standing victorious. But like, there's so little cleanup though after this. Yeah, there really <laughs> is. It's like you see Endeavor in the hospital, well, and that's yeah, it. that that pose still would have stuck in your mind anyway. Who cares? Who cares just, if, like, the, ne- the very next shot is just him in, like, a full body cast in the hospital? Yeah, who cares? Like, you, you could have at least gotten this Dobby stuff out of the way. Whatever, Dobby comes in. He picks up the high-end Nubu. He taunts uh, Endeavor and is like, we will meet again one day. And, like, Endeavor and, like, the viewer are thinking, like, what the fuck did he mean by that? <laughs> Why did he single me out? Yeah. Uh, but also we do get a moment where the downed heroes are protected by everyone's favorite bunny girl hero, Mirko. Everyone's favorite girl now. Everyone's favorite. You know, all the simps in the world rejoiced seeing her right here. <laughs> yeah, I want. Yeah, I wonder why. Like the, I wonder why the watermelon thick thighed like <laughs> rabbit, like dark skinned rabbit girl, like uh, attracted all the simps. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like you know, since uh, Hawks is in the same scene here, I'm pretty sure his VA Zena Robinson 
especially love this because if you follow him on Twitter, holy shit, he is unapologetically thirsty for Mirko. I mean, everyone is thirsty for Mirko. How can you not be? I mean, I respect it, you know, it's just but it's all like, whoa, man, you're you're really going all out with your love there, there dude. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Dobby pieces out, and he does give uh, Endeavor some parting words where he says, quote, I'm sure we'll have a heart-to-heart someday. I look forward to it. And like, if you know, you know. So later on, Hawks and Dobby have like a bit of their one-on-one conversation, as uh, don't forget, Hawks is currently working as a double agent. And, you know, out of all the heroes, he was uh, deemed most suitable for this role. And uh, I know a lot of people, you know, they saw this, and they thought, they were like, oh, this is a big major revelation but they're also kind of annoyed by it because afterwards we kind of moved on from this for a little while and i'm just all like come on guys just think of the bigger picture here you know just let it sit in the back of your mind that hawks is kind of working for both sides right here trying to gather intel like we'll get to it they're not gonna forget about it Yeah, there's it. a payoff to it there is a payoff to it just practice a little patience there besides you'll still have to worry about some of the uh, other stuff with hawks later on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that stuff yeah Around this time, we start to get a little bit of hints to, like, uh, what uh, Endeavor is going to be doing this season as we have a bit of an awkward family dinner with the rest of the Todoroki family. And that's just all, all going to be built up later on, you know, especially with his relationship with his uh, eldest son, uh, Natsuo. And, you know, like, Endeavor, he wants to make peace and he wants to try to do this, but uh, dude's got to fucking work for it. I mean, when karma gives you a matching scar like this, like this to match the son yep. that you abused, <laughs> then, yeah... That, it'll make a man think twice. Yeah, and like, it's not gonna be easy. Dude just can't waltz into his home dressed like The Rock in that one picture that you see online and expect everything to be all hunky-dory. I wonder, would he have, would he have looked better with an eye patch? Punished Endeavor? Oh, that would have been cool. <laughs> I can imagine him looking like a jacked-up version of, like, how uh, John Moxley looked like when he had his eye patch in AEW. <laughs> No, I get it, though. The, the scar is what works. Yeah, he's got to have the same scar it's, as Jericho. It's the, it's the thematic thing. It works better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are other characters in the series that uh, look better with an, that would look better with an eye patch. Yeah. And, uh, oh, interestingly enough, uh, Natsuo, during like his big argument at uh, Endeavor, he actually brings up a missing older brother named Toya. It's it's very quick, blinking you miss it if you're not paying attention kind of thing, but uh, it's very interesting right there. So uh, more juicy Todoroki family drama to come here. And later on, we get some major info on One for All, as we're finally picking back up on that dream Deku had to close out Season 4. And this year was foreshadowed all the way back in Season 2 during the fight against Shinzo at the sports festival, which, by the way, for us was three years ago at this point when we last did that episode. (laughs) So Deku finally meets the vestiges, the past users of One for All. But yeah, how about uh, this revelation right here? I mean, it's definitely some it's definitely some holes in the story that needed some filling, <laughs> but it's some good filling, you know. Seeing like uh, the first user of one for all, you know, all for one's brother uh, standing up to him, and we see like how all and we basically get the 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 dealio on how all for one basically controlled people back in his day. Mm-hmm. You know, he controlled who got access to like strong quirks, who got who was uh, or who even was. Um, had their uh, quirks taken off them if they were a burden, and he would basically make them all indebted to him, and that's how he kind of built up his army. He's basically just taking advantage of people, and he believes this will help bring order to this hero society, this quirk society. And he wanted his little brother to join him, but his brother was all like, no, you're going too far. And that was pretty much the start of this never-ending conflict between All for One and One for All. 
Also, both of them avid comic book readers. Yeah. <laughs> which is weird to hear. <laughs> it is. And especially in the, the the current day manga, too. Like, he's still making these comic book references. <laughs> Would it just be, like, Superman he'd be reading? Maybe, but he also mentioned something about, like, a demon lord, too, so... Well, actually, there are there there is actually a really old Japanese superhero with, like, a golden skull for a head, so... He looked kind of like a demon lord, kind of. Okay. Or a fucking devil man? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some Marvel stuff that gets a bit more fantastical. Yeah, was, a, was AFO a going a guy fan? Yeah. <laughs> Did he ma- manage to catch a devil man crybaby while he was still in Tartarus? <laughs> like, you watch him in Tartarus and he's all like, Excuse me, it's been a while since I've read Cutie Honey. Can I have access to the prison library? No. For the 50th time. Here's the, there's a remake. How about that? We'll think about it. <laughs> he, he asks for all the deets on Devil Man Crybaby. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the first things he does when he breaks out. He just catches up on like his Netflix bat- backlog. It's like uh, you bring that up and it reminds you of this one story of a Pretty Cure fan who went to jail during uh, Heart Catch Pretty Cure. And then as soon as he got out of jail, he managed to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, oh, that was very nice. That would just be all for one. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, first user, he calls out to Deku and tells him that uh, he's not alone right here. So uh, setting things up for much later. So hang on to that for a bit. And throughout this uh, upcoming arc, we do get uh, little snippets as to what's going on here. Like we get smaller conversations between Deku and All Might and uh, All Might and Gran Torino as they're just talking about this and how it relates back to... Similar uh, memories that All Might has had back in the past, and also uh, stories that his uh, master told about him. So something like this isn't uncommon for the holders of One for All. Just seeing ghosts. (laughs) Yep, just seeing ghosts and uh, maybe experience some things that come along with it. (laughs) So now, going into the first big arc of the season, it's the 1A versus 1B joint training arc. As, uh, while we got some 1B last season, this is probably like their most notable appearance since pretty much the start of season three. And yet it feels like an event that was also a long time coming. Like, like it was inevitable that this was going to happen. Yeah, like, we got a little taste of it back at the training camp, seeing, like, how both classes clash with each other. But then, like, uh, 1B kind of took a bit of a step aside for the time being. Yep, the uh, last... This is, yeah, pretty much, like, the last major training arc for the for Class 1A here. And uh, this is where, like, they and also 1B get to pretty much show what they're made of at this point. Like, take everything they've learned from the past few seasons and arcs, and then look at you and see where you are now. So, already, this this was pretty cool to see. This, this was cool to see, and I was... 1A versus 1B. Like, it was it was bound to happen at some point, and man, it was I was very happy to see it finally happening. I was really chomping at the bit to get to this, like faction warfare between these two classes right here like them having their own survivor series you know the 180 190 year both brands go at it oh but the one person who is eating this up way more than either of us is monoma oh my god (laughs) he's at his most obnoxious in this arc holy shit (laughs) we'll get to all that so uh how does this training work out as a 1a and 1b will compete in these battles will there will be five four on four matches and point this is for everyone to uh capture either the most uh of your opponents or like all of your opponents within the allotted time limit and also like uh, you brought up monoma being very obnoxious this arc uh another person that's very obnoxious is uh their teacher vlad king (laughs) as uh, he is 
so petty that he really wants to upstage 1A. So he takes over commentating for this one. And he pretty much turns into, like, the classic wrestling biased heel commentator. Just <laughs> always putting over his, his own class and burying, like, the rest of 1A. Which commentator does he invoke the most, though? I was kind of thinking a bit of uh, Bobby Heenan back in the day. You know, classic 80s, 90s, WWF, WCW announcer. The other thing that really helped us out is the fact that uh, all of 1A acted at, as, like, uh, his gorilla monsoon. Like, you know, his uh, broadcast partner were, like... Every time he makes, like, a big comment putting over 1B, everyone's all like, Will you stop? Will you be serious? Oh, please. <laughs> all I've been preaching about, and you know all about that, pal, is there's only one man that can win this this Sunday, and that's the real world's champion. Will Rick you stop? I don't know. I think those I think those wrestlers, though, uh, probably wouldn't hammer the joke in as much as uh, this arc does. Yeah. <laughs> Because, because, yeah, the, the joke throughout this arc is that Vlad King is commentating over the over the battles, and he's always favoring Class 1B, and the, the Class 1A students that are on the sidelines are decrying his biased commentary. Uh, I don't remember the joke uh, getting as stale as it does in the anime. Yeah. In the manga, this, this, this joke felt like... It felt like it happened maybe once or twice, and then, like, it comes to its natural end or something. I, I didn't really review the manga for this section, because, like, I felt overall this... This arc was pretty well rendered in the anime, but like, I don't know. I feel like uh, the, it was paced, the, the joke was paced better in the manga because in the anime it gets kind of tiresome after a while. I feel like it would work better in the manga because like the joke is like every time Vlad King makes a comment, 1A would always come up with a sign that says no more biased commentary. And like I feel it works better in the manga because it seems like the sign kind of feels more like one of those like narration text boxes that pop up. Yeah, it's just there. You glance at it. You go back to reading. Yeah. But it's like here in the anime, they got to explain the joke over <laughs> yeah. and over, and it's 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 it lo it, It's not a joke that gets funnier with time. No, <laughs> uh, it, it got tiresome. It's one of the maybe. It's maybe one of the. I would say it's maybe one of the only things I didn't like about how this arc was handled in the anime. Mm, yeah, I would, a I joke would, that a joke that goes on a little too a long. little too long. Yeah. So uh, considering the fact that this, it's been quite a while since we've had a really good look in at one B. I thought I would just take a quick moment to just refresh everyone on who's who. So yes, let's please get this out of the way yeah, because so, it's too much. So yeah, class one B super speedy roll call. Nato Monoma played here by Austin Tindall. You're welcome. Itsuka Kendo played here by Jade Saxton. Tetsu 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 played here by David Wald. Ibrahim Uzaki played by you know it's all about the brand brand able baby. Uh, Kosei Suburaba, played here by Aaron Disby. Hiryu Reen, played here by Anthony Bowling. Neri Genki Shoda, played here by Dallas Reed. Yosetsu Owase, played here by Orion Pitts. Oni Sunatori, played here by Sarah Wienhep. Togaru Kim Kamikiri, played here by Jean Luc Hester. Sen Kaibara, played by my boy Matt Shipman. Yui Kodai, played here by Maddie Morris. Shizo Honanuki, played here by Dallas Reed, pulling double duty. Reiko Yanagi, played here by Ryan Reynolds, not Green Lantern. Setsuna Tokige, played here by fellow Filipino Don M. Bennett. Kinoko Komori, played here by Amanda Gish. Kojiro Bondo, played here by Tyler Walker. Joruto Shishida, played here by Patrick Carroll. Shihai Kuroiro, played here by Harold Wang. And last but certainly not least, Maga Fukudashi, played here by Alex Mai. Woo, yeah. man. <laughs> it's, an it's a whole another entire class. Yeah. Hadn't had to do that since our very first episode when I went through all of 1A. <laughs> <laughs> I hope no voice actors felt like they got snubbed in that. I'm sorry. The cast is so big for this, like, first half. The, the cast the is so big that uh, one of the actors doubles up on characters here. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas Reed getting two paychecks that way, I'm assuming. <laughs> and, of course, Monoma being a jackass, as always. <laughs> 
like even in this introduction as they make their big hero entrance he does like he kind of does the deal repose <laughs> oh and uh shinzo he's joining too remember him from uh, the sports festival yes this is a big arc for a big returning character shinzo is back in the picture and it looks like he's actually looking to join the hero program yep and uh, happy to see him get a shot and i'm glad that glad we saw that uh, horikoshi didn't shove him aside when he easily could have Oh, and what's that? He's sporting a new scarf? No! <laughs> That's Aizawa's capture weapon! It looks like Aizawa saw something in good old Shinso. And he's also sporting a uh, new uh, face mask, too. Well, it's nice to see he's taking disease out there. Wow. Yeah, you know, being considered tillers. And uh, for those of you who don't remember, uh, the way his uh, cork works is that uh, he can brainwash people, but uh, he can only do so after they answer him when he asks them a question or uh, gives them an order. So uh, with this uh, new addition, this makes the total number of students uneven. So to make things fair, he will compete with both classes in separate matches. And they make sure to let us know that it's both an advantage and a handicap as while you do get one more teammate, he's also not as experienced. And they also added the fact that uh, their opposing team only still needs to capture four members of their team, even though you have five. So that's a good angle to have. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, way to to snub Shinso right off the bat. Yeah. The pros, you get one more teammate. The cons, he sucks at the moment. He's from general studies. <laughs> Why not just give him one of the, one of our business classmates just just to make us make it worse? Thanks for having faith in me, Teach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our opening contest, except for one fall with a twenty minute time limit, it's actually probably like five or something. It'll be between Kirishima, Kaminari, Koda, and Sue of one A versus Shiozaki, Shishida, Rin, and Subaraba of one B. And for this match, Shinzo will be teaming with Class A, and then he'll join Class B for the final match. So uh, 1B, they they show off their quirks first off here with Shishida basically being like Hank McCoy from X-Men with like his uh, beast powers. Yes, Gévaudan, named after the uh, French beast. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it, it's it's Beast from X Men. It is, <laughs> but he's but he can actually morph into it. Mm-hmm. He's not like Hank, where he's just Beast all the time. Yeah, and then we also see Superava has the ability to like blow air and make like these uh, little air prisons. He's improving. Well, well, the other thing I like about this arc too is that it's also been shown. There's another important angle here too, which is that uh, to put over Class One B, uh, it's been clarified by the teachers that uh, hey, One A, you've been doing really good so far and making a big name for yourself. But Class 1B has been sticking to their studies and just having the totally normal, high-end UA teaching experience that you expect. UA, you haven't been getting the full experience thus far. You've been getting lots of real-world experience. Yeah, lots of practical experience. But Class 1B has been getting, like, the full treatment throughout all, like, all of the school. Like, so you're gonna, you're gonna experience just exactly what a good, good, full, normal education from UA can do for a budding hero out there. Because they're gonna really, because they've all got, they've all improved their abilities. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you fought some Yakuza? That's nice. We've been putting our noses in books for hours on end. Well, like when explaining the powers in the manga to, in like the the manga and also in the anime too, it, there's a moment where the narrator takes a moment to explain that like, and with special training, they can now do this. You know, to emphasize like, yes, they can do lots of cool things now because they've been dedicating themselves so much to extensive training. Like, they, they've actually taken their abilities up and beyond, plus ultra. Like, uh, with um, Airwall guy here, he can now make boxes with his ability, not just walls. And they're so strong that uh, Kirishima has to go into full Red Rock mode to actually break through him. Like, he can't break through him normally. Yep, quite tough. But then Shinzo then shows off his new gadget, which is a vocal modulator. 
which is really smart. Even though I, you kind of have to stretch your your brain a little bit to understand it. A little bit. It's a bit <laughs> fantastical. So the way it works. So the way Shinso's new item works is that like it puts pressure on and I guess like alters his vocal cords somewhat or like, or it's like when he projects his voice through it, it like serves as like a second pair of vocal cords, which <laughs> anime in the manga does not really explain this thing well. Yeah. Basically, it's a voice changer that doesn't like convert his voice into electricity like like any other like, like voice changer would. Or, or like the, uh, the voice modulator you see in Scream. Right, it's sort of like, yeah, it's just like another set of like vocal cords along with like adjustment dials on it so like he can adjust to like other people's voices. How he's able to do these calculations so quickly on the fly for different people, especially if in the future it's going to be people he just meets. <laughs> Don't think about it. Yeah, because in the, in this moment right here, he perfectly imitates Subaraba's voice to the point where it's like, it's literally just his actor saying that line right there. And it's like, dude, you adjusted three dials and you could do that? Yeah. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> Suspend your disbelief for this, yeah. folks. We know it doesn't make sense, but that's the magic of comics. Yeah, it's a it's a series with superpowered people. Like, you kind of know what to expect. It's it's a mask that serves as artificial vocal cords and changes the voice. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, but it's it's implemented very awesomely by Shinso mm -hmm. in this first conflict. And uh, that's not all, as he can fight too using Aizawa's binding cloth. So I, I really do dig this glow-up that, that they gave to Shinzo right here. But they also show that he's still getting the hang of it, though. He doesn't, he's not fully gotten the hang of it. Yeah, like, he can't do any of the same moves that Aizawa can pull with that binding cloth. Because, again, like, when, when he gets, like, mobbed by other foes, like, what's he gonna do? Wrap up one, he's gonna get attacked by another. Yeah. Like, he really has to use it with his environment here. And he's, in this, this first fight shows him, I, I think it's a good portrayal of, like, him actually struggling to really act as a hero. Yeah. And but really pulling his own weight, though, all the same. Mm -hmm. And in the fact that he will be, we will see him again in the final match goes to show that, okay, in the time between now and then, he's going to be kind. He's gonna be thinking about this and trying to rework this on the fly during the break time. But now it turns out to be a pretty good fight. Like, Shinso actually, like, starts imitating other, uh, other students and the other students that they're fighting. He successfully brainwashes some of them, and he actually kind of turns the whole fight on the uh, on class 1b side into just a clusterfuck where like no one communi can communicate with anyone because they're afraid that the person talking is going to be shinso yeah so communication breaks down it's really good yeah there's like a bit where like one of the class b students calls out to shishida and shishida doesn't say anything he's like he's asked like hey where'd they go and he's just like just points like he can't bring himself to say any words in this fight and what were the other highlights for this fight sue has a plan as we get a callback to a power that she offhandedly told Deku and Mineta all about at the uh, USJ all the way back in Season 1. As she can use toxic mucus that she secretes from her body. Yeah, that finally became useful. And I do like the bit where like we uh, cut to like all the kids watching on a big screen. And then Mineta's all like, hey, Midoriya, is that what, what I think it is? And he's like, yeah, that is. That's the thing she told us about. Quite useful to see that back in the picture. Yep, so, and the plan here is to cover Kaminari and Shinzo with the toxic mucus to, like, make it seem like there's three Sus running at them because uh, Shishida uses his uh, beast powers to kind of, like, sniff her out. Can you get high on Sus mucus? I mean, she says it's not poisonous and it just stinks really bad. Maybe it, maybe it could? These are the questions that should not be answered. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are thinking about that right now. 
Especially, well, I know Air, I know Airboy is probably thinking of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish I could trap myself in a box with that. <laughs> Kids got a bit of a pervy side to him. A little bit. So uh, Shiyazaki tries to uh, snuff them out with her vines and then catches Kaminari and he tries to fire off a shock. But uh, that gets uh, blocked off by Rin. He uses the power to launch scales at uh, Kaminari's little gadget that uh, was on Shishida. But then Shiyuzaki gets brainwashed when she when she answers uh, Shinzo thinking he's Rin. And uh, then uh, Sue gets uh, Shiyuzaki. And then uh, that's when communication between with 1B just really starts to break down. No one's saying anything to each other. And Shishida goes to attack Shinzo. But then he hears Rin tell him to turn him around. And then Shishida ignores it but then realizes that Rin called him a pocket beast in that moment, which was a nickname that he gave them a few minutes before that point. So then he realized, oh, he actually is here, and he's actually flying right at me, and then he gets knocked out. And then 1A secures match one with a big team win right here. Uh, this was a nice way to start off uh, the training arc, you know, real good showcase for Shinzo, but still showing that he needs to work on some stuff here. A good sign of things to come for the other battles. Yeah, he's not there yet, but he's a real diamond in the rough. So uh, on to match two, as our next bout will be between Tokoyami Hagakure, your girl Yamamo, and Aoyama of 1A, versus my girl Kendo, Komori, Kuroiro, and your boy Fukudashi of 1B. Ah, finally we get to him. <laughs> my favorite side character in all of my hero academia. <laughs> Look at this boy. <laughs> if I can just have a moment to gush. Feel free to gush about Fukudashi. Oh, he's got like a... Uh, Manga Fukudashi, the the most identifiable member of Class 1B because his head is a fucking talk balloon yeah. <laughs> out of a comic book. <laughs> he's got bo- he's got body armor and leg armor that looks like uh, little ink bottles. He's got like he's got the red and blue design and his mask. It's not even a mask. It's a manga panel, which in the manga every time it's on screen it reflects the actual format yeah. of the manga page that it appears <laughs> on. <laughs> I love that detail. The fact that he even thinks that he needs a mask because he thinks it will hide his identity <laughs> is a very subtle joke in itself. <laughs> but man, I love this boy, and and, I'm, and maybe you'll about to, you're about to love him too. Oh yeah, we'll get to his his spotlight here, and uh, also a lot of this fight here is pretty much like it's pretty much the let's put over Kendo show right here, just to show like how she's really improved herself since like her. Uh, internship work study with uh, Yamamo and uh, Uobami. Kendo and Yayorotsu. Yep. Because that's that's the that's the big thing for this match. It's uh it's Kendo and Yayorotsu uh finally facing each other after so long uh since they hadn't really interacted with, with uh each other before, or at least for like quite a long time. But uh I guess there have been inklings that there's a Rivalry between the two? A little bit, since, like, they both are, uh, this, this isn't really explained too well. I mean, you can kind of imply it, because, like, both of them are pretty much, like, class reps, and, like, they both kind of, uh, lead each of their classes as, like, the team big sister. Mm, actually, let's, let's phrase it like this. The fans. The fans. The fans were setting these two up as, like, rivals. Yeah. I, I think that's more of the feeling I get, because they don't really, to my knowledge, they don't show any gossip about them being... Like, rivals, in any way? I mean, it's more so just Kendo really wanting to prove she could be just as good as she is. Right, right. Like, yeah, it, like it's it's her that sees these similarities between these two. I don't know, you, you could maybe say that it's her seeing more of this conflict in it and stuff, but I don't know, it, it's <laughs> outside of that, but it it's not really implied too well. Mm-hmm. But whatever, it's 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 still a good matchup, though. And another good matchup is uh, Tokiyami and uh, Kuriiro, the two... Uh, 
darkness imprisoning me, boys. Yes, Sukiyomi versus Venta Black. And uh, Venta Black here, his ability pretty much works like uh, it's pretty much Black Sabbath from JoJo Part Five, as he can move around within the shadows. The original explanation in the manga is that I think he can move inside anything that is the color black. Yes. Because the original name of his quirk is black. And that's, yeah, so that's how it kind of works. And with special training, he can also control the things that he uh, warps into. Like, in this battle, he is able to control Tokiyami's dark shadow and turn him against him. Now, I think the reason why they changed that <laughs> in the anime to Vanta Dark and the name of the quirk being dark is because there's there's a really <laughs> there's a really bad implication that this guy can go into anything black and control it <laughs> <laughs> considering that black people you know exist, exist out there you, you you need to narrow that definition yeah. <laughs> otherwise that's uh there, there's a there's a there's a weird there's a fucked up implication there because <laughs> again how do you define black yeah that's that's where the problem kind of comes in with translation. Mm -hmm. But uh, now that that's from what I recall, that's just how it was translated in the manga. You know, Vanta Black, Black you can tr control black things. It's like whatever. Don't stretch your mind too hard over it. Yeah. But and in I, manga, they, they, but they wanted to be a little more conscious of that when translating. Yeah. It. Plus, in manga, it's a lot easier because you know the color is just black and white. Yes, so. exactly. It works better in manga. Yeah, but it like in an animated form where there's like color and shadows, like you kind of have to work. It's more like okay. You can move around in general darkness. Right, right. You need you, That's another good angle, too, is that, like, in the animated form, you need to make it work around a bit better. Yeah, because, like, you can look at a shadow, and it's, like, it's not completely black. So, like, how, how does that really work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it kind of simplifies things a little bit, but it also kind of takes away from the original meaning of how it was originally portrayed in the manga. Mm -hmm. Whatever. A weird little, uh, just an interesting little translation thing there. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, Tokiyami, he then breaks out a new move of his that he learned during his time with Hawks. This move that he calls Dark Fallen Angel. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with Kenny Omega or Yohane. But, uh, yeah, Hawks helped him unleash his uh, inner Birdman and taught him how to fly by using Dark Shadow. And it looks really awkward in animation. It's very silly looking. Like, the way he just holds his arms out doing, like, a Superman pose while Dark Shadow is he's just, carrying him. He's just flying like Superman. Yeah. Just... The wings don't even flap. No. <laughs> I, when I was reading the manga, I thought the implication was that they flapped. Yeah, but no. Because it's like, how else is he going to get off the ground? But no, Dark Shadow is just pretty much gliding across the sky. So, the way it works is that Dark Shadow is... Moving on its own, pulling Tokiyami, like, anchoring him up in the sky. Yeah, because Dark and Shadow can float. Can float, yeah. And it's, it's sort of steering with, like, its arms around Tokiyami. But I don't think that's how... I don't think that's scientifically possible. It's not really aerodynamic, really? Yeah, because, like, I, I don't... Because it, it implies that he's, like, a separate entity with, like, his own, like, center of gravity center, or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know anything about aeronautics or anything, but, like, I'm pretty sure that what uh, Dark Shadow is doing in the anime, and maybe even in the manga, if this is, like, the one-to-one -one translation, I don't think this is scientifically possible. <laughs> the science is out for this one. So, basically, Dark Shadow works like a typical JoJo stand. Like, you don't really know how it works, it just works. <laughs> uh, ba yeah, let's let's go with that going forward. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, uh, Tokoyami, Tokoyami can fly now. 
But then uh, 1B, they counter with uh, Kimori's uh, Mushroom Quirk, where she basically is uh, Susie from Little Witch Academia. I was going to say N from <laughs> Dorohidoro. A little bit of that, too, yeah. As uh, she can just produce mushrooms on pretty much any moist surface. Yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah it's, it's a very gross quirk. Because it implies that gro- mushrooms are growing on your body and feasting on you. And also, uh, remember, Hagakure is in this fight, and uh, you know how uh, her hero costume works. Mushrooms are growing on top of her. <laughs> so it's giving away her position. Yep. And also, just like, mushrooms all over your body like that is just very... Ugh. Well, I could have sworn there was a detail... Fuck, I should have read this over again. I could have sworn there was a detail that the mushrooms also sap your energy, too. Yep, they also do that. I don't think that came up in the anime. Nope, it didn't. No, it's just sort of implied, well, when you think about it, <laughs> if we're going back, if we're putting our science hats on again, mushrooms only eat decomposing matter. Mm. So maybe, so it seems more like the the hindrance to them is that it's just unnecessary bullshit on your body that gets in the way of everything else and just weighs you down and slows you down. Because mushrooms do, are heavy. Yep. They can be quite heavy, so... I guess there's that angle there, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the other angle that when they grow on you, they also sap your energy. I also got to bring up how I like, I like the little design of her, of her like little mushroom irises. I thought that was cute. She has a very cute design, I will say. And like the kind of like almost mushroom, like bowl cut haircut. And in the extra material in the manga, it's also said that she wants to be an idol too. Ah, very nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm sure she'll fare better than uh, Maki Ito and not get fired. (laughs) (laughs) But if she does, she can be a wrestler. And Shimage even has these little, like, <laughs> humidifier guns. Yeah, little blaster guns that uh, keep the mushrooms moist. Because she did say that uh, they pop off after, like, two hours. Yeah, so, like, she she has little guns where she, like... Yeah, two little, like, humidifiers where she humidifies the air around her and it, makes, and it actually helps to propagate her mushrooms. I thought that was pretty clever. That was. Also, she really uh, mushrooms up her dialogue by adding, like, you know, little mushroom bits, like, ending each, sen- each sentence with shroom or calling everyone little toadstools. She will either be the most beloved hero out there or the most annoying one. Like the the mushroom version of uh, Mr. Freeze here. <laughs> Practices it in her normal life like, excuse me guys, I gotta go to the little mushrooms room. I gotta take a massive shiitake. <laughs> and everyone's all like, oh my god, Kimori. Shimage, shut up! We don't need to know that! God, it's all fucking day with her. <laughs> uh, but uh, then at this point we get to see your boy manga show off his quirk how does he how does he work <laughs> manga class 1b manga fukudashi this is the only character i will do this bit for because <laughs> he's my boy <laughs> class 1b manga fukudashi quirk comic he can utter onomatopoeias you know the bang and zooms and clashes and smash bosh that you see in comics or he can manifest them from his mouth using his voice into little into like actual floating words <laughs> And they will actually carry the effect that that onomatopoeia has in comics. <laughs> so if he says boom, the word boom will float physically in the air. It will have a 3D physical form. And whatever it touches, it will blow up like a bomb. <laughs> if he says the word um, uh, sizzle, 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 it'll actually set things on fire. <laughs> and you see this to great effect where he's actually... Um, he says words like, uh, what is it, like, crash! Yeah, like, it, it, and the louder he says the words, the stronger the effect and the bigger they are. So he actually separates the, there's a point in the battle where he separates the, the uh, his targets in the field with a giant, the giant word crash. that <laughs> is so big that, like, the characters actually cannot scale the word. Because mm-hmm. it's a giant, th- it's a giant three-dimensional word. 
He also does really cool crap where, like, he will even uh, incorporate uh, onomatopoeias and you build them off of each other and actually combo them. Like, he'll say the word, he'll, he'll float the word boing into the air <laughs> and then he'll say thwack and thwack will actually bounce off <laughs> boing, the boing word, and then ricochet and hit an enemy <laughs> that he cannot reach. And the only weakness to his quirk is that it strains his voice. So he's got to, he has to keep his voice very healthy. Yeah. So if you take out, if you manage to take out, take out his voice or slam your, I don't know, karate chop him in the throat, yeah. he's pretty much done for. Mm-hmm. If I could have any quirk in my hero academia, this would be the quirk <laughs> I'd want. This is fucking baller. This is like, this is like the DC Comics character Onomatopoeia. Yes, real Green Arrow enemy. Created by Kevin Smith of all people. Yes, huh. really. Huh. <laughs> yeah, he had a run for a he had a run on Batman and Green Arrow, and he created a character called Onomatopoeia, who's a hitman who only speaks in onomatopoeias. That feels like a character he would create. <laughs> I actually like that idea though. <laughs> it's actually cool. But it sounds like it's it, so basically his power, it's like onomatopoeia from DC Comics crossed with um Echoes Act Two, I believe, from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes. He can create words that have effects, basically. And, and part effects on things. And it especially works well in the original manga because you know how manga has like the automatopoeia that like flash across the screen every time there's like an actual punch or a hit. Like but here he actually makes it real in kayfabe. Yes, he weaponizes them within the comic, and that that is why Comic Man is my favorite. <laughs> that is why Manga Fukudashi, Comic Man, is one of my is my favorite side character in all of my hero academia, <laughs> and why one day I really would like to cosplay his hero costume. You should, if it was not difficult looking to put together. <laughs> oh, it looks hard though. It, it does because you got to have like material. You got to figure out what material you want for like the boots and like the chest, and it's like which means you will probably have to work with plastic because God knows you don't want to work with glass because that could break and seriously hurt you. So it'd have to be like plastic. But then it's like, well, how do you form that around your body? I suppose you could grab, like, flat sheets and then fuse them together, I suppose, and just try to, like, bend them around each other. But that could look really awkward. Yeah. I guess for, like, the the blue and white uh, shirt designs, I guess, you could just, like, cut out actual fabric and just kind of, like, stitch it together, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen people online create the, the word balloon head quite well. Oh, okay. So if I just follow some people's instruction, I could maybe put that together, but it's it'd be an ambitious costume to put together. Yeah, it, it sounds really ambitious. But it's also a character design I love so much that I feel I could put the effort into. And I think if you do put that effort in and you show up at a con dressed like that, people would just be like commending you left and right. I mean, I would actually want to create different word balloon heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, Mikey, but I might have to make you into my pack mule for that <laughs> convention. <laughs> Because I just know, because I just know, one of them's got to be the Kaiji Zawa. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or like the, uh, or like the uh, the JoJo's. The menacing, menacing, menacing. The menacing, menacing, menacing. <laughs> you got to make those. If yeah. You a convention. You got to you got to have flavors for everybody. Oh yes. <laughs> Especially with like you want to get pictures with like the cosplayers from like those shows. It would look so perfect. It would. <laughs> anyway, that's don't worry. That's the only character I will gush over. Okay. <laughs> for for this arc. I gotta bring up the one joke that they brought up about this where somebody says... Uh, oh, I love this joke! If we go overseas, do you think do you think Fukudashi would need a translator? <laughs> well, the point I will make with that, he would actually be even more effective overseas if people cannot understand yeah. his fucking words. 
the more untranslatable he is to other people, the more effective he is as a hero. Yeah. That's, that, that, it, it, it boggles my mind how fucking awesome that is. <laughs> and you've even got characters, like, one pondering that in the background. Mm-hmm. God, I love that, I love this guy, I love this guy so much. <laughs> only, this is the kind of character, this is one of those characters that, like, I point to and say, like, this character could only exist in... My Hero Academia. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Maybe in the future there could be imitators, but like, this Never is like the first time I've seen a character like this done before. It's probably one of the most original things I've seen. Like, probably will probably be often imitated, but never duplicated. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, given that he's also only a side character, I would also say, yeah, make a main character like yeah, this. Yeah, why not? Why not? Make an actual hero main character that's just, that's just like this. Mm-hmm. Copyright be damned. Fucking do it. Do it. This is such a good idea, it deserves to be replicated. <laughs> I know I kind of went back on yeah. everything we just said. But, uh, yeah, um, uh, Manga Fukudashi, you're, you're so original, but I also want you to be replicated so much. <laughs> so, anyway, like... Uh, Please make a figure of him! Please! Oh, make a figure of him. I want a figure of him so bad. <laughs> yes! So bad! I don't think one exists. Probably not. Ah, oh, damn. Okay, I'm done. Okay. I swear to God, I'm done. Okay, so anyway, through their combined efforts and uh, Kendo's planning, they were able to, like, get a big win over 1A. Like, this is one of those fights where it came real close, where you think, like, oh, maybe they can uh, pull it out like they did last time, but no, like, at one point, 1B catches them off guard using, like, Komori's mushrooms to, like, poison Tokiyami, and then, like, everyone just starts going down left and right, and then at that point, they just call it ball game. But, uh, you know, little moral victories as uh, 1A still got to show how they've improved, but uh, it still wasn't enough to combat 1B's massive improvements. But Yayurotsu did prove herself somewhat, though. She actually proved that uh, the the niche that she's finally finding that she can fill is that she can actually be a pretty good uh, leader-type hero, and she can actually support her team players better than anyone else, as she even manages to... um manifest a cannon in the middle of the battle a freaking cannon and actually fires uh like handmade support items to her friends like gas masks to like help prevent spores from getting around anti-fungal spray yeah like she she's she's actually finding like her niche in the hero world that's nice to see and i also liked how that showed that both uh yamamo and uh, kendo both had like they're both real good planners but they're good good planners in their own ways like Momo, she can work very well off the cuff and, like, on the fly. Like, she can really improvise, whereas, like, Kendo, she's able to, like, get every single detail planned out ahead of time, like, right to the, like, last decimal point. Yeah, it's a really great way to show their strengths as leaders, as strategic thinkers. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's epitomized by uh, Kendo's words at the end, where she said, if there were not a time limit on this battle, I think I would have lost. Yep. Like, it's one of those fights where it's like, you you play it out a hundred times, everyone will win 50 times each. So we're at a tie right now, so it's on to match three as it's my boy Ida, Ojiro, Shoji, and Todoroki of 1A versus Pony Sunatori, Ononuki, Kaibara, and everybody's boy Tetsutetsu of 1B. And so uh, in this battle, you gotta watch out for uh, Ida as like he's now real motivated to like uh, take up that mantle that was once left by his uh, now injured brother. Like he really wants to be, wants to prove himself worthy of the Ingenium name. Oh, wow, now we're coming back to that again. Yeah, after he... <laughs> Feels like a while. Yeah, because, like, a while ago, he was going to choose it as, like, his hero name, but he just, like, decided not to. But now he's starting to realize, okay, maybe I can actually be the hero that my brother was once once was, or maybe even better. Feels like a while since we've come back to this point. Yeah, it is. 
Oh, and uh, another thing that's been a while, uh, Tetsu Tetsu. It's been a while since we've seen him go wild and go nuts. Yeah, it has been quite a while. As he just goes smashy smashy to start off the fight. Immediately just wants to start smashing up stuff. And I love that his gear has the little uh, F-E symbol on it, the uh, symbol on the periodic table for iron. Yeah, I like that. And at this point, we actually get to see something that I was also waiting for when I first saw it in the manga. How are they going to adapt Pony's gimmick to the dub, specifically? As uh, in the Not mo- well, I'll yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> this, is re- this is really hard to translate. This is a joke specifically... For a Japanese-speaking audience. So the, jo- so the joke is that Pony Sonotori, who is half American, uh, she she lapses into her English when chiding Tetsu Tetsu for destroying the battlefield. And uh, she gets uh, chide, and then Gyrate, their their uh, their teammate, is like, te- is like, real steel, come on, like, you're you're making Pony Sonotori, like, lapse into her English. And then Mudman fall, uh, Mudman uh, showing that his character is going to be is that he's an all-around nice guy, chimes in with English and is on his own <laughs> to su- to support P- uh, Pony, and Gyrite's like, oh, not you too. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's kind of how the joke goes. Yeah, in the dub they try to translate at least uh, Pony's half, where like she's just speaking a lot more shrill and bluntly towards uh, Real Steel. Oh, you hear what you're making Pony sound like? Is this what you want? Tetsu Tetsu doesn't mean any harm. In fact, his approach even plays to our strengths. Great, now you're the one who sounds crazy! It just doesn't work. No, the joke did not translate well. It did not translate at all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, you did your best, guys. Like, I don't blame you for, like, not being able to figure that one out. (laughs) As soon as I got to that moment when I was doing my rewatch, I just switched right back to the sub. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I I just want this joke to work. (laughs) No offense. Y- y'all, tra- y- y'all translators and writers, y- you tried your best. Uh, so uh, at this point, we do get to see how uh, Mudman's uh, quirk works as he's able to uh, soften anything and everything he touches and give it the same consistency as mud. And then by touching it again, he can reharden it. Like he does this by uh, freezing Todoroki's ice and then trapping Ida within it and then just like touching it again to like harden it. Pretty simple quirk to understand. Mm-hmm. Also, he's one of the, also he's one of the two only students in one B that was that got into the class by recommendation. Ah, just a small little fact. Neat. And uh, we see uh, Kaibara, his quirk, where he's uh, fighting one on one with Ojiro, and he can turn his limbs into these uh, Gurren Lagann esque drills right here. Uh, not exactly. He can spin any spin part, him like he drills. can spin any part of his body like a drill. But he actually has like he has glove he has finger attachments on his fingers so that he doesn't damage himself yes. and he damages other people. So, yeah, he's a good close quarters guy. Mm-hmm. Although he's otherwise kind of dull. A little bit. And, and even his page in the manga where that, like, explains his life admits. I think it, I think it does admit that he's kind of pretty normal uh-huh. <laughs> among, among Class 1B. Just totally average. His hobby is cameras. Neat. Any, anything else? The, the joke is that he gyrates and cameras spin their lenses out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Uh, then we see Pony's quirk as she can uh, shoot uh, her horns out of uh, out of her head. I'm put off by like the the, the bridle that she wears. Yeah, that's a <laughs> little costume. weird. That looks really weird. You know, you don't see that. That on, looks like, uncomfortable to me. You know, at least the the horse girls in, in Uba Musume had the decency to not have anything like that. You 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 could have done something like that there, Pony. Yeah. 
Pony, you look really weird in that. <laughs> you are you are creeping me out. Yeah. <laughs> also, I like how her quirk isn't the fact that she's a horse. Her quirk is that she just shoots her horn, so, like, she just normally looks like this. So this is where I, like, then answer the question of, like... <laughs> so, wait, horse? Horns? What's the connection? Uh, I just now realized that! Wow, yeah, like... Why does she... Why, her, the, why does a horse have horns? If her gimmick is that she's a horse, and, like, she's an American, like, whatever, she's an American horse, why does she have horns? I don't... There aren't, like, maybe a unicorn-type thing? Shit, this never occurred to me. <laughs> I, I just... I'm now realizing this just now. Why does the... Why does the horse girl have horns? Yeah. <laughs> Horses don't have horns. Is this a translation thing I'm missing? I don't get it. Horn, hor horse, horn, horse... Fuck, I'm trying to find some kind of connection. Uh, uh in mythology, the, the, uh, the, 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 there's a dragon horse that has horns, I guess. There's, there's that. I, it's, it's called the, um, Chirin. There's a, there's a mythological horse creature that has horns that's called a Chirin. Uh, maybe, I'm trying my best yeah. here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is all I can do off yeah. the cuff. <laughs> This this is completely off, I'm I'm off script in, in for this bit. Like if I had realized this earlier, I would have tried to look more into it. You know what? Let's not think too hard about it. Yeah. Maybe 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 we'll maybe we'll find an answer and like tweet about it. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ida, he's stuck in ice, but he's able to break free of the ice as he uh, unleashes his uh, new super move, uh, Recipro Turbo, which uh, came about with him uh, upgrading his engine. And the way he did that is that he had to physically grab a hold of the mufflers on his calf and rip it out of him so that newer ones will grow back. What are they, baby teeth? I, maybe? This is weird when I go back to this. Like, wait, this is something the Ida family has done for generations? Hey, honey, Tanya lost his baby mufflers. Wow, what did he have to do to get uh, get those out? Suffer unimaginable pain. Rip him out of his calf while biting onto a towel. It looks really painful. It does. Guys, I improved myself. Like, how? <laughs> cut Cut to his training. <laughs> I used a secret Eda family technique. <laughs> you, to please do not ask me again how I got them out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to relive the memories. But anyway, Ida has upgraded his the, the 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 muffler the engines on his legs, and he can now uh, maintain his recipro burst for I believe he can activate it for how long again? I think he said ten minutes. Ten minutes, and that's and that's like starting up and start and like turning off. Yep. So yeah, for like ten full minutes of recipro burst, he can like break out these big boosts any anytime he wants. Yes. And this looked. Really cool. I love that in some of the shots, uh, Ida was, like, positioned almost as, like, an Olympic speed skater, like, the way he was, like, skating across the ice. Yeah, he actually, yeah, they actually animated him pretty well in this part. So, uh, soon after this, we get to see uh, more of uh, Tetsu Tetsu, like, the fruits of his training, and how he can, how he's pretty much strengthened himself and his iron to the point where, like, he can withstand the heat brought on by uh, Todoroki's fire half. And this is when Todoroki learns a very valuable lesson that there is such a bad thing as bad matchings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he got he got a really bad matchup with Tetsu Tetsu here. And I love how Tetsu Tetsu ex explained this. Like, he just... His training was that he just sat in ovens for hours on end. <laughs> I mean, is it any weirder than what Class 1A went through to try and train their quirks? No, like, Yamamoto... Their, their muscle training exercises? I mean, Yamamoto just spent most of her training, like, stuffing chocolate in her face while making, like, uh, different objects. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, then we uh, get the big finish to this fight where like uh, a lot of the opponents get like knocked out. Everyone's just all down for the count to the point where like we only have like each team has only captured one person from the opposing team. And then Pony with like her remaining teammates and Todoroki decides to just give up right here, fly into the air where uh, Shoji can't reach her and just run out the clock. Like there's no winning here. <laughs> no one said it wasn't a viable strategy. It was. And like, you know, in real life, that would work because when you wait, then, like, other heroes can come and give you backup. Mm, it is fair. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, this uh, third match ends in a very thrilling, thrilling uh, draw right here. I, ju I'm j I just really appreciate that the match that had Shoto in it uh, resulted in a draw. Yeah. <laughs> that, he, 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 that he was not the, the game chain. He was not the MVP of that one. Mm -hmm. That he, he got, like, a really bad matchup and he learned a valuable lesson. Yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Also, by the way, I gotta point out, like, during this whole fight right here, we keep get, we get, uh, we keep cutting back to, uh, Endeavor trying to contact Shoto while he's in class, just sending him text messages, and I looked at that and go, like, okay, is he sending Shoto these me messages where he's like, hey, you up? <laughs> it's just, Shoto then comes back to his phone, why do I have 30 messages? <laughs> where are you? Where the fuck are you? Talk to me. Did I do something wrong? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Talk to me, damn it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Can we make things up? Talk to me, damn it. <laughs> and then Endeavor thinks to himself, am I doing this parenting thing right? <laughs> like one of his sidekicks looks at his phone and, and they're all like, are you okay, man? <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to be a good father now. And you're learning this from... I, I, I watched this in a movie one time. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to have a talk later. Uh, but, you know, I'm kind of thinking with this tie right here, it'd be great if, like, uh, 1A and 1B kind of pull a bit of an AEW Death Triangle versus the Elite Best of Seven and just have, like, a big series of this matches just to make sure there's a winner. <laughs> and then you can hold it in, like, different areas of, like, uh, UA where, like, Half of the audience could be all like, fuck 1A, fuck 1A, or fuck 1B, fuck 1B. Yes, but that would also double the runtime of this episode. Yeah, that would. <laughs> uh, anyway, onwards to match four, our penultimate match that sees Bakugo, Jiro, Sero, and Sugar Daddy Sato of 1A taking on Kamikiri, Tokage, Awase, and Bondo of 1B. Ding, 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 matches underway, and Bakugo and company completely blow out 1B. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. That's really it here. The quickest match of the whole round. <laughs> <laughs> like, this whole fight was just basically the Bakugo show. Just, like, him not disregarding his teammates, like, actually working well with them to the point where it's all like, okay, I'll protect you. If you protect me, watch my back, I'll watch yours. And then they just work like a well-oiled machine to just completely blow out 1B 4 to nothing. The, the whole point of this match is to show that Bakugo, when he actually implies him, applies himself and uses teamwork... He's actually way better than he could ever be. And also showing that he's more than willing at this point to actually go down that route and actually work with his classmates in the middle of a fight. Especially if it means that he gets to win. Yeah, because he, he still technically carries the team. Mm -hmm. He just They just all have way better synergy. Yeah, and like they're really motivated by him giving this big speech where he's all like, No, we're gonna win! 4-0! to zero, So that no one will have any questions about our victory. Especially since like with like cellophane, ear, ear, earphone jack, and sugar, Ma and sugar man, yeah. this was not the strongest like team. No, pretty ragtag this team was. Yeah. But they worked really well together. Like everyone was just firing on all cylinders. I guess we shouldn't completely snub class 1B. Uh, what did they do? Uh, they tried. <laughs> they showed up today. 
I mean, Plamo, uh, you know, threw some glue around the place at least. Yeah. Setsuna, who was the other recommended uh, student for Class 1B, she split herself into multiple different parts. Cool quirk. Yeah, because, like, Blizzard, you can, like, uh, split off parts of your body and regrow it. And she showed that she can actually plan battles ahead pretty well. Uh, Jack Mantis uh, could extend blades from his body, and he cut up a whole lot of good stuff. Looked cool. And welder welded stuff. Yep. But uh, I like the part where he said it's welding time and welded all over those guys. <laughs> that was a pretty cool moment. <laughs> but uh, nope, it just wasn't. All the planning was for not. If anything, they overplanned and could not adapt well. Yeah. 1A, they won this fight even before the eye catcher in the episode, which is pretty great. <laughs> uh, very appropriate. I'm glad they actually decided to, you know, expedite this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I did love how uh, after the fight, you know, with uh, each of the matches, uh, Aizawa always, like, gives his kids, like, some, uh, you know, advice, some uh, constructive criticism about their fighting. But here he's all like, got nothing. Good job. <laughs> Meanwhile, Vlad King. is just reading his class the riot act. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fa- his face in his hand, just like, okay. Let's From the review. top. <laughs> <laughs> what did we learn? <laughs> Uh, but also we get a nice moment where, like, everyone's praising Bakugo for working well as a team, and he's, like, acting all sin about it. Like, shut up, I don't care about what you have to say about Bakas. <laughs> I think there's been enough talk. It's time for your joint training main event. As it's Deku, my girl's Achako and Mina, and nobody's boy Mineta, versus also nobody's boy Monoma Jacob Friedman, Kodai, Shoda, Yanagi, and Shinzo. Switching sides here. And uh, the standings at this point are two wins for 1A, one win for 1B, and draw with the one match left, so uh, 1B can only hope to, like, tie overall. So uh, they, they're they not going to like it, but they're definitely rooting for the uh, kissing your sister option right here. <laughs> but I know Jim Ross would definitely love that. <laughs> All about that, sister kissers. And uh, adding a bit of intrigue here, this will be the first time since uh, the Sports Festival, Episode 7 of Anime Baby, since uh, Deku and Shinzo uh, faced off. The long, the long-awaited rematch between these two. Yes, three years in the making at this point. <laughs> so uh, pretty much the name of the game here is like uh, go after Deku, and then like if they can take him out, then the the rest of one A could be easy pickings. And they at least realize he's way better than like the, than most people realize. Yeah, that he's actually the one to go after. You know, nobody's gonna go after Mineta. Like even in like even if, even if you are trying to beat him up, no one's gonna go after. Well, from him. a practical standpoint, he also has the mo- he's like the the one part of the team that has like the most combat ability. Mm-hmm. And we also get some uh, double team moves from One uh, B as uh, Yanagi uses her quirk to uh, levitate objects, while Kodai uses her quirk to shrink and regrow those objects at will. So like you can take like a smaller object, have it fly around easily in like all these pipings of the battlefield, and then as soon as it hits its target, it regrows back to its normal size or even bigger. I kind of dig the creativity of mine, though, who has the ability to, like, punch any surface, and then he can, like, remotely activate that, like, impact. Yeah, double up the impact. Which, yeah, which, like, either double or triples the impact, like, I get, like, with a second punch effect. That's that's pretty clever, actually, and they actually show some pretty clever usage of that ability by levitating objects in the air, and he actually has, like, planted impacts on them, and then he, like, remotely detonates all of them. Yeah, so it'll hit once, and then, like, re-row, and then hit again, even stronger. Yeah, it's pretty clever. Like, they can actually, like, they actually have a pretty good range, a pretty good range of attacks in attacking Class 1A. And uh, these three are taking care of uh, Ochako, Mina, and Mineta, so, like, those three are sidelined for the moment. And you've got Monoma to worry about, who's very, who it's very obvious he copied Shinso's quirk. Mm-hmm. So he can, 
So he can probably go to the, like one end of talking and then zonk them out. And at this point, he's just verbally laying into Deku, just trying to get a rise out of him. But Deku, he knows this, so he's not he's not willing to like yell out at Monoma just in case like that actually happens. And what's more, he's like trained his quirk further, so he can copy up to three abilities now. Yeah, he, he just can't use all of them at once. Yeah, no, he's got to like uh, focus one at a time. Yeah. And a nice little detail about that, as uh, Monoma's hero costume, he's got, like, this uh, nice suit, and uh, he has these three pocket watches, so that he can keep time on when each 10-minute interval starts for uh, his quirkies. Yeah, it's it's a simple part of his costume, but hey, it works. Yeah, it's it's a nice little detail. contribute. Mm-hmm. But I also like that, like, Monoma also weirdly, <laughs> this is the first time he gets any character development, where he actually talks with Shinso about how they both have sinister-looking quirks. But he's also telling Shinso, you gotta work with it, man. You gotta be evil. You gotta own it. <laughs> you gotta own the image. Like, whatever. We're side characters. We acknowledge this. But we can still... But hey, sometimes the coolest characters in the story are the side characters. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean... I just went on a ten-minute, like, rant about how great Manga Fukudashi was. I mean, there's a charm to, like, side characters. Hence why, like, I refer to some of them as, like, my boy or my girl. Because I like them so much. It's weird to say, but I kind of understood Monoma on some level here. Yeah. And he actually does implement his quirk his quirk really well in this battle. I feel kind of dirty for praising him. Yeah, I feel dirty too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough of that. But then uh, something snaps within Deku as long black tendrils start flying out of his hands. And this power, this new power that's awakening within Deku just starts to go completely berserk. And he can't get a hold of it in the middle of this match. Deku, of all of all times, you decide to have a growth spurt in the middle of a battle. Yeah. <laughs> Time and place, buddy. It looks. It really looks like puberty is just going to keep kicking in for you again and again, isn't it, Deku? Oh, man. You know a thing or two about superhero puberty. It, it gets it gets worse and worse every time. Uh, if only we listened to the, to the great cinematic work Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Sam Raimi was on to something there. But yeah, this moment right here, first time I saw this in the manga, I was all like, okay, here we go. This is a game changer. This is different. And a really great moment where Ochako and Shinzo are able to save Deku right here. Where, like, uh, she is able to get him to, like, call out to Deku in a way that'll get him to, like, talk back at him so he can brainwash him and stop him from going berserk. And I love that Shinzo's words to Deku are just like, hey, don't quit now before our rematch. And then Deku responds, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then gets zonked out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's a nice little flip from how they were a little more antagonistic back in the festival. Yeah, they're more like respectable rivals at this point now. Ah, that's, that's, you like to see that. That's very good. But yeah, at this point we get some new info on uh, One for All as Deku starts to have a conversation with one of the vestiges of One for All, specifically the one who has this black whip technique right here. Again? Crap, kid! You got it wrong! Dang it! Didn't we tell you? You're not alone out there! You got that? It's manifesting! Now's the time! So shape up! You gotta start thinking more! From now on, you can't use your power casually. It's something bigger. He's one of the past users of One for All? You're gonna have to work harder! Do your best! If you train like a madman, most things should work out fine! Whoa, where's your mouth, kid? That's freaky! Whatever, don't sweat it! I can see him so clearly. He's not a vestige or a shadow or some kind of ghost. 
This isn't a dream either. This man, these predecessors, are somehow living inside of One for All. Hmm. Feels like my time's running out. That was fast. One more thing, kid. The power you just shot out of you was originally my quirk. Maybe I should explain a bit. Our individual quirk factors mixed in with the core of One for All. They've been inside of you this whole time. Now, imagine this core rests in the middle of raging flames or a whirlpool of waves or something. Those flames and waves are the cultivated power we users added to the original. But now, after so many years, the core is starting to expand and move. What you saw between fluctuations. The reason for that is because One for All itself is growing inside you. Why? What's going to happen? Think back. Earlier, you were dead set on capturing that guy. It's all you could think about. You know, you could nod or something, kid. Right. I was trying to catch Monoma. It just so happens the best quirk for that is Black Whip, which belonged to me. So lucky you, you get to meet yours truly first. Not to brag, my power's great. But be careful. This quirk has evolved. Black Whip's got the might of one for all swirling within it, which means it's much stronger now than when it was mine. Ah, oh, man. I'm gonna disappear. I feel myself drifting away because all that's left of me is my spirit. Listen well. If you use one for all in anger, the power will react to that feeling. What's important is keeping tabs on your heart. It's fine to get mad. Rage can be the source of incredible strength. But you need control, and not just over your body, but over your emotions as well. After being passed down through eight people, one for all has become an awesome force. Prepare yourself. You'll have six more quirks manifest as you improve. Control your heart and master using those who live in this power. Good luck. We're with you, kid. You're the one who will complete One for All! One for All contains all of the quirks of the past users. Yes, it did not just stockpile physical strength or abilities, it also stockpiled the quirks of the previous users. Yep. An, un an unintended side effect. And basically I look at this as Deku getting his, like, second gear moment, where, like, he realizes that he has this newer ability of his power, and then it's just going to get stronger and stronger as he goes on, coming up with new and, and creative moves. And what's more, this personality inside him, uh, Banjo, I believe his name is. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> tells, De tells Deku straight up, yo, bro, you're going to manifest four, like, four other quirks. <laughs> <laughs> just be ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get awesome, bro. <laughs> you're going to do so much sick shit. <laughs> Anyway, after that little uh, tangent, uh, the fight continues with uh, Aizawa, Vlad King, and All Might on standby in case uh, something goes wrong again. And uh, Deku, he tries to like fight Quirkless for a little while because he's afraid that if he uh, unleashes some of his power, those tendrils are going to pop out again and he's going to really hurt somebody. We get a really cool move and a uh, nice use of uh, Mianetta's quirk as he uh, threw all of his balls around the field and then Mina fastball specials him so that he can bounce off of those balls and then fly all around the battlefield since he doesn't stick to his own uh, great balls. For some of us, I was, I was like, finally, Mineta does something cool. Yeah, <laughs> you get one cool thing. He actually shows how cool his quirk can actually be. 
I knew you had it in you, Mineta. But he still does it to, like, perv on Mina by, like, bouncing right into her chest. Yeah, he creates a buckler shield out of his, uh, pop-offs. And then, like, deflects an attack, but only so that he can be, uh, pushed into Mina. Yeah. In a suggestive way. Yeah, because that's that's his thing. That's that's his thing. I, I just wanted to... He's, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna have, like, the, he's going to, like, be a one-man <laughs> hero agency in the future. He's like Denji from Chainsaw Man, but if he were unlikable. He, he will be, like, legitimately canceled every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every year. Every year. If not, just straight up get sent into jail. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I could have an entire fun time imagining all the ways in which Mineta will go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> But we have a podcast to do. Yeah. Oh, but uh, then we get a moment where Monoma copies one for all, but nothing happens. As uh, we do find out later, there's a limit to his uh, copy quirk, as he can copy the base ID of the power, but it's useless to him unless he has the, uh, a certain amount of outside energy to like help it help it along. Yeah, it, it, if it's a quirk that needs to stockpile, stockpile energy or a substance of some kind in order to work, he cannot copy... He cannot... Energy cannot be created or destroyed only change form mm -hmm. like they they actually give a real good example about this where like he can copy the quirk of someone like fat gum but since he doesn't have the same body mass it's it doesn't work like he'll just get knocked out by a giant object and one for all's power was built up over time so he basically just copied uh the first one for all users quirk <laughs> i was just passing something on yep that's it that's it <laughs> yep uh, so then uh, Deku and Shinzo have their one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, Deku does have a moment where he can control his new Black Whip power, as he was able to, like, uh, calm down and not let the fear of this power, like, kind of overwhelm him a bit. And Black Whip, real simple, just shoots out Black Tendrils, and they can do Black Tendril things, Case like la like wraparound stuff. He can Spider-Man around the field. But Banjo, Banjo in, his, uh, in his brain, did explain that with one for all power in it, it's way stronger now. Mm -hmm. Just like all the quirks will be when Deku acquires them. Yep, so they get a little bit of a power boost. They will get a major power boost, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's able to take out all their opponents, and Deku is able to defeat Shinzo just as time expires. And I do like the moment where, as he's being taken out, Shinzo reflects on the joint's training and realizes how much he's come to respect the Hero Core students. And he gets a little smile on his face, seeing how plus ultra everyone is and how he feels he can be up there with them one day. He does grumble a little bit, though, that he couldn't bust out, that he wasn't able to really bust out any of the moves that Aizawa taught him mm -hmm. on Deku. He only got, like, he had only one chance. Bring down some pipes on Deku using the capture device. Deku counters it and then immediately subdues him. Yep. He's just like, come on, I wanted to, like... Throw some caltrips out on the field. <laughs> I wanted to, like, do some cool Aizawa stuff. Aw, oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, back to the drawing board for me. <laughs> the joint training arc ends with 1A getting, getting their second clean sweep and getting the overall victory with a record of three wins, one loss, and one draw. And that pretty much closes out the, uh, the main portion of the joint training arc right here. I gotta say, this was... Pretty fun arc, you know, probably the last fun arc that we'll have for a while. I mean, the, the, this was a very fun arc in the manga, and I think they actually captured it pretty well in the anime as well. Yeah, I would probably say this is the best part of season five of the anime. Like, everything was pretty much business as usual for, like, both the story and the animation side of things. Some good, decent animation peppered in here and there. Uh, great character moments, paced very well. Like, it was actually all quite nice. And it's great to see how far everyone has come at this point in the series, you know, putting all of their new moves and techniques into action, but without kind of the threat of, like, going up against villains or Yakuza, like, kind of in a more 
recreational setting and, you know, seeing where everyone needs to improve and also... Where the stakes are low yeah. as well. And you can just enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy that, like, these two clashing uh, groups of people are just going to do some good old, good old-fashioned sparring. You know, it's just, it's just kids roughhousing. Like, and that's always fun to watch. But also, as much as it as much as it is fun to watch kids beat the shit out of each other, <laughs> it's also great to see them improve as people. Yeah, because like they get one B, they got a real showcase for the first time since maybe season three, and also Shinzo coming in out of nowhere and being kind of the MVP of this arc right here. Yeah, he is arguably the one that you care that you're meant to care about the most. Yep, and you know he's never gonna stop glowing up. Like he's gonna improve more and more as time goes on and hopefully fingers crossed it leads to a big moment later down the line we can only hope but yeah thumbs up i like that and deku is going to acquire more quirks as well oh yeah that's gives, another thing gives all new gives all new meaning to the comment by nine in the my hero academia film two mm-hmm. when he says that deku has multiple quirks inside his body mm-hmm. it's like ah yeah, it, that's was, what I mean. it wasn't just the marriage between one like the power stacking quirk and the, pa- and the passing on quirk, it being two molded into one quirk, he literally does have multiple quirks in yep. his body. And that's why Nine could not steal the one for all. And yeah, just that, that whole game changer right there. Like, you just started, like, as soon as I saw that, I was just flushed with ideas and thoughts of all, like, oh, what are they going to do now? Maybe they can do this and that. Like, oh, man, this opens up a whole new playbook for Deku. I think another question in my mind was, like, how are they going to pace that out for the rest of the series? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Only time will tell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the last true happy... We have a bit of a post-arc wrap-up to go here as uh, Deku, All Might, Bakugo have a conversation about One for All. And Bakugo is speculating that uh, One for All can sense that uh, something is coming on the horizon, hence why these new powers are starting to manifest within Deku. It's not... It's not... It's only reflexive right now. It's not... Compul- it's not, like, impulsive. hmm So add that to the list of things that uh, Deku needs to learn more about uh, this... Uh, these new abilities that are coming out of One for All. Now he's going to have to ma- master the base One for All and now a new quirk, mm-hmm. Black Whip. Yep. And more. <laughs> oh, but uh, meanwhile, Todoroki and Bakugo finish up their supplemental classes and finally get their provisional hero licenses. So now finally, the last two horses have crossed the finish line right here. <laughs> and uh, they celebrate by stopping some baddies and then getting some cake. Then we reach a point here where things start to take a turn because... If you read, if you've read the manga, you know what happens immediately after the chapter where uh, Todoroki and Bakugo get their uh, licenses and uh, stop those bad guys. But we get inklings of what should have happened right here, as we see that some crazy shit is going down in a far off place called Deka City. But then the anime is all like, "Ah, you don't want to see that right now. It's Christmas time. Simply have a wonderful Christmas time." I mean, good timing for us with season five and stuff. Yeah, by the way, this is a Christmas episode now. Ha-ha. Yep, we got the Christmas. Time, timed it right. Yep. <laughs> we timed it right. Then, But then when you're watching the anime, you're like, what, 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 what now? What the fuck? Christmas? Christmas what? What happened in that city? What? What What the fuck? Hey, what, We're what, in Christmas now? What? What? Chigaraki? What? And you're like, no, go back, go, go back. back. And the anime's like, no, Christmas, Christmas time. time. <laughs> fuck you, Christmas. And then just like how we're, we are right now in this review, we're like, Fucking okay, we'll yeah. move on. It's Christmas time. Yeah, because like I remember watching at least the dub when that aired, or like following along at least with uh, where the simulcast was when it was airing. I was all like, "Yeah, wait, what? That's where we're going next." But that comes later. We're still getting to that other stuff, right? Okay, like 
Rocking around the Christmas tree. Have a happy holidays. The choir of children sing this song. I really hate this fucking song. (laughs) But so, yeah, we go into the Christmas chapter and then afterwards... Don't jump into that arc. Jump into another arc that comes after the arc we were supposed to get. <sighs> they also keep in bits where they vaguely talk about what happened in Vega City. And if you haven't read the manga, you have no fucking clue. No, none whatsoever. Because in the manga, you already would have seen this. So you're all like, ah, they're learning about this event right now. It's very interesting. But here it's all like, wait, what? Deka? What? Right. And like, you lose a sense of dread that you're supposed to get while reading those scenes. Mm-hmm. For example, they reveal that Best Genist has gone missing, and that's much more impactful if you know what was supposed to happen. Like, so, like, we're, we're just getting nothing during these during this, like, section of the, the anime. Like this, this is where I really started to, like, turn my head and think, like, wait, you're going and you're, you're switching the order of the story around? Like, it was, it was really confusing. And it's like they can't even make the argument that they were trying to time out the holidays because this aired in the summer. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, I guess now we're doing the Endeavor Agency arc now. Yep. And we're just gonna randomly refer to the arc that was supposed to be here to give you some some, some sense of anticipation for what's to come? I, I guess. But they end up revealing way too much information. Yes! And the scenes lose, like, all meaning and all impact because you don't have any fucking context. <laughs> so I imagine viewers, when they were first watching this, this the Endeavor Agency arc, and they're seeing these references to the shit that happens later on, are just confused. Because what scenes do we get? We get, like, the League of Villains, which, with a bunch of characters we don't know anything about, and standing anim- around, like a ta- around like a table with laptops, being all like, ah, oh, yes, our plans are coming to fruition. In four months, uh, the, like, all of Japan is going to fall. And characters that the anime goes out of their way to make sure they don't reveal their faces... Which is like, why are you doing the full scene anyway and do it going to that trouble? Like, just don't show the scene. Like, why are we having these scenes of, like, now where, like, Hawks is flying to some villa and he's chatting up with, like, villains and stuff? This this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He's on a plan. He's, like, spine, spine for fucking what? What is this Liberation Army they keep talking about? Yeah, like, Liberation Army? Liberation I, Army. Liberation are, Army. Are they the League? What What's going on here? Yeah, what is this? Like... Both of us, we read, we, we read the manga. We were caught up at the time when this aired. Like, we knew, but, like, we have friends who don't know, so I'm just like, that must have been real bad for them. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's around this point that the anime starts to, like, shit the bed a bit. A little bit. It's when, it's when we begin to realize that, like, oh, no, they decided to go the, uh, the non-traditional route for uh, these next two arcs. Mm-hmm. So now we gotta deal with that going into the Endeavor Agency arc. But we might as well get into that because that's the order the anime went into. Yeah. But before we leave this Christmas time stuff, I can at least safely say that I do appreciate the anime showing us uh, Aerie and her little Santa outfit, which is really cute. Aerie is like the, the highlight of the Christmas party. And I love her confusing Christmas with other holidays. Like she shows up in her little Santa outfit and she goes, uh, tricky treat. And then I was like, no, wrong holiday. 
She, she tries to offer Easter eggs at one point, which she somehow just made. Yeah, which I love that this implies she went to the trouble of painting Easter eggs, and Aizawa didn't have the heart to tell her to stop. <laughs> and by the way, the image of her holding out the eggs to Ochako is very, very cute. Oh, it's adorable. Or like, uh, I love the bit where she pulls out the soybeans, the setsubun, and tries to throw them. Like saying, <laughs> demon be gone, demon be gone. <laughs> which is just getting the holidays all wrong. Yeah. She's- She's just saying, like, Happy Arbor Day! <laughs> Happy Festivus! L'chaim! <laughs> As I was like, nope, you're close. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> Proud to be an American. <laughs> no, wrong country. <laughs> I was like, going to point out this Christmas pop song we get here that sounds like it's from, like, a Disney Channel or a Nickelodeon Christmas commercial. It, it's corny. It's so corny. Like, Christmas time with friends, it's a duck, fruitcake and happiness all around. <laughs> I just made, like, a Linda Belcher song right there. Jingle bell rock and rolling, wondering if Santa's getting close. Go check off Christmas magic. This time of year. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Of of cold, hungry people. Cold, hungry people. They're dying in the streets. They're dying in the streets. Me and my family will be warm tonight. Okay, Len. But I uh, hope you had a happy Christmas now because uh, we're reaching the part of the season where things get really messy. Because after, because after every glorious Christmas is shitty January. <laughs> <laughs> and it is also around this time we get a new opening to the series, so. Whoa, whoa, it's alright, everything will be alright. Whoa, whoa, it's alright, everybody now will be. So, uh, opening and ending for the second half of My Hero Academia. Opening is Merry-Go-Round by Man with a Mission. And the ending is Not Alive by Soshi Sakiyama. I gotta say, with uh, 
name like merry-go-round i was kind of expecting something like uh the looney tunes theme you know <laughs> merry-go-round broke down yeah <laughs> but uh what do we got here uh well well the first opening i i well well i'm of, i'm of two minds about it one on the one hand it's catchier than the first one we got at the beginning of the season it's a bit catchier although i i i, th- I think the opening is kind of bad <laughs> How does it go again? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa it's, it's alright, right. have it can be alright, whoa, whoa, it's alright, everything's be alright. I hate, I really don't, I, I really don't like that, that's, that's very dumb. Or the merry-go-round, it's corny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's, it at least, it at least get, it at least sticks in my mind better than the first opening. Oh yeah, it does. For season five. Mm-hmm. But visually, though, th- this this misrepresents the season so bad. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Because, sure, you may think on one hand it shows off uh, Deku, Bakugo, and Todoroki. Which, yes, they will be featured for half the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. But they take up like three-fourths of the entire yeah. opening. <laughs> You just know there's going to be stuff going on with uh, 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 Shigaraki somewhere and, like, some long-nosed businessman. Yeah, they sprinkle in little hints about the League and some other guys. But, but... that shit's also, like, the other half of, like, the final half, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, were they afraid of spoilers or something? Who fucking cares? Yeah, you already showed them anyway. You already spoiled, like, all like what was going to be happening, like, later on in, like, the first opening for the series <laughs> during, like, the Class 1A and 1B clash. It's like, all of a sudden, you, like, get cold feet with this old opening... Or as we will, or as we will explain later, this this there, there honestly should have been a third opening. It should have been. There should have been. Yeah. From a purely creative stance. Yes. But we but we will get to that. We'll get to later that later on. <laughs> we we we're saving up for like we are almost there, folks. Yeah. The big thorn in our paw. Yeah, like I will say this: the Endeavor Agency arc and where it's presented in the anime is pretty much the equivalent of having to finish your vegetables before getting that dessert you've been dying to eat. Like, nope, no, no leaky-weaky until you finish your Endeavor Broccoli. You see, the magic of when you're writing a manga, though, is that you don't need to follow those rules, which is why, like, Horikoshi... <laughs> he's a fucking G. <laughs> he, he's like me. He, he goes immediately for the dessert before all else. No, he's the kind who has dessert with breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I respect that. But anyway, let's let's finally get into the Endeavor Agency arc. Yeah, but, yeah, it's around this point where we have more of the Hawks doing the sneaky-sneaky shit. And we also have a bit where he's, uh... Chanting with Dobby to, like, he prove his loyalty, and then it leads to a scene with uh, him and Best Genist, which implies that he, that Hawks may be the reason that uh, Genist went missing. But uh, that's all we get for this point in the series right now. But anyway, Deku, Bakugo, and Todoroki are, go into the work-study internship. I don't know what term they use. It's all very confusing. I mean, no, 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 no. Like, I, I've, I've now, like, probably... I, I, fi- I think I will finally concede on this. It's, like, fine. We'll call it work-study. Okay. You know, you know what I think it is? I think it's just... I think it's a translation thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe in Japan, like, job shadowing is just called internships, and, like, internships that we call over here are just... It translates as work-study. Mm-hmm. So, maybe it is... Maybe it is just that I'm going with that forward unless someone cor- out there corrects me. Please do if you want to. Okay. <laughs> But for now, yeah, they're 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 re- they're booting. UA is booting up the work studies again. Yes, and uh, our three musketeers here are with Endeavor's agency as. Endeavor- oh, and they're mandatory. Yeah, <laughs> and 
And uh, Endeavor just wanted to have his son Shoto with him, but uh, Shoto wanted uh, Deku and Bakugo to join up with him. So Endeavor's all like, fine, I'll train your damn wiener friends too, Shoto. We better keep up. And he just tells uh, Deku and Bakugo to try to keep up with them. And uh, keep up they do. They are able to subdue this uh, one glass fan villain to kind of start off the arc here. And then Hawks shows up and he tells Endeavor all about this book. And again, like with the meetings before, the thing with Dobby before, all of this means so much more in the manga when we have the context of the arc that we should have had already. And like, you know, it's fine if you wanted to switch things around, but like, if you're going to do that, maybe cut the Hawk stuff and then show it later. Or like, you can imply that it's happening and then flesh it out later. Could you have put this anywhere else around here? Like, don't have Hawks meet up and talk with people and talk about this meta army when we don't know what any of this is yet and hint at a bigger plan when we don't know what the first plan was. Right. And like the bit with the uh, Metal Liberation book, it shows that... Uh, Hawks is uh, giving Endeavor, he's like giving Endeavor a message, but he can't outright say it. And then we get Endeavor cracking the code about an army, and it's like, what army? Like, what army? Like, what? Like, hundred, hundreds, hundred thousand? Like, total destruction of Japan? Four months? What's what's all this? It's like, because you know, yeah, Hawks gives him, gives him like some political literature and he's like read the highlighted parts those are really good wink wink <laughs> yeah and also every second word too wink and then endeavor goes back to his office and he's like reading it and he's like what the he's he's trying to send out a message like what like an army's being built up evil <laughs> league of villains what is going on and then as we're sitting there watching it we're like yeah what the fuck is going yeah. on please tell us endeavor <laughs> <laughs> like they easily could have had Hawks give Endeavor the book, and then don't show that part, like, save it for later. But they just show the whole scene. Well, because then, well, then it immediately, well, then, well, then you wouldn't understand as to why Endeavor then takes in Deku and Bakugo, and even bothers to do that still. Yeah. Because he realizes, like, oh, bad shit is on the way. The villains are planning. these kids. I need to train these kids up. Well, there's also the other, um, fucked up angle that isn't really interrogated enough, I think. Or rather, I think there should be more protest to it. <laughs> knowing that some of these are caring, loving characters. But, like, the teachers at UA discuss the whole decision to uh, make the work studies mandatory, which is that the Hero Commission is basically making this mandatory because they're trying to expedite, in a way, like, to have, to have more heroes out in the world to fight in a future conflict that may be on the rise. So you've got the so you've got the characters like touching upon this point. Some of the teachers kind of bring up this point and how fucked it is that the hero commit that the hero safety commission is effectively fielding child soldiers at this point. Yeah, they're they're trying they're trying to get as many students out there in like the in like the working world or at least able to contribute to the world of heroes, even just on like a work study basis, just so that they have more. Soldiers, basically. Yeah, more bodies on the front line. To, like, combat with, like, this rising evil that is coming up. I think characters should maybe talk about this maybe a little more. Maybe talk about the ethics of this. Want to maybe tell the students this? <laughs> yeah. You just don't tell anyone about it? No. This, like, kids think this I is I don't know. This, this gets to me. That, like, none of the teachers tell the students about this. That, like, there's some, like, bad shit on the way. I isn't there, like, some ethical decision that you should tell them that, like, some bad shit's on the way? And we need to tell you, we need to train you about what's coming up, or you should maybe have a choice in any of this. 
this never really gets interrogated. Yeah. To like, my knowledge. Like, they easily could have done the whole thing, like, you know, in DBZ where Trunks warns everyone about the androids, like, say, hey, like, hey, some big shit's happening in the future, we need to get you guys ready. And I'm sure, like, looking at these characters... Well, he also this... had the excuse of time travel yeah, and time not, travel, not yeah. fucking with the time yeah, stream. Yeah, still, knowing ahead of time that something's gonna happen. It's but... just knowing these teachers and, the and like, their character and what they are and, like, how they're good people. They're supposed to be good people, but they all they do is just sit there and be like, well, I'll do it, but I won't like it. <laughs> And also, like, knowing these kids, I'm sure if the teachers told them, they would have been alright with it. Well, I they guess... They might have had questions of it, but... Like, I guess maybe there's the one angle that technically the teachers are also not being told yet about this massive war that's coming up, so they wouldn't even be able to, because they're also being left in the dark. Yeah, uh, okay. And Endeavor... Endeavor is Endeavor. He's... Yeah, he's doing his thing. He, he, he will probably just follow orders. Yeah. Because <laughs> he hears, like, what fucking like army of 100,000 is on the way japan destroyed he it would probably freak him out yeah and think like okay maybe uh, like hey number one hero he has to be ready for everything right right he probably thinks number one hero well i gotta make i too also have to make tough decisions and one of those decisions is lying to my son and his friends about like an <laughs> oncoming conflict yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, for all the char good character stuff in this arc with Endeavor, he still manages to be a bad dad. <laughs> and he doesn't warn his fucking son. And this time he's unaware of it. Yeah, and does not warn his fucking son about a war to come. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so. Endeavor realizes that bad shit is on the way, and so he decides to take in Todoroki. He's, he's, he decides to not only train Shoto, but also Deku and Bakugo for conflicts to come. Yep. And Deku and Bakugo want to join in on this because they're like, well, he's a shitty person, but he's also the number one hero, and he he has the skills to pay the bills, so mm -hmm. we might as well learn from the best. Yeah, got to be a sponge with this guy. Yes. And hey, since we're joining Endeavor's agency, that means we get to meet all of his sidekicks, including Burnin, played here by Lisa Ortiz. Yep, Burnin, actually the, uh, I think, like, number one sidekick out there in yep. the hero world. And a character that is just... Won my heart the first time I saw her. I love Vernon. <laughs> Welcome to the Endeavor Agency. Call us the Flaming Sidekickers! Holy whoa, it's the famous sidekick Vernon! First work steady for two of you, huh? We'll get you whipped into shape in no time here. You're gonna learn a lot. This agency is totally different than the classroom you're used to. This is a gigantic operation. We've got more than 30 sidekicks employed. In other words, you're gonna have to work hard to shine here. Sorry. You don't say. So we'll just have to beat the pros at their own game. You can try. She is very likable. She's she... very likable, like a very feisty, fun attitude. I love her striking design with the green hair looking like flames. Oh, she has a really good design to herself. But also just kind of shitty to, like, the, the new interns. I love how, like, during their training, she just, like, pops in to, like, give snide comments to, like, each of the kids. Like, oh, you're never gonna catch Endeavor today. You gotta work a lot harder, interns. This is the hero world you're in now. And Baka goes all like, why are you even here? And she's all like, I'm a sidekick, honey. I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, she's got a good shit-eating attitude, and I like it. And I love the shot where, like, she gets all up in Bakugo's face, and Bakugo's got, like, this smug look on his face where he's going, like, this chick's serious. <laughs> but I love Burnin. She's burn -rific. I I want Burnin merch. You know, you talk about Fukudashi merch. I want Burnin merch. There's not any, and I need some. I mean, she, she, I mean... I mean, look at her design. She will be a statue at some point. She will be. She a license to print money. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you all should already know by these My Hero episodes, that I am a big, massive Midnight fan. But Burnin', she's worked her way up in my heart. 
especially considering other events. <laughs> An opening comes up later. An opening comes up later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, we get uh, some training time with uh, the boys in Endeavor here. And what does everyone want to learn? Dekigo wants to learn how to control Black Whip and any of the other powers that may pop up. Bakugo wants to figure out any weaknesses he may have. And Todoroki wants to learn everything he can from his pops, but he wants to be a hero. Not like him. He wants to be more like All Might. So, suck it, daddy <laughs> But I like that. He's like, I want to be a top hero. Like your rival. <laughs> like, he's a real hero. <laughs> but I will say, like, these uh, training sequences that we get around here, like, they're actually pretty fun. You know, like the one where Endeavor's just going through a typical day of hero work and the boys are just trying to keep up. And during this, Endeavor does sprinkle in little nuggets of advice as he's going from baddie to baddie trying to, like, save the day. And overall, does actually manage to give good advice to all of them. Yeah, one in particular where he can, gives, like, a really great analogy comparing doing hero work to driving. Like, you gotta learn each step individually, but then you need to put everything you learn together and make it second nature. Like, you gotta learn how to do multiple things all at once and make it as simple as breathing. Wow, Endeavor, you can actually do this teaching thing. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a, a good teacher within all those uh, flames and uh, parental abuse. We're not going to dwell on this too much, but i got to bring this up because it's also kind of another thorn at this point in the series. Uh, are we at the good stuff yet? Nope, you got to tie in episode for the movie. Uh... Just, come on, one more big kid bite of your veggies before you get to the, your villain dessert. Okay, so, but we might as well just explain, yeah, the rest of Class 1A is also off doing internships with other heroes. Funny enough, Ida still went back to manual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's a very normal hero, but... Hey, like, whatever, like... He, he knows him, he can he probably work with him. But hey, manual... But I like that, like, they don't shit-talk manual, though. Like, he may be he may be a pretty... He may be pretty normal as far as heroes go, but you can still learn something from him. You know, maybe mid, but mid gets the job done sometimes. Yeah, you can learn from mid sometimes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, many of them are, like, now learning from, like, actual pro heroes out there. And this one is more focused on the uh, girls of 1A and uh, Hado, basically working with, like, Selkie and his group again. Okay, let's get this out of the way quick. Because this episode also pissed me off. Yeah, like, I, I'm not really going to re recap it. Like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fine by me. But, yeah, this is just an episode relating pretty much to the third movie, which aired around the time of the season coming out. It is, ju it is just an excuse to uh, throw in some filler that was never needed in the series to begin with, and may have also actively, like, been detrimental to the overall pacing of the season. Yeah, and also... With in addition to the first episode that this season started off with. Yeah. And and it, and it only... And the only other thing it serves is to just put uh, female characters in swimsuits. Yep, a beach episode. Beach episode. Yep, that, that's it. That's it, that's it. You get that. The big subject about this episode, the third My Hero Academia movie... Like, that's a whole nother can of worms, which we'll cover sometime in the future before we get to season six. I will, I will say this now. In short, while I liked it all right at the time, my opinion on it has began to sour since then, considering how it existing may have a bit of an effect on what we're seeing here. Uh, do we know that for sure, though? No, but... Would the studio ever admit to that? Probably not. So, yeah, only pure speculation. Pure speculation, but, uh, you know, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. What do you got? And it also wasn't good. Yeah, it was... <laughs> you, want, you want to know mid? That is mid-ass fuck. A lot of effort put in that movie for something very mediocre. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say for the third My Hero movie for now. Yeah, we'll get to that before season six. Who's ready for some more Todoroki family drama? <laughs> I am. 
as a Shoto sister, Fuyumi wants to have a nice family dinner with uh, Deku and Bakugo taking along for fun, too. And I do love Bakugo's reaction to the whole this whole thing, where, like, they arrive at the Todoroki house, he's like, What the crap? And then uh, Todoroki goes, My sister invited everyone to dinner. And he goes, Why the crap? <laughs> like, I, I like that. <laughs> so, like, him being all stroppy kind of adds a little bit of levity to, the, to this whole situation right here. But no, then we actually start to get some... Yeah, we do get into family drama now with the... The to with the uh, Todoroki family, but you know what? It's good drama. It is good drama, as you know, like they want to have a nice dinner, but they can't because Endeavor and Natsuo just can't be in the same room together. Like, there's just way too many hard feelings between these two, especially on Natsuo's end. And now that we're well into it now, what is the overall feeling on like a uh, family drama with Endeavor? Because, like, this was actually a very controversial part of the series when it first aired because Endeavor himself is a very controversial character. I don't actually recall the controversy. Well, like, you know, Endeavor is a asshole, abusive dad. And it's like, how him. it's like how do you reform his image or, or portray, like, this, like, shitty dad character who was, who really went up and beyond to be shitty. Yeah, and, like, people are wondering, are a little hesitant on seeing him get reformed because of what he did. Like, the idea of him being reformed. I think it goes in the right direction in that it at least takes it very, very slowly and carefully. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Like, that is the one thing I will give to this. Like, Endeavor, he's a piece of shit, but, like, they're really doing this actually pretty delicately. Yeah, they're showing that he is actually trying, but it's also really hard for Shoto and Natsuo to accept that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's really hard for them to, look to like, you know, just shelf the trauma that they had because that is still very much alive in their lives. Yeah. That's never gonna leave. Mm -hmm. And nothing... Nothing that Endeavor does is really going to change that. It's shown to be a, it, it's shown to be just as dicey as like the as like it, it's actually meant to be portrayed. And also the fact that you know Endeavor, like as as a viewer, Endeavor, he's a bastard, and like watch them go through this whole series of events to try to atone for these past sins. It's really good storytelling. Like I don't expect to forgive him, and I probably won't forgive him, but I really want to see him go through this because he needs this, and like him going through this will benefit others more so than like him being forgiven it is good to, it is good to character development it is quite good because the the because like the dinner just falls apart mm -hmm. like not so cannot stand to be around uh his father at all so he just walks away yeah and like you even have moments where endeavor is trying to like learn more about his son but like not so is just shutting him out and for good reason too mm -hmm. so it's like in a way they're both kind of right but not so is kind of more right but it's like yeah endeavor can't really just waltz in and try to like expect things to go well it's like what you just expected to like walk in and all of a sudden be a good dad yeah it doesn't work it doesn't work like that no it doesn't you gotta work with the son and even shoto like overall per agrees with natsuo as well but then taku also tells todoroki tells shoto listen shoto i don't want to put myself in between like i don't want i don't want to put myself into your family troubles but i th i know that you are a really nice person and i think somewhere inside you you do want to forgive your father but, like, that is something you're going to have to, like, come to or, like, face with mm -hmm. eventually. I'm not saying you need to forgive your father. You have no reason to whatsoever. You absolutely feel right in that. But I know you are a good, but I know that deep down you are a good person. And I think, you know, on some level your dad is trying, so. And I like how they add that. Like, they make sure to tell them, like, you don't have to forgive him. But maybe this could be something that you could work out to, like, maybe help yourself move on. Yes. 
Like maybe you can also move on from this if you also like work with it. You know, bury the hatchet in some way, shape, or form so that doesn't affect you emotionally and mentally in the future again. Right. And also we learn more about this missing brother Toya as we see Endeavor praying at a family altar set up for him. Put two and two together right here. You got a dead son. Yep. Like this was quite the revelation when I first when I first saw this in the manga because at the same time, I remember back when we did our uh, season two episode and we were talking about Todoroki's backstory and like the whole thing with, with Endeavor. I think I I want to say I said I asked something along the lines of, "What if there were like other kids that came before Shoto?" And lo and behold, there was another kid, and he's gone now. Yep. So I thought like, "Oh, okay, this is interesting." But then I thought about it more, and then I thought. Oh, this will get more interesting later on. Right, right. It's 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 a big setup for later. <laughs> yeah, like if you at home can do some detective work, you can figure it out, and I'm sure you'll like it. Yeah, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, put a pin in that for now. But uh, looking ahead at season six, I can 100% say we will get that moment definitely. But yeah, Shoto is not the only tragedy in the Todoroki family. Yeah. So anyway, our heroes then run afoul of some released villain who wants revenge on Endeavor. And he does this by taking Natsuo hostage, and on top of this, the baddies using the quirk-enhancing drugs to, like, uh, give himself a bit of a boost to go one-on-one with, with Endeavor. How did this guy get out of jail? I think he was just released regularly. Did they take a look at him? Yeah, do you think... And the way he mutters to himself? Do you think maybe you shouldn't, uh, maybe you should give him a longer sentence? You think maybe you should have, uh, put some rehabilitation in that prison time? At all? No, you're just gonna leave him locked up? This is weird. <laughs> it's this kind of shit, and it's... So this is the villain ending. <laughs> and I, when I was going through this again, I, literally, I I began to think, was this guy necessary? Not really, but you needed to put Natsuo in danger, so I guess. Well, you also needed a villain for, like, the interns to, like, take down, I guess, to, you know, uh, to do, to just do, to complete the task that Endeavor sets out for them. To show that they are learning from him and that they can kind of surpass him in some way. Right, right. It kind of only serves that purpose, but it's also just an arbitrary way to do more, to, like, push Endeavor towards his kid. I don't like this. I kind of don't like this. It feels like this could have been a more prevalent part of the Endeavor arc, but it was just kind of, it ended quickly before it started. I guess, I guess you could say that this villain ending... Who well like to, to like bring it all back to like the point this 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 former villain that uh, Endeavor faced named Ending who has the power to control white lines yeah lines he can he can pull up and summon white lines on streets and control them like tentacles I guess the one point I could say about this villain is that this is a villain who only who only ever understood the old Endeavor who was like brutal and hard and tough and probably. Probably would have burned an enemy to burned and burn a foe to death. Yeah, because he wants to be killed by him. That, that's his goal here. He wants to be killed by him. He wants to really push him over the edge and get him to kill him, you know. Because he's just obsessed with uh, Endeavor and, like, thinks that... What's his motivation again? He thinks that, like, Endeavor will, like, will fucking become, like, the fire that will ignite the, the future or something. I guess. Something he sees like some kind of prophecy. Some catalyst for the future. Man. Yeah, like, he will be some kind of catalyst for the future that, like... Like and I don't know, maybe like Endeavor will fuck up the future and like I I don't maybe know. Like his death will be will like set certain events coming down the line or something. Something like that. Ending's motivations are not really well understood. 
But I guess there is, like, a good angle there in that, like, he only ever knew the old Endeavor, but, like, this is the new Endeavor who actually wants to care about his family. Yeah. So, ending capturing Natsuo and using him as a body shield, that is going to bring out the new Endeavor who actually cares about his family, whereas the old one probably would have... Probably would have, like, taken a shot, like, at an, at an ending. And he probably wouldn't have hit Natsuo, but he would have, like, yeah, like, damaged the relationship even further. Like, taking that unnecessary risk. Yes. But no, Endeavor uh, hesitates, and that allows for uh, Shoto and Deku and Bakugo to come in and take out ending. I do like... All of them demonstrating the new skills they learned. I do like how... Uh... Endeavor's driver launches their gear out of the trunk of the car. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, you just set that up for any kind of conflict? Yeah, like, just do some, like, Iron Man shit with your gear right here. Yeah, whatever. It's, it looks cool. It looks cool. It looks cool. And, you know, they were able to, like, uh, catch a villain faster than Endeavor did, so that and that was one of the tasks he set up with them, so they were able to do that. But Endeavor also has a re finally, like, has a realization where it's, like, it's almost like that sort of, like, it's kind of like when someone comes upon a realization when it's, like, what's the what's an analogy I can use for this? It's like a shoot the kid moment. <laughs> Someone puts a gun in your hand and tells you, shoot that kid. And then you just say, no, I'm not going to shoot a kid. Shooting is wrong. That's evil. So Endeavor has that little moment where like, he finally, he kind of, he kind of sits there in the middle of the road having like completely hesitated and did nothing in this fight whatsoever to help Natsuo because he, it would have meant endangering his life. And he kind of realizes, oh shit. I almost lost my son, and these kids helped me. I'm so grateful. And he embraces Natsuo. Yeah. I just realized, people die when they are killed. <laughs> <laughs> he finally has, like, a real fatherly moment where he embraces Natsuo and is so grateful that there were kind people in his life who helped him. Natsuo, he's in disbelief that his father even cared enough that he didn't even hesitate once to take out the villain. And, you know, like, and he's actually embracing him now. And Natsuo, he's pushing back. He's all like, no, like, this this isn't the real you. You're just you're just acting like this. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't the real you. Because, like, he's also in disbelief. He doesn't yeah. want to... He, he's in he's in conflict in his head that his dad could ever be anything like this, more. This moment here breaks his perception that he's had of Endeavor for so long, ever since childhood. And Endeavor, likewise, is saying, like, I'm going to try to be better, son. I'm going to try to be better. Also, I gotta bring up this uh, pretty good line that fully encapsulates Endeavor's arc right here, where he says, I don't want forgiveness. I, I want to atone. Like, that's it right there. That's yeah. good. And also, like, not so. He, like, he doesn't outright forgive him at this moment. Like, you know. It's still gonna be a long road ahead for recovery yeah, for the Todoroki like, family. I would feel in a lesser series, that would have been the moment where, like, they, he does a 180 and says, like, I love you, daddy. But, like, here he's all like, no. That would have been a scene in Fairy Tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see that being a scene in Fairy Tale. <laughs> Father, you abused us for years, and, like, you burned my brother and killed one of my brothers. But, like, you know, that, that hug moment, like, that really proved to me that you're just a nice person now. Daddy, father, son, boy, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I do appreciate that right here. You know, he's still got to work for it. And then, yeah, Endeavor does take the next step in his uh, atonement as he is going to build a new house for his uh, wife and kids to live in. And he is going to stay alone in the old house just so he can stew, like, in his own thoughts. And also, to make sure his family is at their happiest, he can't be around. And to give them their distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's had these... Uh, like, the healing process is beginning, but... A better step, but a better step, and to, to really show he's serious, he wants to, he wants to grant his family a safe space 
to recover to recover in right and also it relates to these dreams that he's been having where he witnesses his wife and three children you know sitting at the dinner, dinner table like laughing and having a good time and he's not there and he feels like i think that's it right there that's the key i'm the problem i can't be around them anymore i'm just like ah it's good this was good endeavor content this was good family conflict writing mm-hmm. this was nice this is good if he truly cares he will stay away i i still think you maybe still could have done all this maybe without ending just because there wasn't too much to the character but like whatever he served his purpose like it still clicks all together in the end i think mm-hmm. it still all relatively works that said i know endeavor was offering to give them a new place to live and to like i have a new house built because like there's there's so many bad memories in like the current house and it's hard to live in that you know so give the family a new safe space on the, on the other hand another way i could have seen it was just like couldn't he have just like <laughs> Left and got, like, a studio apartment get for himself. Or, like, get a hotel or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's Endeavor. Like, his money's good. Like, he doesn't have to pay for anything. Yeah, he could just get, like, a nice uh, studio apartment with, like, a race car bed. Yeah. And just, like... <laughs> I sleep in a racing car, do you? <laughs> I sleep in a big bed with Doria's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Endeavor Van Houten. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, what's going on? Patio party? <laughs> he's just got like the old wife beater in the yeah. boxers. And he's like eating chintzy pop and he's all like playing video poker. And he's like, oh, one day I'll hear the winning music. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, do not eat that popcorn. Most of it is baby teeth. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, saying Endeavor. You could have just also given yourself like the studio apartment treatment. Come on, go full on Move Bachelor. Out. Yeah. <laughs> But then he, like, goes to sleep at night and he's crying over his family, like, Oh, Shoto! Oh, Natsuo! Who you mean? I am burning, at Disneyland. Burning has to, like, barge into the apartment one day, like, pull him back into work, and, like, he's just eating a can of beans, yeah. and he's like, Please don't tell the others I've lived this way. <laughs> he has, a, maybe he has a car and he, like, crashes it, like, uh, Buck Strickland. <laughs> oh i never expected us to get so many laughs out of endeavor of all yeah characters. like this is like this super serious guy who's not turning into a big sad man i know we just talked about all the serious shit and we just immediately like followed up with endeavor van houten yeah like we were praising him and then we just completely buried him. we just immediately have to ruin the moment <laughs> by launching into a simpsons bit yeah but uh we're, we're kind of playing both sides here we're playing the side who wants to see endeavor get redeemed and the side who hates endeavor <laughs> so it's for everyone yeah <laughs> no but now 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 is coming the main course yeah we're getting a little bit there i got a few more housekeeping bits to get to as uh, everyone's back at school for a new semester and I, I gotta mention this bit here where like uh all might is now teaching the class for the day and he's all like i am here the symbol of sweets and he's making cotton candy and everyone's just sandbagging him it's like i put all my might into this one gag and you're ignoring it hey come on i'm i'm, I'm, I'm making cotton candy here i'm doing my bit like come on kids i'm trying to be the cool teacher here come on look at me all might Throw me a bone. (laughs) Come on, look at me, All Might, with a lolly. You know what I would have killed for if I could get cotton candy in class by my teacher growing (laughs) up? Fucking ungrateful 1A kids. Yeah, these kids are like, no, we want to train. Like, bullshit. Come on, eat the cotton candy. Eat it. Eat it. (laughs) Eat it, you won't. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the reason why All Might is uh, substituting for the day is because Aizawa and Present Mike are heading to Tartarus to meet an old friend. 
And this leads to a massive reveal that Kurigiri, you know, Shigaraki's number two, is actually a high-powered Nomu created using the corpse of their school friend named Oboro Shirakumo. Holy shit. Now, I guess I should maybe explain here just a little bit of, like, side content. Uh, yeah, we, we finally find out during this during this segment of the story that Aizawa and President Mike uh, both had a friend in high school. They both went to UA when they were kids, named uh, Oboro. And this whole relationship was actually elaborated on in the Vigilante's uh, side manga. The reason why he hasn't been talked about up until now... <laughs> Well, the long and short of it is, um, uh, Aizawa and Pre- uh, Eraserhead and Present Mike, they were doing, and, and Obero. I might as well, I might as well just explain this, because, like, they don't actually explain it here. Yeah. Obero's quirk was cloud. He could create clouds. That's his power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a Sun Wukong gimmick, you know, riding on a cloud, like, Sun Goku. Yeah. Like, that was cool and stuff. The three of them interned under, uh, Midnight's agency that she was doing her work study under. Uh, their teacher was Prince. Yes. <laughs> Prince. Let's go crazy. Was, is a hero. <laughs> canonically. <laughs> in My Hero Academia. And Aizawa, of all people, and present Mike and Midnight and their friend Obro, interned under Prince and his hero agency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they were facing a villain one day and some rubble like fell and Obro got killed. It was it was a very quick abrupt death, but like and it stuck with Aizawa ever since. But now we're getting the reveal that um, Kuragiri here is is actually exhibiting traits of Obero. Yeah, because Nomu they are made of corpses to substitute for the body, and depending on like the level of like power the Nomu has, like it could still retain some of the traits from their past lives, like the high end Nomu that uh, Endeavor and Hawks fought still had uh, remnants of, like, his old underground fighter life. So, like, maybe with another high-end, like, uh, Kurugiri, you can probably find Oboro within him. Well, I think, I think, well, well no, I think the uh, the evidence they use in the end is that, like, they were studying his quirk, and they figured out that, like, his quirk, his warp gate, is actually a hodgepodge of other quirks that were, like, Frankenstein together to be created. But they pinpoint, but scientists were able to pinpoint what his original quirk was, which was Obero's cloud quirk, which, you know, I guess ties in with, like, why he has such a cloudy-looking, smoky appearance and mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, it was the quirk that gave him away. And that's why it, they called in... It was, he was originally Obero. Yep, and that's why they called in Aizawa and President Mike specifically, because they're his two best friends. And also, the and also the cops have been trying to get information out of him, and Kuragiri just isn't saying anything. Like, all he's saying is, I will protect Tomoro Shigaraki. Where's Tomoto Shigaraki? Like, he just shuts down mentally when questions start coming in. Mm-hmm. Almost almost like it's been trained into his head. Like, he can only talk about Shigaraki. And then we get a scene here where, like, Aizawa and Mike are trying to get anything, any remnant of their friend out of Kurigiri and also trying to get more information on, like, the League and, any, and like, where these Nomus even came from. So, at the very end, a little bit of Shirakumo pops in and you just hear... It was in the hospital, and that's it. And, like, we also have a real great line read right here where uh, Mike's all like, are your eyes okay? Because Aizawa was using his quirk to, like, uh, make sure Kurigiri didn't warp or anything like that. And then he goes, like, yeah, just a little dry, and you just see a tear roll down his cheek. Uh, Like, it's like, oh, it's really good. 
I know Aizawa has a re- Aizawa's moment here is really strong. It really is. It really shows just how like how far he's like come like you know wanting to go really far for his like students and really train in the next generation, but also how he really wished he could have had his like one friend there to be like doing it along with him. Yeah, and also like his friend dying and like they call they relate it back to the whole thing back in the start of the series where he expelled his previous class. Like he sets these high standards for these kids because he wants to make sure. They really want to be heroes because he doesn't want anyone lesser dying under his watch. Because he only wants to bring in a breed of world, a breed of hero in this world on a, on par with Obero. Mm-hmm. Like that's really good. Ah, strong, strong Aizawa moment. Like the first time I read that in the manga, I was all like, "Man, that's so good." Oh, very strong. But now Kuragiri, they they only get the they only get those scant words out of him before he just shuts back down again. Mm-hmm. I think the time has come. Is it time? I think it's time. Is it is it time for liberation? It's time for liberation. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about big stuff so far in My Hero Academia. A lot has happened. Yeah, so I think when we come back, we will talk all about My Villain Academia. Stick around. <laughs> This mission as though lives are on the line. Be careful! Something's headed your direction! Prepare to be murdered! <laughs> Even if it's Class 1A. Today, I'm your enemy. Fight me! Versus Class 1B. Come on, Class A! Let's see who's best once and for all! This'll be good. Class A always seems to come through in a pinch. Talk about rotten luck! Hope I don't die! I'm counting on you guys to keep me safe! But Class B has been steadily on the rise. Here we go! Let the rivalry begin. Obviously you underestimate us. There you are! We've been looking forward to this! Who you got? Meet my roaring rage! My Hero Academia, Season 5. Premiere Saturday at 12.30. Hey, look at that! You saved me! Yay! Only Toonami on Adult Swim. Drag you down and sell you out. Run. 
let's finally get into that arc. The arc we've been dying to see all season. As it's time for the heroes to step aside as My Hero Academia becomes My Villain Academia. Or My Leaky Weaky Academia. <laughs> When I when I finally saw what they were like when I finally saw that title like for the chapter My Villain Academia, I when I first saw that I was like, are they doing it? Are they doing it? Oh my god, are they actually doing an arc from the perspective of the villains? Dude, most shonen don't do this. No, no, they don't care enough about their villains to dedicate an entire arc to them. Like, do you think DBZ would have done a whole arc on Frieza? No. I mean, most shonens just give flashbacks to the villains. Yeah. that's about all they That's get. All you need. That's all you need to like give them sympathy, you know. But wow, we're actually now dedicating an entire arc to the league. I'm so in. I'm all in for this. Like this was a massive deal, because for one whole arc, we don't get Deku or any of the other heroes. It's all about the baddies and what they're doing right now. And they've been very silent up until now. They have not made any like big moves since uh, they trashed. Uh, Shie Saikai. Yeah, like, that was the last thing they did. And also, uh, Shigaraki pulling that one last, uh, fuck you to overhaul. Mm-hmm. This was a big deal. Like, when, going into this season, like, I was looking forward to this part the most because, spoiler alert, this is probably one of my favorite arcs in all of My Hero Academia. I mean, this is actually my favorite arc in all of My Hero Academia. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so, so good. This was a high watermark for the series, for me at least. I think some people could argue it's not the best arc, which I can maybe understand some perspectives on that. Yeah, like, maybe you prefer to, like, focus more on the heroes and maybe the villains aren't really your cup of tea. I would even be open to the idea that other arcs are aesthetically better, like, element, like all the elements just click together way better than this one. You know, maybe, like, sport, you love the sports festival or you love the whole thing with uh, All for One in a Kamino. I just want to say right now that I might be expressing bias here. <laughs> I mean, we're But it far. is my person... But to my personal opinion, according to what I like and stuff, I, I this is my absolute favorite arc in all of My Hero Academia. It's just loaded to the gills with fantastic and memorable moments. And also it was just a big game changer for the series as a whole. And I'm also going to be doing, <laughs> and to maintain my excitement, I'm going to be doing something that I've not really done before in another podcast. You won't be able to see this. Because it will be all be in my head. But I will be visualizing the manga and what happened in that. <laughs> yeah. To maintain my excitement for events. Because I do... I, I want to maintain my love for this arc. This will all make sense. Yeah, because uh, while we love the manga, the anime, it's a letdown. Like, for this part of the season. Like, for, for whatever reason, you know, whether it was the movie or whether it was something as simple as, like, I don't know not having, losing money because of COVID or whatever. Like, for whatever reason, Bones and the production just couldn't keep up with it. Like, I'm sure they did their best, but just, it was probably just too much for them to handle, for whatever reason. Well, I, I push back against that idea. I don't think it was out of their hands or anything. I think it's just, like, a matter of, like, planning or something. Because, I don't know, should we, maybe I should give an example first. Just to set things up. I'd like to start off by just giving an example of, like, how it's already, like, fucked up from the beginning. Yes. So, allow me to explain what happened in the manga somewhere roughly around this point. In the manga, you get introduced to a tech CEO uh, in charge of a company called uh, Detnerit, which is, of course, the word talented backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's a company that sells uh, quality of life uh, products to 
uh, those with quirks out there. Do you have, like, uh, disability issues, like, with your quirk or something? Can you not get around as much? Is, are there just products out there just not made for you that, like, you wish you could be made for you to, like, you know, better fit, like, your mutations or, like, how your quirk fits? Well, Detnerit is for you. They actually make products for people who look different because of their quirks. And they, and they are shown to be a very uh, benevolent company. Uh, headed by a long-nosed uh, uh, CEO named Rikia Yotsubashi. And we see and we see him like in his office talking with his assistant and uh, the, you know they're talking about how well like the new commercial went and like how he was starring and that and like they're 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 talking through things and like his assistant's like wow my boss is so nice he's kind of a pushover and it's like and then like he sees he sees that meta liberation book that Hawks was hawking before that you saw earlier being sold here I think this is actually the first time we see it in the story the assistant sees Rikia's book there and he says wow that's that red that's that radical book by that one revolutionary guy destro who is like putting out writings about there about how quirk users should have free use of their quirks and that no laws should restrict them and how they use them whether it be for their own benefit or to like defend themselves wow that's no one really reads that anymore that's 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 like <laughs> that's like really dangerous political thought out too there. Too radical for our mindset right now. Yeah, and also the writing in it—it it was kind of crappy, wasn't it? <laughs> Not good writer. I mean, man, it was just a snooze fest. <laughs> <laughs> this CEO guy who up who up to this point has been shown as nothing but a very nice guy and a pushover, then like goes over his to assistant, puts his arm around him, like, "Hey, buddy, uh, did your mom die last year? Yeah, and do you live alone? Uh, yeah, like, what's that all about?" Yeah, you really shouldn't have said that. And then snaps his fucking neck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will not have anyone dis like disavow the words of my glorious leader. <laughs> and then we and then we start to get filled in that out there in the world there are people who believe in this radical ideology of meta liberation that those who have quirks should have free use of them no matter what. That like it's like quirk anarchy basically. Yes. Like, no government or entity out there should ever tell you how to use your quirk or what you should use it for. That is, that is your, your choice and only yours. And this idea worked its way into the mind of a very powerful CEO who has access to lots of money. And that over the years, there have been musings that a, that a secret movement has been building up out there of people who, are, who want to do something about that. And achieve that ideal that was set out by Destro, and we and we see like the full, and we start to see unfold the full breadth of this conspiracy that is unfolding before our eyes. That somewhere out there is a man named Rikia Yotsubashi, and he has a cabal of other very powerful people who are all plotting to like achieve this goal. And and he straight up says to his like sympathizers there, his lieutenants. We will achieve this goal of metal liberation one day. We will achieve full freedom for all quirk users out there. For or for all meta ability users. Yeah, because they don't use the word quirk. They use meta meta abilities or meta users. Yes. Because quirk is a term thought up by the government to downplay the uh powers of these abilities. Right, because they wanted to make they, they wanted to like lighten up the idea of these powers to the public and make people scare fear them less. Whereas like this group the Meta Liberation Army believes in the original use of the term. But to first achieve this goal, Rikia Yotsubashi, Redestro, 
tells his lieutenants, we first must get rid of the League of Villains. <laughs> for they are trying to vie for the future of this country, and we are the only ones who have claim to it. <laughs> there's only one for one, there's only room for one villain group in this world. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Eh? <laughs> well, not even villains. They don't even believe, believe they're villains. No. They believe they're righteous revolutionaries. <laughs> And they're gonna and they're gonna show like no, the, the country they shouldn't be caring about these fucking losers over here. These League of Villains, these cosplayers, <laughs> they should be caring. They should be fearing us. You want to see how we can really tear down this hero society? We'll show you how it's really done. We're gonna we are gonna put the League of Villains through the fucking ringer. <laughs> we are gonna show them how powerful we are. We are gonna drag them through the muck. And show this country who really needs to be feared. Who really needs to be taken seriously. Follow this up afterwards with the League of Villains. Killing racists. (laughs) (laughs) The League of Villains infiltrate a... uh, Basically, like, this world's version of the Ku Klux Klan. People in hoods who, like, hate uh, heteromorphs or mutants in the My Hero world. Or as Spinner narrates here, because I think Spinner's narrating. Yeah, Spinner has taken the narration role from uh, Deku. In in parts here, yeah. yeah, for this arc. But he says, yeah, mutant, that's actually a pretty bad word. Technically, we're all, technically we refer to ourselves as heteromorphs, but some people out there really fucking hate us and call us mutants. These, these quirk racists <laughs> are out there, and uh, there's going to be a lot less after tonight. By the way, Horikoshi is a big fan of the X-Men, can't you tell? <laughs> yeah, he is quite, he is, he is kind of. But yeah, all these racists are like, what are, what are these hoodlums doing in here? And this is all, like, offset by, like, a really funny bit where, like, Mr. Compress is like, oh, wow, there's some really good stuff here. We can sell this. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you taking our stuff? Oh, sorry, we're, we're on hard times, so we're just going to steal your stuff and kill all of you. <laughs> and they're like, no way we're going to let a bunch of, like, losers and this fucking mutant over here, like, overtake us. <laughs> And then Shikarachi's like, oh, well, too bad for you guys. And then they just proceed to, like, kill a whole bunch of racists. Murder them all. All of the League, except for Dobby, because he's a free agent, then kill a whole bunch of racists. And they make off with uh, their candelabrums and jewelry and whatever they can sell. The point here is that the League is officially now on hard times. Yep. Like, it's actually a really great opening to this arc where you see them all in, like, this abandoned mining site in an administrative, an, an abandoned administrative building. And they're just, like, shuffling through jewelry and Toga's like, ooh, I like this necklace. And Twice is like, it looks great on you. You're ugly! <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, after, like, after, like, everything has kind of settled, Spinner's like, what are we doing? We're the League of Villains. We were feared before. We had the whole country, like, grasp in fear. Like, when I got into this, I wanted to fight for Stain's ideals, and now we're just killing racists and, like, selling, pawning off their valuables. Like, we need to be better than this. Like, we need to actually do something. Shigaraki, what are we gonna do? Shigaraki, he's just like, I don't know. Like, I, I just know as somewhere out there that a benefactor of All for One had some kind of gift for me, but I don't know how to get in contact with him. And then... They then they hear a big crash outside, <laughs> and then this is where the anime then begins. This is where the anime begins. Yes, we pick up two months prior to the Endeavor stuff. We join up with Shigaraki and the League as they are in the mountains facing off against Gigantomachia, a big 
mountain of a man that was the former bodyguard of All for One. This is how it starts. I forgot all a bit about this on the first viewing, that we lost all that contact. Yeah. For this arc. The whole opening was cut out. Barely even referred to back later on. There's even, there's even like a bit where like, Mr. Compress is like, oh man, like, this, this all sucks. At least if we were allied with the Shia Hisaikai, we'd at least be eating sushi now. That gets called back later. Mm -hmm. That's out now. We don't have any context for that. <laughs> any way to call back to that. So this very important opening where we establish that there is a very credible group of evil people out there who have a lot of power and are now going to challenge the League of Villains. Are, and, and that, like, the League is, like, on, like, is now, like, on the ropes and could credibly be destroyed by any group out there. We lose all... We lost all this context. Yeah, all of that. All the of anime that, staff cut this out. Like, all of that could have been a full episode. Maybe two. Yes! It could have! And, gee... We had two episodes that were completely useless. <laughs> we couldn't have cut those other two filler episodes out? Like, okay. And explained this backstory? Like, even if you're going to keep the Selkie episode, don't make, don't add that to the episode count. Make that an OVA. This, this is important. This is, this, this was, I should have, I should have picked up on this originally. This is, this was a bad sign. Yeah. This was a really bad sign. Sign things come. There are roughly six episodes left of the series now. Yet, and only five of those are mostly on the villain arc, whereas the last one is just kind of an epilogue. Bad times are ahead, <laughs> <Yes>. people. <laughs> but you know what? We will try to still, going forward, we will still try to explain the arc as it, as it happens. Yeah, focusing on the My Villain Academia arc in general, not just the anime adaptation, like, in general, this story that Horikoshi told us. Right. So, the League is attacked by Gigantomachia. Yeah, and this is the big gift left by All for One, but uh, this guy, he's way too strong for them. Like, they can't all take him on at once. Yeah, he wipes out the League. He doesn't kill them, but he defeats them entirely. Mm -hmm. But then the League meets up with the Doctor. Look at this Dr. Eggman-looking guy right here. <laughs> he does. When I, was, when I first saw him in the manga, I straight up gave him Mike Pollock's voice. Oh, yeah, I read him with Mike Pollock's voice in mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like Eggman. He just has, like, he's big, big old baldy McNose hair right here. <laughs> God, could you imagine if they actually got Pollock for him? He would have done it. I oh. think he would have if he was available. But it would have been two on the nose. Two on the nose. Two on the nose. Yeah. Like, it, too distracting. Yeah. So, uh, Doc here, he wants the League to, to fight and tame Gigantomachia. That way, he can follow Shigaraki and be completely subservient to him. Well, it's not just that either. D uh, Dr. Daruma Ujiko here, which is his pseudonym. Uh, real name, Kyudai Garaki. Uh, I wait. I could have sworn he had another original name, but I think it was actually, like, the real-life name of a yeah, war yeah, criminal. A war criminal, and he had to change that, like, immediately in the next chapter. I don't remember what it was. I forgot I could, what it was I couldn't too. find it in my research. Yeah. But yes, this is Dr. Uh, Daruma Ujiko, who was the personal doctor and mad scientist of All for One. And he's not just cook, and he doesn't just have Gigantomachia offered to offer as well. He also has a bunch of new, new moves, no moves to give to Shigaraki, which were made in the image of the hood villain that was that Endeavor fought before. Yeah, the high end. Yes, these are yes, these are the high end no moves. And he wants to give them to Shigaraki. Keyword wants to. But he's got to earn it. Because <laughs> Shigaraki has been lacking lately. Yeah. He's done no training. He hasn't really proven himself. He hasn't really taken lead or anything. I mean, to be honest, the League hasn't really made much of an Im impact since Kamino. So, Dar so Ujiko here, so Dr. So Dr. 
Dharma or Dr. Garki or whatever. Tell Shigaraki, well, sure, I have all these great gifts I could give you. I have vast scientific knowledge. I even have one special gift that All for One really wanted you to have. But why should I give it to you? What exactly can you show me in this next world that would possibly make my work, my work, my efforts worth it? Because at this point, you're just a punk kid living in the mountains with your dumb friends. Like, kid, what are you made of? <laughs> What are you going to bring into this world? Prove to me that you're more than deserving of these special Nomu. <laughs> Shigaraki's answer is basically, I'm not going to bring anything in this world. I'm not going to make one single damn thing. I'm going to destroy fucking everything. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. In what is a defining speech for Shigaraki. <laughs> and pretty much defines his philosophy going forward in the series. 20-year-old reject hanging around with the dregs of society? What can you show me to change my mind, Tomura Shigaraki? Stop it, Tenko! Honestly, I don't remember much about my life before I met you and Master. Yes, I'm already well aware of that. And yet, when I put these on my body, there's an uncontrollable rage that spills over. Ever since that day... I've been thinking about what happened. No one came. Not a single soul stopped to help you, did they? That must have hurt. Tenko Shimura. I know you were afraid. And in intense pain. You ran and ran, looking for someone to help. No child should have to endure that. <laughs> People thought a hero will come. Sooner or later, a hero will help him as they pass by, pretending not to see you. Who turned the world so upside down that a child must suffer as you have? <laughs> but not anymore, for I am here. I have no memory of my life before my master held me that day. I was just an empty shell, utterly hollow. I apologize for the cramped quarters, but as of today, this is your room. And from now on, I will be your master. Master? What are you going to teach me about? Doctor. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is all that remains of your family. A rare variant quirk manifested in you. A mutation no one's seen before. And you murdered your loved ones simply by putting your hands on them. Do you remember that? It all came rushing back to me in fragments. With a frustration so intense I felt sick to my stomach. Will we modify him? No. Even if your mind has forgotten, your body remembers, and the feelings remain locked in your heart. You ask what I would teach you. As your master, I will help you give purpose to that frustration. When I put them on, it's so strange. Though it still makes me feel sick to my stomach. Wearing them washes calmness over me. Don't you think that's bizarre? My mind's empty beyond those flashes and fragments, and yet, there's a heaviness in my heart, like a lump of lead, never moving, fueling the rage that propels me, but never brings relief. Hmm. Even if we bring down Hero Society, 
Even if I rule the ruins from the shadows, that lead will be with me all my life. That's why I despise all in existence. All that lives and breathes presses on the weight in my soul. So then, why shouldn't I destroy it? Why must I suffer it? When this world falls, we'll see the glorious new horizon that awaits. So why not lend me a hand? I'll show you the halls of heaven and the depths of hell. <laughs> you sound like a kid playing a bad guy. I'm amazed you got through it with a straight face. Ah, oh, why not? I'll help you achieve your vision, but only if you can back up that speech with action. A villain's philosophy is worthless if he can't bring his dreams to life. Tomura, those ideas of yours seem a little bit deranged if you ask me. Like, do you even want to destroy everything I love? There's always room for my comrades' wishes. Live how you want to. Alright! Ha ha ha! You passed the test with flying colors. You're appalling. It's a pretty chilling speech and a very good one from Shigaraki. Yeah, here. and credit to Eric Vale, which I will be saying that a lot this arc. Like, he really has his working boots on for Shigaraki here. Says he's basically says, like, like, just because I hate everything in this world, I want to destroy it. So if I can, why not just do it? Why not just destroy every last thing in this world? Because I can. Like, I'm going to show you, like, a world of destruction. Do you want to see it? <laughs> and Toka chimes in, yeah, but that's kind of bleak, though. Are you going to destroy the things I love? <laughs> Shikaraki just responds, uh, my friends are exempt. Love, like, have whatever you want. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> So yeah, this this kind of lights a fire underneath uh, the league a little bit. And also, Ujiko just laughs at it. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm impressed with you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you're made of. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll make you a deal. If you can tame Giganomachia, I will give you everything you want. But he's going to be a beast to tame. It's not going to be easy. Because <laughs> that guy, he was, built to he was built to be the bodyguard for All for One. Imagine, a bodyguard for All for One. You've seen how tough he is. He throttled, he throttled all of you. Good luck. <laughs> and this leads to a never-ending fight between the League and Gigantomachia, which makes its way into December, pretty much a month and a half since uh, the start of that arc. So they're, so they're, they're kind of playing, so Horikoshi is kind of playing around with time here in this arc. Mm. And also, like, this fight is just going day in, day out, with only three-hour breaks here and there so Makia can sleep. But it also serves as training for Shigaraki as well, and for and it's also somewhat for the rest of the league as well. Yeah, they're trying to figure out some of his weaknesses too, and like they even figure out that he's very defenseless when he's in the air, so that adds a bit, gives them some advantage right here. So they're actually learning to work better as a team, and Shigaraki, most of all, is getting well-needed combat experience. Yeah, he's getting those reps in. And he's loving it, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like a kid, he's like a kid on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she and of course Spinner is also Spinner also narrates as well that like they're they're getting a stipend from uh, Doctor Daruma as well. Although I like the bit where Toga just blew her entire stipend on a new coat. Yeah, which by the <laughs> not way, not like food or anything. No. So you probably know she's mooching off the others. <laughs> which by the way, her winter outfit for this arc, I want to cosplay that. <laughs> it is very cute, I will admit. Yeah, and also pretty. I bet it look feels really warm. It probably is. <laughs> But they're all getting really impressed by Shigaraki, like he's actually putting it all in. And even they're all kind of feeling like a bit stronger about like their prospects now. So then uh, one day during a lull in the fight while Makia sleeps, the League comes in contact with 
the leader of the Metal Liberation Army, Redestro, he gets it. He gets a, gives him a phone call. Yeah, they get an anonymous phone call with like a voice changer on. They're like, "Who's this?" And he's all, and they're like, "Oh, uh, nothing. Just like the Metal Liberation Army knocking on your doorstep." And they're like, "Who is this?" <laughs> and then and then this is where the Metal Liberation Army makes their declaration of war against the League of Villains. And now that he's speaking, I can talk talk about his voice actor. As in the dub, he is played by Sonny Strait. Who, if you remember, all the way back in season one, he was originally the voice of President Mike, but unfortunately he had to give up the role due to health issues, and then when he recovered, he couldn't do the voice anymore. But now, he's actually able to get back into My Hero playing a new character that uh, works well with his uh, vocal range and wouldn't be too much of a strain on him. So, yeah, it's a pretty good job right there. Uh, nice to bring him back. And he's great as Redestro here. He's really good as Redestro. And we find out from him that he has kidnapped the League's broker, Giren, and is now holding him hostage. And it's here that I need to explain more stuff yes. that got cut out as well. Please. Because the you see, in the, I forgot to mention this but in the, because it was already getting long, but uh, in the previous meeting that uh, Redestro had with his uh, lieutenants, it was revealed that he actually captured the guild's contact, Giren, like their, their supplier for like the underworld. And the guy who helped uh, twice out when he was on Hard Times. Yes, they, they captured him, they tortured him for information, and he did not sell them out. And the anime really did this guy a real disservice. Yep. Because he, he gives a really good speech about how he doesn't sell out his clients. And how he sees something in the League of Villains. And that you guys are underestimating them if you're going to take me in. Because, like, so do whatever you want with me. I'm not going to squeal. Because, like, you don't know who you're fucking with here. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of the lieutenants of the Metal Liberation Army... Still finds out the information anyway from, like, documents that, like, he scrapped. Like, you know, data that they, like, salvaged and stuff. So, unfortunately, the the, the MLA still finds out, like, the location of the League of Villains. Still finds out, like, everything they need about him. And they're about to send a message to the League. And they're going to use Giren as the messenger. Yep, so Redestro invites the League to take a city in order to get their broker back. And, and also, uh, props to, like, the fucking boss move where, like, they sh they sh they actually send a video to the League on the phone, and it's, like, a collection of news stories that are cut together about fingers that were shown across the country. <laughs> oh, yes! And, it's re and the reveal is that, like, they, 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 they actually cut off all of Giren's fingers on one of his hand and placed it in different parts of the country. And I guess, like, it forms a map or something, according to the fingers, that is in the shape of the... L salute that is used for the Metal Liberation oh, Army. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a baller move. Yeah. Which, by the way, for those of you, those of you at home, it kind of looks a bit like the uh, Ed and Eddie Urban Rangers salute. Yeah, it is kind of like that yeah. actually. <laughs> Just you know, put your put your thumb into an L on your forehead. Not on your forehead. <laughs> you put you place you place the thumb you place it, the thumb on your forehead perpendicular to it, and like and that's the salute. Yeah. Or you're doing a... Or you can look it up, too. Yeah, or you're doing, like, uh, the New Day doing the unicorn horns. Yeah. Elf, elf for, not for, not for loser, for liberation. liberation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good, simple salute. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it, fe it feels like something people would throw up as, like, a code, mm -hmm. you know? You know, it's basically, like, their Hell Hydra. Yeah, it is, basically. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Metal Liberation Army basically calls the, uh, Redestro, representing the Metal Liberation Army calls out the league saying that like we're the ones who are going to represent the future here like not you guys like you guys are just a bunch of like delinquents and yet the country fell in love with you no they should be scared 
They should be scared of us. Because we have money, we have intelligence, we have political power, we have, like, we have the hearts of people, we have everything that you don't. We are everywhere in Japan. Army of 110,000. And it kind of ticks me off that in the anime they don't actually show this influence fully either. Because not only is it missing the intro to the arc, but it all it's also missing some uh, text on screen that was present in the manga. Which is that, like, the members of this organization are the president of an IT company, uh, the leader of a major political party, and the leader of a major, and, like, the leader of a major publishing company, which is publishing the radical literature of the organization. And at the top of all is Rikia, Redestro, in charge of, like, one of the biggest support item, like, companies out there, who's also now getting into weapon distribution, Oh, and a nice little detail too. Uh, he, they, it's, it's also revealed that uh, Redestro and his company Detnerit also leak support items onto the black market for villains out there to use, and also for people, for regular people to buy in case they ever want to, like you know, embrace the ideology and protect what they own in their own right. And also, all the all the technology is designed to disintegrate if it's ever tampered with by authorities, so that they can never be tracked. <laughs> This is how well they've thought things out. They've got they've got like an intelligence network. They've got money. They they have this 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 organization has everything the league does not. That is what is meant to be conveyed. That is not properly conveyed at all. Well, in the anime, it's like in the anime, it's like you're just introduced to this organiz- powerful organization out of nowhere. Yep, that's what it feels like. But this organization is like big and serious, and they could actually wipe out the league. That's the impression you're supposed to get here. Yeah, like, they're looking down on the League. They're all just all like, oh, we have all this power. We're everywhere in Japan. What are you? Handman, Yandere Simulator, Lizardman, Deadpool. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is all important setup for, like, what's to come. So they essentially tell them, like, so how about this? Like, uh, how about we meet in Deka City where we'll put an end to this? Like, we will settle things mano a mano. Yeah. You can either, like, basically, you can either be destroyed by us or join up with us. We don't care. Like, we're going to settle things in Deka City. You have you have your right as meta users to do so. And they also do the shitty thing of like of like saying like, "Oh, and if you oh, and if you just straight up deny, we have your location. We'll call the heroes on you." And we'll send them after you. <laughs> yeah. And and by the way, they'll never like they'll never believe you about us. <laughs> like they they will never find out about like us and what we're doing. We're powerful bigwigs. Everyone trusts us. Yes. Who are they going to listen to? You. <laughs> or the respectable respectable citizens that we are. Yeah. The choice is yours. <laughs> Make it. It's so perfect. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how? It's like what do you present as like a th- credible threat to like the League of Villains? Not the Shia Hisaikai, obviously, because like whatever, they were kind of on equal footing. But like an organization that could, that is actually like just as, e- just as if not more evil than them and has way more power. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, such a strong, strong setup. And then Shigaraki gets a plan to deal with this, as he plans to lure Gigantomachia when he wakes up, because he's always going to hunt and fight him, and then he's going to have him fight the army to get to him. So, you know, take out the army, weaken Machia in one fell swoop, you know, two birds with one giganto stone. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty devious idea. And that's the motivation for, like, the league here. They got, they want to get their broker back, and Shigaraki wants to cause so much destruction with Machia. <laughs> like, it's, like, you're rooting for them, but it's also, like, 
this is kind of fucked up a little. This is pure evil, and this I is love super it. evil, but like also coolness because they want to save their broker friend. Yeah, because still ultimately, like they they do actually want to save Garen in the end. Yeah, they're like, hey, they messed with one of our own. We're gonna get him back. And Twice owes a lot to this guy. Like, yeah, Twice really is like the big him. voice here. He's saying like, Garen got me into the league. He actually, out of everyone out there, he actually gave me a chance. I want to go help him. And so the league is all in agreement. Mm-hmm. They're gonna go to Dega City, and they're gonna like meet with this Meta Liberation Army and see what they're made of, and they're gonna save Garen. So the Leaky arrives in Deka City with an hour and 45 minutes to go until Makia wakes up. And there they run into a hero who's on the side of the Metal Liberation Army, a guy by the name of Slide and Go, played here by Bill Butts. We saw this guy before when uh, De- when Bakugo and Todoroki were taking out some villains after their provisional license exam. Yes. This guy came around, like, the corner, and he's like, Oh, what fine young men that are going to be such great heroes. Like, let me give you a big ol' hug. Like... You look at this guy and you feel like he's the typical milk toast, milk and cookies type hero. He's like, oh wow, those villains, their their support gear disintegrated. How about that? I wonder why that is. Must be shoddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then Slide and Go appears yet again here. And this bright chipper guy turns out to be like a radical. <laughs> <laughs> and he escorts the League into the middle of Dega City. A city that is weirdly empty. Yeah. And then he introduces them to the welcome party, or rather, the revival party. Fuck the revival. Dicka City is made up of 90% Pete members of the Meta Liberation Army. Wow, I know liberal organizations that would kill for that kind of power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, look up, look up like some like fucked up libertarian plots to like actually install like libertarians in Vermont cities <laughs> to try and change laws. And create like a huge power block of people by just moving libertarians into Vermont. Just moving them. Into- this is a real thing. <laughs> it resulted in ecological damage to the black bear population. I'm not joking. Jesus. Look this shit up. Oh my god. <laughs> but yes, this whole city blocked off by by meta liberation aligned heroes on the outskirts who are just telling civilians, "Oh no, there's a disaster going on in there." And the League is in the middle of a city that is hiding soldiers everywhere. And they all come out of the woodwork, and the League has to face off against all of them. Civilians that have been secretly trained as soldiers by this powerful army. Secret army. This is fucking cool. (laughs) This is so cool. And also, you know, heroes, they would probably have some qualms about fighting random citizens. But the League, nah, nah, nah. If you're an enemy, you're an enemy. You're going down. Kill everything. <laughs> Leave no one standing. Oh, uh, this arc is a bloodbath. <laughs> or at least it would be in the anime if they'd actually cared to, like, not be wusses and show more blood and gore. Nah, there's no time. Well, I'll get to that point later. <laughs> and it's at this point we meet the mini-bosses of the Metal Liberation Army. Uh, roll Call, Tomiyasu Chikazoku, a.k.a. Skeptic, played here by Ben Diskin. Leader of uh, Feel Good Incorporated, <laughs> the IT company. He's the uh, yeah, he's the tech guy for the MLA. Then we have Koku Hanabata, aka Trumpet, played here by Adam MacArthur, big politician. He's the one like spreading their ideals. He's like a head of he's the head of like a big political party that's currently active. You have uh, Getin, played here by Koei Dao, a uh, soldier, but a particularly powerful one. I think Getin also. Um, I think it actually means like apocrypha or something, which is like a forgotten text or something. Oh, okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. So there's a, there's another meaning to that. Nice. 
And finally, Chitose Kizuki, a.k.a. Curious, played here by famous Cartoon Network Friday's host, Terrence Sands. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but yes, a journalist and also, like, publishes their literature. And also here, uh, Redestro, uh, he also wants to see how the League handles this conflict without the use of Nomu, because uh, the League has always had, like, Nomu to kind of back them up in, like, any of the fights they had. But here, they're all on their own right now. Yeah, the anime staff at least, like, included his conversation with Garen here, where Garen's like, you know they have, like, Nomu. Like, they could bust that out, those out at any moment. And Redestro just, like, lays out, like... With pure logic, three reasons why that won't happen. <laughs> I won't repeat the logic here, but, like, his logic is sound. And I do love the line where he says, A league without Nomu is nothing more than a social club. <laughs> like, ah, it's good. Like, they're being, like, these are, like, finally smart villains. <laughs> I love this shit. So here, like, uh, everyone kind of splits off into their own fights, and uh, the first one we get is uh, Hime fighting against Curious. And uh, Curious's meta ability, she has the power to turn anything she touches into a bomb. That includes inanimate objects and people as well. Mm. Which leads to a great scene where, like, uh, Hime, like, ducks out into, like, uh, a building for a bit. And then some Metal Liberation soldiers jump at her and then explode right in front of her. And then that's where Curious gives this explanation. Actually, one part I love about that is that Toga tries to use her device around her neck. Which, like, she, like, throws syringes into people it links to her mask, which, like, feeds her blood, and that powers her, you know, copy quirk. But then she drinks the blood of, like, the soldiers that were, like, pre-made into landmines, and then the blood explodes yeah. inside her. <laughs> God, I love that planning. So, yeah, Kiria's being, like, she works with, like, a big publishing company. She also really wants to really get the scoop on, like, a lot of her uh, opponents right here, and she gets uh, a lot of info on Himiko. And this is where we actually get uh, real deep into her backstory right here. As ever since she was a little girl, he may showcase a rather disturbing and morbid interest in blood. Like, there was even a moment where she brought a dead, bloody bird to her parents and asked them, Hey, is this pretty? And that just scarred and disturbed them. The and point here, the point here, though, is that it was completely normal to Toga. Yes, this is all normal for her. This is just how she was born. Blood, it's the way her quirk works. Like, blood tastes good to her. Like, she loves blood. That's just what she is. And her parents tried to have her repress these feelings. They just wanted her to be a normal girl. And she did for a while, but then she met this boy in school. And then I don't think the anime shows this part, but she sees him covered in bruises and scars after a fight. And then it just reawakened these repressed feelings. And then she developed a crush on this boy and then expressed her love by stabbing him with a box cutter and then drinking up his blood. And then she was just labeled a demon by her parents and then went into hiding until she eventually made her way to the League. Wasn't brought to any mental health services or anything. She was just called a monster. No, her just... parents just abandoned her then and there. Yeah. Like, it's really fucked up. I guess you kind of have, have to have a journalist character like Curious explain all this because I don't think Toga would have been willing to. No, like <laughs> in her mind, it probably went a lot differently than that. She probably also just straight up doesn't think about that anymore because she just focuses on like her new loves today. Yeah. So it makes sense. So I guess it makes some sense for why another character would just exposition dump all of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then this leads to Hime's big moment. Well, also credit to Curious, because she's not going to be around for long. Yeah. But like, she also makes a pretty, but she also makes a pretty memorable impact as like, she's just like, she's a character that very clearly loves to hear herself talk, <laughs> especially as she's like talking into like recording device, because she wants to make a story out of Toga. She wants to make toga into a martyr for the mla cause 
to essentially say, yes, you were treated horribly because of your quirk, but your death is going to make for one hell of a story. <laughs> I'm going to sell this story to so many people and will bring such great meaning to our cause. Look at our soldiers. I turned them into landmines. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for the cause. Won't you, won't you just do the same? I wanted to put that over because that was strong content. Oh, that's really good too. <gasps> no! Where will you run to? The League cannot overpower us! I don't like her. Doesn't she get that I love my life? When I'm happy, I smile big. You may kiss someone you like, but my way is different. I suck the blood of those I love. Don't you dare feel bad for me! It's your reserve of blood. Oh, I think I'm tearing up. I know that meta ability only allows you to change your appearance. You must want to look cute at the end. What a beautiful tragedy! The last bit of blood I had from back then was Ochako's. Izuku trusts her, so I was saving it. Lucky. Must be nice. I want to get close to someone I love, too! Please, give me your story! <gasps> no! She drinks the blood that she got from Ochako all the way back during the training camp arc. And then, not only does she transform into her, but something awakens within her. She is able to use Ochako's float quirk. A breakthrough in her quirk. She's actually she's actually gone plus ultra. Yes. <laughs> now the villains are going plus ultra. <laughs> and then she taps, like, Curious and her comrades... They all float up in the air, and then we get a release, and they all come crashing down. This was so much better looking, though, in the manga. It was so much more brutal in the manga. And this is where I finally, this is where I came to a realization that, like, I hadn't really come to before. The anime really downplays a yeah. lot of a lot of the blood and gore that is present in My Hero Academia, because this is like the bloodiest arc in the entire series. Because again, you need to be reminded these are villains. They don't care about other people's lives. They will kill. They're they will kill gonna... anyone to accomplish their goal. And killing is not pretty. <laughs> One thing I like about Horikoshi as an artist is that he recognizes this. And the deaths in this arc 
are glorious. The violence is splendid. It looks like blood is actually splattering across the panels. Yes. Even when you don't see the de- see like the see like exact details on faces or anything, the the impacts that he's able to draw of like the bodies falling down from the sky as Toga looks upon all of them is gruesome to look at. And like capped off with like that amazing close-up shot of Himiko with that big smile on her face. Mm. But no, in the anime, she Toga's just facing away from the action as like off screen, like all the bodies just splatter to the ground. It it was disappointing to watch. Yeah, like anime does not do this moment justice. Well, I, in one regard, I get it. Like you're selling My Hero Academia in in anime form, which is highly digestible, and you want as many people to watch it as you can. But yeah. like they might also, but you also have to contend with like uh, standards and practices in this country and other countries. So it's like so. From one perspective, I can understand uh, the studio just saying, well, can you just make this a little less bloody so that we can sell this better to other countries? Yeah. To other to other networks out there and streaming services? Please. I can understand that, but man, this arc loses something without all the bloody violence because Horikoshi, it needs to be said, he, he can be a brutal artist when he wants oh, yeah. to be. Oh yeah, he is not one to sugarcoat certain things. But... It's one of the reasons why I love him, though. Yeah, oh yeah. Though, I will say, there is one thing that the anime was able to do that the manga couldn't, and that's uh, with the uh, the voice acting here. As, uh, you know, when Hime, she transforms into Ochako, Lucy Christian actually does come in for a few lines, and then she and Leah Clark start uh, splitting a few lines together until we get to that final moment where they do one line in unison, and then Leah completely, completely takes over. That's a good detail. I that's like good. That. Like, at least they were able to, d- to do that, you know? Like, if you're gonna adapt something to animation with voice acting, like, you gotta do something like that. Yeah, have some fun with it. Yeah, still, in general, this fight, this scene is fantastic, and it also gets over one of my favorite aspects of this arc, like, where throughout this arc, you're rooting for the League, you're happy to see them win their fights, even happier when they do so while awakening these new parts of their quirks, you know, typical shonen development where you get so pumped to see your faves get better, but then you remember, these are still the villains. Them getting stronger is a bad thing. You, you look at this and realize, oh shit, our heroes are going to have to deal with that in the yes, future. Yes, they will. Like, we're all here going all like, yeah, Hime, she turned into Ochako and killed those guys with her floatability. Oh fuck, she's going to use that later. But hey, the villains are also getting better and they're going to be more credible threats. They're going to make for much better foes later on. Yes. Ah, man. Uh, it's so great. And it's just a little subversion to like the typical shonen trope there. Like, I, I really love how this is all written for you to root for the heroes. The, the, like, the, the, I mean, the villains. The, the good bad guys. The good bad guys. <laughs> that they're all going through their own shonen awakenings here. They're all coming to, like, villainous and, like, own personal realizations and stuff about who they want to be going forward. This is strong stuff. You're all like, yeah, shit, yeah, shit, yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... And uh, this is where I, in my rewatch, this is where I came to a bad realization. <laughs> I am just up and down so far because I don't know how to process all of this. It's good, it's bad. It's good, it's bad. It's good, it's... Okay, this episode adapted five chapters. Yeah. This one episode featuring Toga, this adapted five chapters. That's a lot of chapters to compress into one episode. And not only chapters from this fight here but like the episode doesn't end with her killing curious there's still like several more minutes left yes so like they gave her even less time 
Ugh. Come on. The writing, the pacing. Ugh. Like, it was... In that episode... Like, that fight was made for TV. Like, end off on that moment of Kyrgios dying in that close-up shot of Hime. That's that's how you end the episode. That big wham moment. But no, we still got a few more minutes left. Ugh, man. But anyway, Toga, she put up a good fight, but now she's down for the count. She's lost too much blood. And now she's uh, hiding out in a tool shed. I do have a line here from a sh- when we uh, cut back to Shigaraki that's uh, unintentionally relevant to the this adaptation here, where he says, quote, Stuff looks like it's moving when it's not. Lots of still frames when there should be movement in this arc, I noticed with the animation. You know, I didn't know whether I was going to put it up, to put it, put this up, like, here or later and stuff, but, like, yeah. I'll say this right now. These last uh, five and a half episodes of My Hero Academia, or that or that, that comprise all of My Villain Academia, uh, this all looks like ass. Yeah, like, for example here, the moment when Shigaraki sees a mob of people trying to dogpile him, but then he leaps up onto a wall and then dis- disintegrates him in one... Th- would move just still frames like there's no movement other than maybe shigaraki jumping up on the on the uh wall this i don't understand because horikoshi one of his strong suits is that he's really good at showing portraying dynamic motion that almost looks like it could be a storyboard in itself where you can like envision the action right before envision the action right before your eyes which works well in the manga and it works exceptionally well in the manga because that's his style that's what he's really good at he's really good at drawing action and the anime before has been good at drawing action. Yeah, like, it's it's Studio Bones, and they're known for quality. And I had no complaints about, like, the... And I don't really have really any major complaints about, like, the, the 1A, 1B battles, either. No, and there's plenty of Sakuga in there, too. I mean, a, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, but still, it's there, you know? It still all looks fine. This is all just... But now, the animation is starting to just, like, tank during this arc. Yeah, it's like... I was kind of baffled by this like i was watching this originally i was like why is this not working wait this animation it's oh my god it's it's not good there's so many still frames they they're not portraying any of like the good action that horikoshi is known for and they're they're cheaping out on the action and good action that bones has been known to do in past seasons like go back and listen to all of our other episodes we've gushed about the animation and how well it was it was, like, presented to us. Where's that? Why are they now deciding this this arc in particular not, needs to be cheaped out on? Not for the joint training, not for Endeavor, but for your biggest arc of the season. Yeah, one of the most important ones going forward. The, the arc you're closing out on because you want to close out with a bang. Because, yeah, let's, well, let's also bring up this point, too. The reason why they switched around all this content is because of this. The Meta Liberation Army arc. This big fight between villains. They wanted this. I th- this is just my my theory, but I think they wanted to end the series. I think it's reasonable to say that they wanted to end the season off with an arc that has a whole bunch of action. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because this is the big crescendo moment and it leads directly in to the next uh, big war arc. Bad idea. Yeah. Bad idea. The way they adapted it, the way they like shifted around the arcs before, did not work at all. It just confuses viewers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this arc deserved so deserved so much better. At this point, I wouldn't have minded them just doing this for the entire back half of season five, and then just starting season six with Endeavor. 
you're not going to start it off the season with a big moment. I know that's kind of tough, but you kind of have to just deal with it for now and then just, like, put all of your time and effort into, like, what was coming next. People would have been absolutely fine with it. People would have understood that. Like, who cares? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and hey, you're an anime adaptation. You can zhuzh it up a little bit. Like, you've done this before. Like, in certain past arcs, you've added in, like, fights and scenes that weren't in the original manga. Like, say, during the Provisional Hero License stuff. You had that at that whole thing with, like, the girl leading all the other girls. And you're, and you're like, gifted an arc where, like, there is so much chaotic action. You don't want to have a little more fun with that? Like, Bones, you do great work. You did stuff, so much good stuff with Mob. Where's that with this? Like, you don't want to savor this a little bit more? Or like, just put the, or just try to put the extra effort in? It's like, ugh, God. Whoever was the bigwig making all the decisions, biggest mistake of the series thus far. Yeah. Really shameful to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and we, we kind of gleamed it before, but, like, I was going to bring it up. This this whole My Villain Academia arc, yeah, should have had its own opening. Yes. You should have had an opening that was dedicated entirely to the villains and their arcs. Yeah, not one-third of them, and still focusing on Deku, Bak- Bakugo, and Todoroki. Yeah, because we're still getting the regular opening, and it's still featuring characters that are not in this current arc. The only difference is, is that they do at least change the title from My Hero Academia to My Villain Academia. Not enough. Not enough, no. <laughs> My opinion should have done more. Even more so, they still have Deku doing the next episode previews. Like it should be Spinner. Yeah, it it should maybe be Spin. Yeah, that's a good question. Could it have just been like, yeah, another? It's another question of like narration that I think maybe uh, to go an extra mile, you could have also had like because Spinner does do narration during this arc. But okay, let's be on. Let's be honest with ourselves. There's no reason for present Mike to be the one doing the announcing previously in the series yeah he should you do it because he's a radio personality and it fits and you just need some actor to do the line but it's like and, and also i understand it before you know because like otherwise it's like deku is the only real narrator for the series so when you do these like little blurbs right here you don't need deku for it like use present mike fine whatever it's fun mm-hmm. it's fun to hear his voice and like make quips and stuff <laughs> yeah you don't want to have like fun and just have like spinner explain some stuff he does some narration during this arc yeah and like or at the very least like like i said have him do the next episode preview have him go like next time on my villain academia and you can say next time on my villain academia instead of my hero academia yeah and then you can that would s- be fun and then instead of saying go beyond plus ultra you can come up with like another catchphrase at the end of the arc at the end of each episode yeah precisely like that would have actually been kind of cute <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, like, it's, I, I'd like to move on, but, like... Yeah, like, we can armchair quarterback this until we're blue in the face. But, like, we got a job to do, but, yeah, this is, these are, these are some of the thoughts we need to make clear about this arc. So much more could have been done. Mm-hmm. And just, I think it's not a matter of, like, I, I want to say right now, I do not believe it was a matter of, like, pushing the animators harder or, like, anything like this. This is all in, like, management. Yeah. This is all in, like, the the the, the big leaders over at Bones who said that, like, who wanted to go along with this adaption, who was who were concocting this idea and told everyone to just, like, march to this tune. Yeah, like, the animators can only do so much given these limitations. Yes, this, this was a problem of planning. A huge failure of planning on the part of the the big wigs of the studio. So, <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> so, back to Himei. Twice finds her knocked out, and then twice comes face-to-face with copies of himself created by Skeptic. And uh, I, I want to pass this one on to you, because Twice is your boy. Like, I will, like run us through what happens with him right here. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I do kind of like Twice and stuff, but... Um, 
So yeah, twice uh twice is being assault twice is trying to tend to Toga, but then out of nowhere he sees unmade copies of himself ganging up on him. And it's here that Skeptic begins to make his move. And maybe before I go into this, I should maybe explain one little moment that is also missing from the anime as well. It's it's overall not too big, but it's just a nice little character moment. Um, after Chitose, uh, Curious dies, it is then announced to the rest of the Metal Liberation Army that she is dead, and that they need to go avenge her right now. And that's why they go after Toga. Yes, that's why they begin to go after Toga, and why now, like, there's a big target on her back and Twice's back. And spectating all of this, Skeptic is, Skeptic and Redestro are speaking to Girin. And, you know, Skeptic has a great moment where he's, like, in, he's like impugning Giren's intelligence. Like, what do you think this is all for? Like, of course we're going to, like, use this as, like... Like, we wanted to use, like, Curious, like, as a way to, like, make Toga into, like, a pawn in our schemes. Do not even try to comprehend how smart our plan's here. We're sacrificing a lot of soldiers for this cause. So don't think you can even compare to our intelligence. <laughs> and... Uh, Redestro even has an interesting moment where he actually sheds a tear for all of his falling soldiers, finding beauty that they would actually be, like, so brave to kill themselves for for the cause. Doing this all for him. I wish that was in there. Yeah, it's so good. It's It, it kind of speaks to how fucked in the head he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that he's moved by his comrades dying. But now with a target on Twice on Toga and Twice's back, uh, Skeptic makes his move, where he reveals his quirk of Anthropomorph. Uh, Skeptic is able to take any man-sized object and transform it into a human-like puppet. And he's so good that he can even make copies of other people with it. And they can do very simple, uh, actions with that and stuff. And he can coordinate them even further by putting, uh, by uh, coordinating actions from, like, afar. Using his laptop and technology and, like, forwarding them commands with, like, you know, communication devices. Yeah, he's working like, working as, like, a strategist. Yes. Really prides himself on his uh, strength of knowledge and his tactical skills in the MLA. So he's and so he's now implementing psychological warfare against Twice, knowing that he is a deeply disturbed person, and he creates copies and he creates he creates anthropomorphs in the image of Twice to fuck with his head. And he starts losing his mind as he sees copies of himself going after because him. Because no, he knows this happened before. Yes, and so it's like a massive triggering moment for him. Ugh, tough stuff. <laughs> Just brutal stuff. It is. But like, see, twice, seeing how these clones of himself are about to snap Hime's neck, like he, that actually gives him the motivation to like, want to fight back, to want to break away from like, these bad thoughts, these bad memories, and he awakens a new ability for his quirk too. Yeah, he we actually get more of like his backstory about. We do get a bit more backstory from him as well too, where we see that uh, he was once a guy who um, you know lost both his parents, and like he was kind of seen as like a pretty dodgy looking guy, kind of scary and stuff. And you know, he even got like, and he got one, and just as he was working for like some some car company, like he just got he just gotten like one offense. One offense on his record, on his legal record. And even though he was told by the cops, hey, it's just one offense, it won't ruin your life. You can always start over. His life was fucked over that. His boss fired him and, like, no, and, like, just no one wanted to hire him ever again afterwards. And he was effectively homeless. This whole, (laughs) this whole law system and hero system 
is messed up. It yeah. doesn't actually help people. Like, what he did was an honest accident, and he was just treated as, like, a criminal. Another criminal. Just another criminal. Who cares? Why, right? Just go sleep on a corner. Like, fuck off. Who cares? And yeah, like, Japan, a country that does not treat its homeless well. Yeah. At all. Very much. So Twice, who found himself all alone, had only himself to talk to. Literally, he would make copies of himself. But it was the only company he had for a time. And it was confiding for a while until he betrayed himself and had such a psychologically damaging moment to the point where he couldn't even even look at his face. And, like, he can't tell, like, are these clones? Am I a clone? Who's the real Gene Bubagawara? And now he's just kind of, like... That's why he wears a mask, because he's afraid of splitting apart again. But the one person in life who did give him a second chance was Girin, who introduced him to his new family, the League of Villains. And he has cherished that time ever since. And he now know, and he, and realizing this now, he knows that he, like, he needs to really go beyond for the people that he loves. And even as he gets his arm snapped in the middle of all this conflict, he's finally just, like, with tears streaking down his face, just happy to know that he is not also a clone. <laughs> Finally. He, felt, he, know, he knows he's the real deal. Because he felt the pain. He's like, I'm real. <laughs> I'm real. And now he's gonna save the day. And so, completely untethered by his past anymore, uh, twice unleashes the true power of his double quirk and starts making copy after copy after copy of himself. This is the sad man's parade. <laughs> and in the manga, this scene is fucking phenomenal. This is like one of my favorite moments in My Hero Academia. Twice is one of the most Twice is by far the most sympathetic member of the uh, League of Villains because after this you finally realize that he is really just a guy who had like one bad day in his life and it fucked him over. And this is like the one group who only like showed him any kind of belonging. Yeah. And he's fi- and he's finally unfettered by like like what like the limitations of his past and stuff he's trying to fight past his like trauma and finally he's like using his quirk to its full potential which is an endless army the title of the battle changes around this point and i just love how this big moment comes from the guy who when we we were first introduced to him was kind of the fun wacky deadpool guy but no he's like actually has much more depth than that and you like really really sympathize with him and care about his story. Now he's multiplying like a cell colony. Yeah. <laughs> and like what he's doing is also, it's also cool, but it's also very silly too because you have like hundreds of thousands of twices running around the city, overtaking this entire, overtaking Dega City, fighting everyone in sight. Yeah, and now they're all fight. And now like an endless army is now spawning out of nowhere and engaging the Meta Liberation Army. And they're still doing like the twice bid, like just being like very fun and quirky. Although, at least it was more charming in the uh, manga, at least. Because mm-hmm. you can, like, you know, you can travel your eye over all the dialogue around the crowd of twices that are yeah. out there. Yeah, and, like, or you can, in, you can like, look at all the dialogue and think, all oh, this is happening at once. Like, it's just a big, little rabble-rabble of, like, uh, twices talking. Like, they're not all speaking one at a time. Bones, however, decided to uh, resort to 3D animation, though, for these crowd scenes with twice. Yeah. And these also look like ass. Because you get moments where you have crowd shots where you have some twices moving around, but you also have some twices that are standing really still. Mm-hmm. And, like, the shots where they're, like, overtaking members of the Metal Liberation Army, again, still frames, shaking around at the screen with speed lines. Like, little to no 
action when there is action. Yeah, the 3D crowd shots of, like, the Twices are not composited very well either. Like, you just don't... It's... Ah, it just just fucking sucks to look at. Like, out of all the scenes in My Hero Academia that I was looking forward to seeing animated the most, this was one of them. Like, when we talked with, like, either between the two of us or with other friends who like My Hero, like, before this season came out, I always brought up the scene, like, oh man... I cannot wait to see how Bones does Sandman's Parade. It's going to be amazing. And then when uh, Twice finally activates his quirk to the fullest potential, it's just another still frame. Yeah, it's disappointing. Like, I wanted a tidal wave of humanity flowing through the streets. But no, just still frames and speed lines. And also, the shortcuts are really noticeable here because Mm -hmm. there are scenes where Twice is talking to Mr. Compress. And keep in mind, they wear masks. So they don't have visible mouths, so you don't have to animate lip flaps, and you just linger on a single shot of Mr. Compress and a bunch of Twices surrounding him as you just hear dialogue over it. Come on. Ugh. At least do some different camera angles or, like, have some of their heads bob a little bit. Was there any more of a talk about how to do these crowd scenes? Ugh. I, mm. And, like... I wouldn't have minded the CGI if maybe they did something more stylistic, like, say, like, what Studio Trigger does with, like, big crowd shots. Like, some of the big mob scenes you saw in, like, Kill a Kill where, like, people are just exploding all over the place. Yes, that looked incredible. And, like, they did so that it can with be, CGI. It can be done. It can be done. But it's like, come on, use your whole ass and not your half ass. Please. Please. Something's gotta give. And boy, this does not endear me for the future of crowd shots. Oh, my hero. There's a lot of crowd shots coming. Because, like, all of the crowd shots and the chaotic action scenes in this arc rely so heavily on still frames. And imagine my disappointment when I expected to see such fluid, chaotic action in in the anime as it looked in the manga. These kinds of scenes will become a little more, a bit more common later in the series. This does not bode well. Yeah. At all. Like, if, and you know what? Maybe we didn't notice before because there was nothing like this. No, no Bones never had to deal with like this huge of a this huge of a battle. No, like some of their biggest battles were only between one on one, one on one, maybe five small, on five, five on five, small groups here and there with like their own matchups. Hell, even the biggest moments, like say Deku versus Todoroki or All Might United States of Smash, like in those cases, more like just one person doing all those moves and you just see the environment react around them they didn't really have to deal with skirmishes no yeah it kind of makes me look back and reassess that uh who knows maybe parts of the shia hisaikai arc maybe weren't as good as i thought yeah i do remember some because that's also a chaotic police raid yeah there is and i do remember some still frames and speed lines especially during uh, mirio's last stand yeah (laughs) but once again the only kind of saving grace about this you know benefits of, of it being an animated cartoon is voice acting, and Newton Pittman, voice of Twice, really giving it his all here. Like, he he delivers on a lot of the lines from Twice here, and I will splice you in. Gobby, Mr. Compress, Twices are here to the rescue. But your trauma! Love and courage even me out. I don't get it, but it sounds like you're on a hero's journey, even though you're a villain. 
What? Is it weird for a villain to save his friends? Not, Not at, at all. all. Of course I won't let you die. I'm so cool. I don't have many friends, so you're all important to me. Wait, am I an idiot? You said it. Not a bad fighter, though. Yep, check me out. I'm a Nash. Let's give him a good one. Or a good 20,000. I'll make more of you guys, too. We'll be more than a league. We'll have the population of a city. Let's go, city of villains! Wait, twice. If you annihilate the enemy, we won't have any extra players to throw against Gigantomachia later. Go easy on Then Dobby should stop. He burns lots of stuff. But the massacre. How long until the big guy wakes up? An hour and five minutes. Then I'll stall them. More importantly, Toga's in trouble. Get the location from me and hurry over. He's utterly fantastic as Twice. He Twice is probably, no, not probably, is one of his best characters. Like, I love his performance as Twice so much. Like, and I know... I mean, it's a character that demands for the voice to be, like, all over the place and hit different pitches. And also hit that timing, too, where he can, like, say, hello, goodbye. Like, stuff like, stuff like that. Like you It's not easy to pull off. To immediately contradict yourself and, like, really mean it. You would have had to have taken a lot of hard work and training to pull that off. And he did it. And this here, you know, animation aside, like, it's still a ton of twices all talking over each other and at the same time. So he must have had a whale of a time doing pretty much one-man walla with himself. I would hope it was very fun. I'm sure it was a good time. You know, him and uh, director Colin Clinkenbeard, I'm sure they had a great time with us. Oh, yes, I would hope so. So yeah, now there's a shitload of twices causing mayhem. That has completely taken over the city. And yeah, the MLA didn't see this coming. And the twices uh, clear path to Redestro for Shigaraki. And here, this is when we get their clash, as uh, before that, twice makes his way up to the tower where Giren is, and then makes some clones of himself and of uh, some of his comrades too. And he's able to uh, get Giren, and then uh, through the Shigaraki clone, we find out that the real Shigaraki is down below. And he says, like, hey, get ready. And then Shigaraki decays the entire tower, sending everyone plummeting to the ground. I do at least, like, one good bit where Twice and his clones are trying to convince, like, the, the new clones the of new his friends <laughs> yeah. to, like, not betray them and just, like, fight, go on ahead. And then he has Remember, to... you're a clone. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> I also like the bit where he's also explaining to the uh, Mr. Compress clone that, like, oh, yeah, I was able to get everything under control now. <laughs> because he had to explain that to the actual Mr. Compress and he had to do the same for his clone. Oh, yeah, because th there's a small detail about Twice's quirk that whenever he, like, takes some measurements of a person... Or, no, wait... The clone he makes of a person is based on his last remaining memory of them. So this version of <laughs> Mr. Compressed didn't know anything about his character development. Yeah. <laughs> so he had to explain it last minute. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite funny. But, uh, yeah, re, uh, but, yeah, like, even while this is all happening, too, um, let's not rule out Spinner, too. Spinner's also having his own Yeah, Spinner moment. is having his one-on-one uh, -on -one fight with uh, Trumpet. Yes, let's... Not forget that, because yeah. I love me some Spinner. Yeah, uh, care to tell, tell us what happens here? Uh, yes. Uh, well, well, as much as the clones are being brought in, the MLA is still finding a way to fight back against the clones. The clones of which are all weaker than the last one. Yeah, because uh, Twice explains that with each uh, subsequent clone, they get weaker and weaker. So Twice, he, he's bringing quantity, not quality, to the yeah, fight. Yeah, like there are, he's pretty much a glass cannon at this point. Yeah, he is. And uh, one of the members of the MLA, the uh, political member, uh, the politician, uh, well, he has a way to counteract this, which is boosting the morale of his soldiers. Like a good politician should. <laughs> yes, his quirk is actually in sight, which uses electromagnetic waves that his voice projects 
that uh, boosts the fighting morale of his soldiers and makes them stronger and allows them to uh, think quicker as well. And the louder he shouts, and the more he can project his voice, the stronger the effect. So yeah, he's like he's the bu- he's the bugle boy <laughs> of the MLA, and he's like giving speeches about like how they must like fight for the glory of Redestro, fight for the glory of Destro's philosophy, and the crowd is actually starting to turn the tide a little bit. Yeah, like this is powering him up. Yeah, and actually powering him up. And caught in, caught in the middle of all this is Spinner, who is trying to take out Trumpet but cannot get anywhere near him. <laughs> Because Spinner, his quirk is Gecko. He's, yep, he's just the lizard man. He's just a lizard man. He can stick to walls. That's it. Yeah. You know, Sue can do more with her frog ability, but Spinner, eh, not so much. And Trumpet is shoving this in his face, too. Oh, he's just burying him here. He's telling him, like, what's a loser like you doing here? You won't have any place in the next world. The people who have a place in the next world are those with strong quirks. And you are far from that. And we, we do get a bit more of Spinner's backstory, which is that he was just a shut-in in the countryside. I think it's explained somewhere, and I think better in the manga, possibly in the scrapped intro, <laughs> that in the countryside, uh, there's more discrimination against heteromorphs. Yes, there is, because within the city, people have much more access to information and all these like books and stuff. They're able to like learn more about heteromorphs, but like outside in the country, there's that lack of information, so a lot more people are a lot more ignorant. About There's it. a lot more bigots out there. Yeah. So she, so... Kind of like real life. Yeah, so Spinner here, or uh, Shuichi Iguchi, mm-hmm. his real name, uh, became a video game playing shut-in. And, you know, for most of his life, he thought, like, this was just going to be him. Just hiding, scared, and, like, never be able to go out in the world until he saw a stain on the TV. And that reinvigorated him. And he really believed he saw... And he still... And once he, like, followed Tomura Shigaraki... Heard that little speech he gave before Dodaruma Ujiko. He realized this is the man I want to follow because I think he's gonna bring about like that world as well. He's gonna bring a beautiful world to destruction, and I wanna be and I wanna follow him to do that. So what's wrong with being a follower? <laughs> so what if I'm a follower? Like, isn't that what all of you are fucking doing right now? <laughs> You're all the same as me right now. So yeah, come at me, because I'm proud to be a follower. <laughs> I'm proud to be an NPC in this I'm world. I'm proud to be an extra. <laughs> extra pride <laughs> but no he gets like a really great moment right here yeah he, it's it's actually a great moment for you, spinner you want to root for him because up up until this point he was kind of the designated jobber of the league wiki but he's actually showing his moxie here that he really does that even though he that he actively knows that he is maybe that he is the weakest member of the league that doesn't matter because he's still gonna throw his everything into it. Yeah, he knows he's a jabroni. Yeah, his morale matches this entire crowd of people. Yeah, the morale he has could not even possibly match the the kind that Trumpet inspires in this crowd. And it's one hundred percent sincere. It really is sincere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck, I love that. Ah, oh, god. Well, especially given later future events, I love it even more. Yes. <laughs> especially of, of how it will inevitably be twisted. Mm-hmm. But yes, going back to Shigaraki and Redestro. Yeah, and also I've seen a bit of their uh, fight here because we do get uh, Redestro telling Shigaraki about his goals for metal liberation as he is just beating him down. Taking this so seriously. As long as you have a goal as an organization, such excessive emotion is unnecessary. Your little league just can't compete. Sounds like you have a noble dream. Oh, still alive, are you? A noble dream, I like that. <laughs> Perfect timing. Let's test your might. 
Once there was a young woman who gave birth to a child with a meta-ability. This was back when people still had strong prejudices against them, when the world was in chaos. A place of unending abuse and unfettered discrimination. She pleaded with society on behalf of her beloved offspring. After all, he couldn't be blamed for how he was born. Please, she said, make this a world where my child can live freely. But society looked at her and laughed. She never spoke out for him again. And do you know why that is, friend? I'll tell you. She was killed by those who opposed meta powers. Yeah, you think I'm stupid? She came up with the term quirks. Sorry, I heard you didn't have any formal education. Anyway, as heroes and vigilantes became more popular, the government started trying to reestablish order. They dug up her appeal while working on the political reform. They adopted the term quirks, said they were natural. It changed how people thought. However, in actuality, the political measures that were implemented suppressed meta abilities more than ever. There's no point just changing what they're called. What they wanted to squash was the use of powers. Some couldn't use their powers as they wanted, so it was freedom in name alone. But you know what Destro thought? This isn't the future my mother wanted. Meta abilities are quirks. We must use them freely. His mother. It was an inconvenient truth for society. Do you understand why Destro was wanted for so many crimes? He sought true freedom through revolution. And now, I will accomplish Destro's dream. His blood is in my veins. I am his descendant. This world will change at the hands of Redestro. Now another change in Eddie here I don't like. And it kind of sucks. So we're in the middle of the fight with Tomura and Redestro. The final boss fight is in full effect. Mm -hmm. Sounds like something Shigaraki would actually say. You know, big gamer. <laughs> he plays Legends. Big gamer boy. <laughs> Both him and Spinner. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta earn those Disney books. <laughs> I would, I, I, actually, I, I, would, I would have actually pegged them as Neopets players. I can totally see them being 100% into Neopets. And <laughs> just trading stuff and, like, playing the stock market. Yeah, and maybe, like, Spinner can probably believe, like, that, uh, one rumor about the doctor who kills your Neopet. You spent all day and night trying to activate it. <laughs> oh, you play Hossy Bounce as well? I love that game as well. <laughs> really? I actually have to say, I'm more of a, uh, I'm actually more of a Raiders Ameriqua man, man myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could do a whole bit about that. Uh, I will, I shall abstain. Uh, shame though, because I would have, because among the other things I would have loved to have actually seen in this arc was actually the commercial that Redestro does at the beginning. We don't get the commercial. No, we never, we got screwed out of the commercial. There's a really funny commercial. A commercial that you look at in the manga and you would go, this is made for TV. This, this is, is tacky as hell. Yeah. And this, like, and the manga pretty much storyboards it up for you. Oh, come on. We could have gotten, seriously, given how bad we've seen this guy thus far, I really wish we could have gotten that. Yeah. A whole commercial with with, De with Redestro. <laughs> it's right there. Right there. It looks so funny in the manga, even before you know anything about the guy, because it looks so dumb and tacky. Yeah, this is like, 
infomercial you see on like daytime TV. Hello, my name is Ernesto Redestro. Has this ever happened to you? Do you have four arms but can't find a shirt that fits you? Do are you is your body made of jelly but you find you can't find any bread that you can eat? Do you have hair all over your body but find that you can't find the products that you need? Come to Detonrit Industries. We've got everything for you. We've got shampoo. We've got forearm shirts. We've got six arm shirts. We have eight arm shirts. And we have bread of all kind for all those types out there. Can your stomach not carry any regular type of bread? Are you made of jelly? We've got the products for you. So come on down to Detonrit, located at 138th Street <laughs> at Umbra Boulevard. Come on down, or my name's not Ernesto Redestro. Thanks, Redestro. You're the g rated Warning, profits will be used to support metal liberation. Ah, <laughs> uh, what we could have had. Yeah, <laughs> if only. <laughs> Billy Mays Redestro. Yeah, just have him, like, fly his arms at you, just like, Redestro here! Redestro! Redestro! Hercules hooks! <laughs> Mighty putty! <laughs> Uh, you know, I was thinking hard with Ernesto Redestro. That's a, a very catchy pitchman name. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I can see him on a bit of a Mike Jevons infomercialism. <laughs> uh, but yeah, one thing that kind of annoys me about uh, this initial fight between uh, Redestro and Shigaraki is that again, some of the some of the blood and gore gets a, gets cut out a bit of, of it as well. Yeah, because this is nasty right here. Because Redestro is now showing off his uh, full quirk, which is stress. Which is very cool. Uh, put simply, he's the Hulk. Yeah. He can transform his stress into strength, endurance, and energy. And it actually beefs up his body. It actually forms a weird, like, kind of crackle of dark energy around his body. Yeah, I like that. Like, the more stressed he gets, like, these, his skin turns all blotchy and brown and it just starts to manifest over his body it's kind of like uh in the manga it looks almost like pure shadows yeah like it's a, it reminded me a bit of uh homer when he's like repressing his rage and he has like the little bulges that pops up his neck <laughs> it does a number on his hairline apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you can imagine how hard it is going to be fighting a guy who will only get more stressed as the battle goes on and will only get stronger but even when shigaraki is now entering the battle uh, he's finding Redestro is more than a match because in the manga, Redestro actually nails a hit on Shigaraki when he's not fast enough. Yes. And the hit actually takes off the thumb, index finger, and ring finger on his left arm completely. So Shigaraki has lost limbs now. Yep. His left hand, yeah, it's his left hand, right? Yep. It is just his pinky and his ring finger now. And then Redestro catches him by the arm in the air and then starts torturing him by putting pressure on that part of his hand. Yeah. In the anime, he does not lose the fingers. No. That was weird. Because as Redestro is mocking Shigaraki and telling him, Oh, our info has told us that you can only decay when all your fingers are touching something. Hmm, not too hard when I'm holding you by the wrist here and I'm just applying pressure right here. What are you gonna do? <laughs> but... That, and he even tells him, like, you know quirks are tied to, like, your emotional state, right? Like, you, you clearly have not progressed far enough. You've not undergone any kind of awakening here. But then Shigaraki touches his two other fingers to his hand, and he begins to decay some of the energy that's covering Redestro's body. And he realizes this, and he stops the torture and just tosses him to the side. And he realizes, what the hell? Those two fingers were decaying my, my, the energy from my hand. That should not happen. Was our was our information faulty? 
Wait. No. This kid. Is he about to undergo an awakening? Strong emotions can awaken quirks to, the, to another level. Strong traumas can. What is this kid going to turn into? It's a big moment. Mm -hmm. Gets taken away a little bit more when Shigaraki clearly has the other fingers on his hand. <laughs> uh... And so, Shigaraki during this battle is also starting to awaken from memories of his past as well that were hinted at before with his conversation with Dharma Ujiko. Yeah, as he's getting ragdolled around, he just, like, memories of a past life just start popping into his head. Stuff that he's long since repressed, now starting to come to the forefront of his mind. And it's splitting his head in two. And as this battle between Redestro and Shigaraki rages on, this is when we start to learn more about the story behind Tomura Shigaraki, or rather... Tenko Shimura, the young boy who would become one of the world's greatest villains. Shigaraki's backstory. What do you think here? I mean, you might as well just explain it, because it's fucked. Yeah, so, young Tenko Shimura lived with a typical family. You know, he's got a sister, mom, dad, grandparents, dog. Typical suburban life, but uh, he and his father always had, like, a tenuous relationship. Like, his father is, like, just always up in arms about his son not developing a quirk and also Tenko he's been dealing with some health issues like he's just feeling itchy all over like he doesn't know how to stop it all while his dad is just berating him and laying into him because he keeps he keeps bringing up heroes yep and there's no talk of heroes in this household no heroes are not allowed in the Shimura household and then one day Tenko and his little sister sneak into dad's office dig around through stuff and they find a picture of a hero, but not just any hero. Nana Shimura, his grandma, who is also All Might's master. Dad finds out about this through his sister because she told a lie saying that Tenko forced her to do this. And then Tenko gets into big trouble on this. Yeah, his dad just straight up fucking hits him across the face. Yeah. As, as uh, little Tenko Shimura here can only reflect on how he was just betrayed. Mm -hmm. About how, like, no one in his household will actually help him. Yeah, like, as his dad is beating him, like, he just looks in the background and sees his mom, grandparents, and little sister just standing back, not doing a thing to stop this, not intervening, not saying, hey, this is too far, he made a mistake, just like, no. Well, it's not that they agree with him or anything, it's more that, like, it's more that, like, it's, it's that sort of, like, bystander syndrome. That, yeah, like, like, you're powerless to do anything. Yeah, they all feel that they're powerless to do anything about this. Mm -hmm. Like, all they can do is just provide Tenko some comfort after everything is done. Yeah. And even then, they just tell him, they, they essentially all tell him, like, like it'll all be okay. It'll all be okay. Mm -hmm. Like, smile, perk up. Like, like they do they do nothing they to do help They do nothing him. to actually help him. They just keep saying, like, hey, everything will be alright. Just You just gotta grin and bear it. Well, it's it, it shows like the it shows like the iron like grip that like his father had on the family. Mm -hmm. He's the provider. He's like he's the one that gave them everything. They here. can't disagree with him. Yeah. So Tenko, he's out in the backyard. He's really torn up about this. You know, goes to hug his dog, and suddenly his little puppy disintegrates in his hands into a bloody mess. In the manga, it's more like he just cracks and just falls apart. Yep. He doesn't even turn to dust. He, his body just cracks apart and just falls apart into slabs of meat. Tenko rightfully freaked out about this. Then his sister comes out, and it's dark. She can't even see the dead dog. She goes to like, hey, I'm sorry for what I did earlier. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong of me. I was just scared. 
but let, let's let's go back inside. Everything will be all right. And then Tango's all like, no, stand back. Don't touch me. And then, like, she sees the the remains of the dog. She sees Tenko covered in blood, and she freaks out. Tenko reaches out to her, grabs her. She disintegrates. And he thinks it's, like, a villain doing this Yeah, he thinks first. the villain's, like, picking them off. But, but he, then after he touches his sister, but then after, after his sister falls apart, he realizes it's him. And then this is where he just starts to go absolutely berserk. Like, his quirk, this is the moment where Decay fully awakens with inside of him and he has no control of it whatsoever no it's going nuts like it's like a nightmare unfolding like he's just freaking out he's watching his family get disintegrated right before right before his eyes like at one point his mother goes to reach out to him but even she disintegrates even when she tries to help him he just uncontrol out of his own control ends up accidentally disintegrating his mother and his grandparents in front of him and then his father last person to see this rushes towards Tenko. Yeah, well, like, Tenko, he's, like, pleading with his dad, like, please help me. Yeah. And then his father takes a fucking gardening tool and just whacks him across Starts the face. trying to kill him, basically. Or at least, like, knock him knock out him or out something. Stop him. Right. And then this snaps something within Tenko. So then grabs his dad's face, brings him to the ground, decays him. Shigaraki gives us a line where he says, basically, that one was on purpose. Yeah. I intended to kill there. And then the entire estate just crumbles to dust. And the one thing I will give the anime credit for is that uh, at this moment, we see young Tenko over the ruins of his dead family and his home. That's when the title card pops up. But it's not the end of it, though. Because followed immediately, he's homeless. Yep. He, 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 would, walk, he would walk around homeless. And he's still in shock, too. He can't say a word. And like he's just and like he and like his face is just like frozen into like a weird smile. Some adults try to go reach out to help him, but then as soon as they see his face, they go like, "Uh, oh, sorry, I gotta go to work." They're all I scared of him. Maybe a cop or a hero will come and help you. Yeah, they all think like, "Hey, someone else will help you." Like, don't worry. Like, I'm sure someone else would come along to help you. No one does until one day where, in a society that either ignored him or beat him down, one person. Provided that comfort that Tenko longed for. He was here. All for one. And he turns Tenko into the person we know today. Assisted by having him wear the disembodied hands of his dead family. Grabbing onto him and wrapped all around his body so that he will never forget those feelings that he had. And it brings an odd bit of comfort to Shimura It does. As well. it's, it's, it is a safe space for him. Just having all of these hands grabbing onto him it's almost comforting and here we get the origin of the name tomura shigaraki as tomura comes from tomurao which means to mourn or express sorrow over death and shigaraki all for one's last name which makes him family mm. something that shigaraki never felt that he had shigaraki now feels uh the memories are no longer repressed he no. remembers all of it now yep and it's at this point shigaraki actually feels the hands, they're no longer necessary. Doesn't need them anymore. He disintegrates them away. All but for one. <laughs> and then this is where things start to heat up in the battle against Redestro. As uh, at this point, Redestro actually breaks out some armor called Claustro. Claustro, claustrophobia. Well, yeah, like, Redestro is also realizing that Shim Shigaraki having awakened to this power, and also due to his, like, training against Jigenomakia, is also a lot quicker. Uh, you know, in the in the anime, they portray this as uh, Shigaraki 
uh, running circles around him, which looks bad, <laughs> which does not look good. Like this fight is missing a lot of animation flex. Like I was watching this again, and I'm just like, where is it? There should be some wow moment with the anime. Like even if it's not good looking, there should be something. But now with like the shackles like unbound and Shigaraki. Even to have it sporting an almost, like, clearer voice now, too, I noticed. Yeah, like Eric Vale Eric Vail actually, like, gets rid of some of the va- raspiness of his voice. Some of the gravel. And yes, this is actually reflected in the manga, too, because his, his uh, word balloon actually changes after, the, after he reawakens to his powers. Yes, because in the manga, whenever Shigaraki speaks, the text is, like, the font is all very, like, how do I, how do I describe it? Like, very, like, jagged and scraggly. Well, it becomes, cl- yeah, it becomes clearer. clearer. It becomes more cleaned up. Yep. As if, as if, like, his mind is now clear, mm-hmm. and his cause is well-defined. Yeah, Retestro is realizing that, like, this guy is actually a much more serious threat than he initially, like, realized. And he's trying to push his stress output to, like, the absolute max as far as it can go. And he's realizing, like, come on, I'm trying to put all my fear into this, all of my anger, like, anything into this, to try and defeat this kid. And he's realizing, but wait, why is my anger and stress actually going away as yeah. I look at this kid? As I look at his sheer determination, as he tells me straight to my face that he's not going to create anything, that he's only going to destroy the world, what is welling up inside me? So he activates this, like, Hulkbuster armor? Yeah, it's like a bit of the Hulkbuster crossed with Gutsman. <laughs> kind of. It's like an armor that forms around his body called Claustro. And it, I guess the purpose of it is that it, like... It puts you, like, in a it, tight space that causes more and more stress to build up. In the anime, it also shows, like, almost, like, rivets going into the body to, like, almost hurt him as well. Yeah, to, like, like, drive he, his stress up to, like, 150%. You know, build up the fear of being crushed. Right, right. Something like that. I mean, I don't know if he's actually claustrophobic, but I think it's just... It could also be that it just, just like... Of, just it encloses high- on his body and puts, like, physical stress yeah, on Yeah, putting, him. like, pain on him. Right. And so he's trying to jack up his power as much as he can. This 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 armor looks incredible in the in the manga. Looks like ass in the anime. <laughs> <laughs> it does not form well around his body. It looks very smooth in the manga. Oh yeah. Like something that like Iron Man would actually have that would actually manifest around him. Looks like shit in the anime. <laughs> but now Tomura Shigaraki with nothing else holding him back. Uh <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> He shows just how useless Redestro and all of his ideology is before before one single hand, one single motion. So Shigaraki completely decimates Deka City. His quirk is awakened to what it once was before. Anything he touches, including anything connected to it, now disintegrates. And he covers a much wider area than before now. He then proceeds to destroy the entire city disintegrates it all even as he's do- as he's doing it his arm is like being like stressed from like all the power he's outputting his hair turns white <laughs> and yet he's like and yet he's reminded of like the words that all for one once told him once you learn to like combine your anger and like your destruction your anger and your happiness will you finally tr- find true freedom and and shigaraki finally acquiring this just like laughs uncontrollably <laughs> as he just destroys all of Dega City. And everyone around the city, including, like, League and MLA combined, are just trying to escape the destruction. <laughs> and Redestro, he's he's immediately getting hit by the d- disintegration, and he even just ejects out of his armor as he just put it on, and is trying to fly away from the destruction. 
and he just barely manages to get away from it. Yeah. And the dust settles, and it's just... There's just nothing. The entirety of Deka City is leveled, and I like the bit where Shigaraki approaches Redestro, like, what remains of him, and we see that uh, he chopped off his own legs to avoid touching the ground that was decaying beneath him. Ugh. And then Shigaraki limps up to him and just says, Oh yeah, what were we fighting about again? (laughs) Oh yeah, it's because you dared to mess with us. (laughs) And so... Trumpet finally brings his, like, contingents, his contingent over to the battleground. And he sees Redestro there. And he tries to incite the crowd against Shigaraki. But one glare from Shigaraki sends them all, like, freezes all of them in place. Kind of uses a conqueror's hockey right here. And we didn't bring this up before, but Gigantamachia has arrived, too. Oh, yeah, he arrived right in the middle of this fight, and he was causing, like... Mass destruction on Deka City, like just going ape on all of these uh, Metal Liberation Army members. But he's finally gotten here, he, and he's he behold this, and he's beholding the, and he's in awe of the destruction that was wreaked, like just completely blown away. And he's frozen <laughs> for the first time in his life, not since like one, not since his master before. And Redestro finally claims defeat. He gracefully admits defeat. Shigaraki calls ball game, and Redestro is like, "I quit. You win." Because he fi- because as he says here, Tomura Shigaraki, he achieved like liberation unlike anything he could have ever seen before. He is the embodiment of Destro's ideology. Destro, he was gonna destroy all of society. He was gonna he was he was gonna do that. Shigaraki can do that now. <laughs> Redestro declares that he. And the Metal Liberation Army will now answer to him. And at the same time, Gigantomachia acknowledges Shigaraki as All for One's successor. You don't know how much I loved this fucking moment in the manga. Ooh, that was uh, probably one of the greatest victories I've seen. I was waiting so long for the ball to drop in, in for the League of Villains. I was thinking, like, man, they're so small, they're so depowered, like... How are they going to be a credible threat in the future? <laughs> Shigaraki now has an army of like a hundred thousand soldiers <laughs> at his command, and one giant mountain of a man. He won all of this in like awakened to brand new powers and like destroyed his own past. And he did this portion of this whole arc. He did all this in less than a day. The ball dropped and went through the ground for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh my Actually, god! Even less than less than a day. He did this in less than two hours. This was one of the mo- this, this. I was. I had never felt satisfaction like this reading My Hero Academia until now. This. This was the watermark. <laughs> it, it was the watermark for a great crashing wave. And what does Shigaraki end this all off on? <laughs> he thinks back to a scene that was not shown before in the anime, but was in the manga that I mentioned before, where Mister Compress was remarking about. You know, we sh- we could have been eating sushi right now if we like played our cards right. And Shigaraki says, "Hey, you're a CEO of a company, right? You got any money?" <laughs> Cut to after the battle, uh, like Deku and like in the narrator in the manga, you know, recounts about how the story was spun. How was the Deka City story spun? Thanks to Skeptic using his IT company to spin the story in the media. Uh, it was explained that uh, in Dega City, 
the way they spun the story is that a group of villains came to attack the city and that the citizens rose up with their with their That's support right. items pro- provided by Detnerat and were engaging the villains and the hero and like even though like 20 heroes arrived like they all got like killed in the conflict and stuff and were considered like martyrs to the cause or something no one will ever hear about them They'll, their names will be buried so it really looks like a story of like uh, a town that was assaulted by villains and was protected by the citizens. Oh yeah, and uh, the the heads of two major companies were also there. One died. One got his legs cut off. <laughs> but hey, the citizens came up and overcame it. And even though the media and all the cities will say that like this was a bad thing because they they took the law into their own things, people are praising those people now as heroes. Those anonymous people. Score one for like liberation. Yep. A chink in the armor for the hero society right here. And who, after all the conflict, is eating sushi in a big mansion? But the Leaguey Weegee, they got their sushi. Uh, well, uh, w- that must have been the greatest tasting sushi ever. They must have savored that every single bite. And yeah, otherwise all they got out of the battle was what was uh, twice, two broken arms, Toga, a missing eye, and Shigaraki, one broken leg, and uh, he should be missing three fingers. Still. Yeah. Kind of got like a prosthetic or something. Mm, bit of an Anakin Skywalker hand. Yes. But uh, yeah, the League is kind of recuperating here, and like otherwise they're still fine. They came out ahead, man. They came out ahead. They're be- And then they're being called into a big meeting by Skeptic and Trumpet, who are not too pleased <laughs> that they now have to call these like delinquents equals. Yeah, they're... They're now reduced to lackeys to these guys now. But Trumpet just says, hey, Redestro's will is Destro's will, so in we'll the, follow them. Hey, if, if they win, we win, so let's just put up with this. And a big announcement is made to the entire Liberation, to all of Liberation. As the Weegee Weegee, they go from being a ragtag group of six baddies, some more but they're either in jail or dead, to now being a powerful army with hundreds of of thousands of followers all across Japan and at the and it's at this moment where we say goodbye to the League of Villains and hello to the Paranormal Liberation Front. You know, I just play this whole clip, yeah. yeah. Oh hell yeah, it's spicy. I believe without a doubt that the League was an obstacle until I faced them. I had blinders on, but now I have seen the light. A new dawn is ahead of us. I was a prisoner of my blood, unable to break free from what I've been taught. But then I witness real liberation. This is not me surrendering, my friends. It's me doing what's best for our cause. Tomura Shigaraki is truly free. He filled me with awe, which necessitated my abdication. From this moment, the Liberation Army recognizes Tomura Shigaraki as Grand Commander. As we move toward freedom and strive for Destro's world, the Metahuman Liberation Army and the League of Villains unite under a new name. The idea came from myself and Spinner from the Leaf. Now, the name please, Tomura Shigaraki! The Paranormal Liberation Front. We got rid of the term villain and expanded on the whole meta angle to be a little more inclusive. The nine people on stage are my lieutenants. Teams will be assigned to them based on our needs. Anyway, The name's the same as this hand. A decoration. (laughs) We'll do what we want. 
Excellent work today, Grand Commander. Can I interest you in something to drink? Go. With pleasure! Trumpet, we're leaving! How painful. I hate seeing him like this. Whoa. He took so much damage, it's a miracle he's still alive. The Paranormal Liberation Front. That's what I call a flashy name. Well, I guess it's better than something tacky like the League of Villains. Machia, listen to me. I played your damn game, and I think I reached that minimum level you were talking about. Yes. Your memory is back, and you've returned to your original self, Quirk included. So as I promised, I will grant you power. If you're sure that's what you want. My one criticism of this, Paranormal Liberation Front doesn't really roll off the tongue too well. Not really. Like, I mean, they explained it that they wanted to uh, move away from the whole League of Villains thing, kind of like, not because that sounds very evil, So, and uh, Paranormal Liberation Front is a bit more inclusive. I mean, if you want to blame anyone, I guess uh, blame uh, Redestro and Spinner, because apparently they were the ones who came up with the name. Should have workshopped that a bit. <laughs> have a few more all-nighters. Paranormal? It sounds like they're involved with ghosts. Are they, or are they aliens or something? No, paranormal as in, like, they're all abnormal people. Abnormal, yeah. Right, so. I think they could have maybe kept the army in there, Paranormal Liberation Army. Yeah. Then again, a front. Mm. Front sounds a bit more... Like they're going to encroach on the society. Yeah, and it sounds a, it sounds more high class than an army. Sounds more inevitable. Like a front is coming. Like you can't mm -hmm. stop it. Yeah. An army? We all know we're an army. Oh yeah, we, we know what armies is. But a front? Ooh, that seems pretty... It seems more than that. I've still been rolling with it, though. Oh yeah, I've, I've got <laughs> I dig it. it. Another way you can interpret it, interpret it too, it's just the League of League of Villains under a new name. Yeah, it's a rebranding opportunity. Mm -hmm. Because the some of the heroes, I think later on, even still refer to them as the League of Villains on occasion. Yeah, they don't. Uh, no one realizes that they changed their name. Well, they, well, they still use Paranormal Liberation Frontier in there, but it's like I, I could have sworn it's like mixed later on. Yeah, maybe some some characters are a little too used to saying. Unless they, villains. unless when they use League of League of Villains, they're actually referring to the original core members. Ah, yeah, maybe then that could be possible. Mm -hmm. But nope, they are the Paranormal Liberation Front from now on, <laughs> and the former League of Villains and all of the remaining members of the former Meta Liberation Army are its new lieutenants. And with this rebranding. It is with great sadness that I must say the time has finally come. After almost four years, nine My Hero Academia podcasts, we must now say goodbye to the affectionate nickname I gave my favorite group of baddies here. From this moment on, Leaky Weegee is officially retired. Are you going to give them a new name to honor this 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 per, this new name this new paradigm for them? Uh, I'm going to have to, but uh, the issue is I can't think of something funny and cute to come out of Paranormal Liberation Front. Like yeah, that's the thing. It's it's not playful. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe pilfers, PLFers, paranormies, <laughs> paranormies, <laughs> Libby Wibbies, Liberation Nation. Li Libby Wibbies sound. It sounds like it sounds like a term for libertarians yeah uh, uh maybe libertarians could be another one I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no come on yeah they deserve more respect than libertarians <laughs> yeah but yeah you out there feel free to send me ideas as i need to come up with a new nickname before we do season six for for the record i like paranormies the more i think about it i'm kind of leaning towards that yeah i I'll, I'll say right now i like that one okay 
But go with whatever's in your heart. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But Shigaraki says, do whatever you want. Do what, do what makes you feel free. Mm-hmm. If it feels good, do it. Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. imagine Shigaraki shotgunning ready. Shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can now. They have the money. Yeah, they can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, Leaky Weaky, a term that I stole from a random episode of OSW Review that was probably about something else I can't remember, that I co-opted for the League of Villains. Yep, it's gone now. Uh, I'm doing to it what Shawn Michaels did to Ric Flair. I said, I'm sorry, I love you, and then delivered a gut-wrenching super kick to it. Yeah, now you'll have to come up now you'll have to come up with something original. Yeah. <laughs> so, you out there, pour one out for Leaky Weaky. It's <laughs> it's retired now. Leave the memories alone. Goodbye. Funny how that's such a hard thing to say. Now it's time to let go, but never thought I'd feel this way. Promise not to be sad, but we both knew I was lying. Gotta fight back the tears, cause can't let you see me crying. You're more than just my best friend. What makes me misty most of all? In our final curtain call Is knowing that I won't see you Again Who is in the audience for all this but Hawks? Yep. And oh, now all the Hawks stuff now before it becomes relevant. Now we can talk about the Hawks stuff and oh, all these meetings. Yeah. Now it all makes sense. Oh, Hawks has been spying for the, for the Hero Association. Yep, gathering up any intel on the League, or rather the uh, PLF now, and realizes that uh, they are building an army, and then he passes a message message on to Endeavor that within four months, that army is going to strike, and everyone, everyone in the Hero Society needs to be ready to strike before they strike. Because Shigaraki is just a ticking time bomb at this point. Yep, as right now he is undergoing experiments from the Doctor, which will... Power him up to the point where he can surpass all for one. Yes, because uh, that one extra big gift that Daruma Ujiko is going to give him, it was going to be an extra edge that will really put Shigaraki in a league of his own. <laughs> <laughs> Shigaraki is saying like I'm. Well, he basically just says I'm not like like I'm gonna quite like I'm not gonna underestimate heroes anymore. Like which he yeah he's underestimated heroes before. <laughs> well, he says he's not gonna do that anymore. So. If the Doctor has any new power to give him, he'll take any new power he can get. If like if it'll if it'll mean that he can crush hero like hero society, all the bet like then all the better. And well, it looks like this is going to involve four months of painful surgery. Yeah. But apparently, according to the Doctor, once it's all done, Shigaraki will have enough power to completely like outclass one for all. And maybe even claim it too. Mm-hmm. An interesting little part of the plan that was left over from All for One, apparently. Very disturbing thoughts. Very. Seems like there's something more to wanting to soup up Shigaraki right here. Right, right. Like, there's something more to this plan going on here. Mm -hmm. But, whatever it will be, we'll have to await four months. In the time leading up to those four months, we kind of rejoin back with uh, everyone back at UA. And, you know, we find we see, hear about some little moments, such as, you know, Mirio and Amajiki talking about how Aerie's horn has been acting up, so maybe 
the time could be coming that he, she can use her quirk again. So we're going to be sitting on that for a little bit. And All Might even having a meeting with Deku and Bakugo as he's gathered up as much info as he can on the past users of uh, One for All. And it looks like uh, there's a bit of an order to like what the powers he's Deku is going to get. And apparently the next power he will get is uh, Nanashimura's float ability. Which, hey, we know someone who can uh, teach Deku how to use that. Hmm, not bad. But everything's right as rain right now. 1A is uh, celebrating the upcoming new school term. And this is where the good times end. Well, technically it ended at Christmas, but w whatever. This was the last happy moment of their lives. Yeah. <laughs> as uh, three months pass, heroes and students are summoned for a joint operation at a certain hospital. Hero society is about to be changed forever as war were declared. <laughs> Curtain down. Final thoughts on season five. Uh, my least liked season of My Hero Academia thus far. Yeah. Yeah, this, you gotta understand, I was so looking forward to the Metal Liberation Army arc. I was hyped like no other. As soon as, when I heard season five was coming, as soon as I did the math on like, okay, how much can they cover? And then I saw like, oh, oh, that arc is, could be in this batch right here. This is gonna be good. Like everything else up to this point has been very good. And it was not good. Yep, the the episode numbers just, like, ticked further and on and on and on. And we skipped some stuff. We were like, wait, are we going to get back to the thing? And then, and then what did we get in the end? Lackluster animation, just, like, heavily condensed, way too heavily condensed uh, episodes. Yeah, five and, a half, five and a half episodes. Five chapters to one episode. Four for another one. Way too much, way too much plot compressed into one five and a half episode arc and less than an episode given to like certain fights i know like there there was there was nothing special to that like final fight between shigaraki and redestro yeah and like my hero academia the anime is known for really going all out like with their big fights like they always bring out the sakuga the animation flex like it's become known to them there was nothing special about that in the no final there fight. was like, there's, there wasn't even At any... times it looked awful, too. It there... just looked very bad. There wasn't even any mid-Sakuga here. Like, there was no good, like, fluid, smooth, like, realistic actions taken upon the characters. They just all moved in very abnormal ways, and just... I, rem I recall, like, one cycle of animation where, like, Shigaraki is just being flipped through the air. And I had a moment where I was like, what am I even watching now? <laughs> How is it this bad? <laughs> I especially... This arc didn't... And, and, you know, I think a lot of people did not give this arc enough guff when it ori originally came no, out. No, I'm surprised there wasn't more outrage. Like, more people were outraged at Endeavor just because of its story contents, which wasn't bad. It was good. It made sense for his character. Give out about this lackluster effort for one of the greatest arcs in the manga. It's like, what this, what's this, like, Daenerys Targaryen, like, bullshit you're pulling with, like, Endeavor? He's a fictional character. Yeah. He's not a real person. Nothing he believes in reflects on real people. This is a character going through an arc. Yeah. like it's Fictional characters are not real, nor do they influence your, like, personal politics or anything. And it's okay to not like a character. But that's like, the point. Yeah, that's the story. They're telling. <laughs> Have you heard of storytelling? Hello? Wake up, McFly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there should have been more outrage for how bad the MLA arc looks. Yeah, I should have been on Twitter trying to calm people down. Uh, 
people should have been like calling out how badly it was being compressed how like how like ass the animation looked in part or was the outrage towards like the opening of the entire arc being cut out yeah with two filler episodes before yeah just <laughs> jesus christ because <sighs> like overall with the season like 1a 1b joint training very nice, very fun. Yeah, that was solid. You solid, know? yeah, solid first half of the series to the season. To the season, you know, and like, if we got my villain academia to follow that up, it would have like, you know, a good like two halves of a season right there. The way they just kind of like, you had the nice one, now you had the real serious one. It, it sounds well. natural, doesn't it? We all thought that's what was gonna happen because it. That all... was the easy way. Because that's how they did every single arc beforehand. But no, we just had to get Endeavor's story content in there. We just had to get all of that in there. You couldn't save that for season six because you wanted to end the season off with a bang, but you didn't even end off with a bang. We had to have two filler episodes that took up our, like the already valuable time. Yeah, like I love the My Hero Girls as much as the, as much as the next person, but I didn't need that. And the higher ups over at Bones are probably like, oh, but then we got to start the season off with like Endeavor, but everyone wants to get to the war. Who cares? Everyone's gonna love it either way. Yeah, and it's like. It worked, it worked that way in the manga, and everyone was fine with that there. I'm sure they'll be fine with that in the anime. But they're all worried about, like, seasons and what, what it will look like, you know, on, like, a box art cover, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which they also kind of screwed up, too, because they didn't, like, give the proper showcase for My Villain Academia with, like, its own opening or, like, its own different anime aspects with that. Again, we can speculate till the cows come home on, like, all the ways this could have looked better, on how it all could have been, like on how it could have been, you know, but this is what we got in the end. Yeah. And this is it. We will never get another adaption like this. No. Never. They had one shot at doing the Metal Liberation Army arc, and they blew it. They completely flubbed it. And like we said... You know, it's like, it's like I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. I am, I am very disappointed. I am very, very disappointed. Because... I still love the My Hero Academia anime. I still love what Bones has done for the series. But it's like... You you failed. You blew it here. Yeah, on this one, you messed up. Like, you guys had a clear, straight shot to the end zone, and you fumbled at the one-yard line. No, you didn't even fumble at the one-yard line. You fumbled at the 20-yard line. <sighs> you know, I imagine to some people online, we could end up just sounding like fanboys yeah and i don't want to stress that because regardless of the yeah i don't want us to come across like that yeah because regardless of how the anime feels like i know the anime industry isn't great it isn't it turns out animators and it treats them like dog shit yeah and i'm and i would certainly hope and i genuinely do believe that some of the animators working on this probably felt this wasn't their best work and that they weren't being used to the best of their abilities i could believe that i could definitely believe that yeah because like because not every, because not everyone working on a production production will be uniform in like the decisions. Yeah, and like some animation staff that has been with the series throughout those first four seasons, like we've seen what they can do. It could feel stifling that you couldn't bring that to one of the greatest arcs in the manga, which has led to like some, which has led to like some speculation that maybe like the concurrent work on like the film maybe could have influenced that, which. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, it maybe, maybe not. Like, I, mean, I don't want to speculate on it. I mean, Heroes Rising, people also speculated that Heroes Rising did have a bit of an effect on Season 4 as well. And, yeah, Season 4 did have some hiccups here and there, but at the same time, it was still really good. 
And they still put out like a pretty quality product in the end. Yeah, they gave us a big bang finale with Deku fighting Overhaul. Where was that with Shigaraki and Redestro? You know, I imagine, but I could also see like some maybe um, anime watchers, like maybe like an anime only watcher who will watch this and will just be completely fine with it too. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe to some people out there, they look at like how well the Class 1B arc went and they went and they look at how well Endeavor went along, you know. Maybe, maybe they wouldn't think twice about this arc. And maybe there were people who have read the manga, who were watching that arc, who were just happy to see it animated. Maybe. You know, as much as you can call that animation. To those people, I would just say, go back, and if you haven't yet, just go and read this actual arc. The Metal Liberation Army arc. It's on the Shonen Jump app. You go go there and look at how immaculate it looks. The glorious carnage that it wrought. Just beautiful, beautiful destruction, and just, like, some of the best bits of character development I've seen that makes you go, yeah, hell yeah, but then makes you go, oh, fuck, because these are villains. Like, they subvert the whole shonen power-up trope perfectly. Let me put it like this. Have you been hearing us this whole time talk about a spectacular, like, the violence and carnage was, all the destruction... We sound a little bit like Redestro, don't we? <laughs> we sound a little bit like Spinner, huh? A little bit. That's just the magic of this arc and like the effect it has on you. It weirdly helps. It weirdly makes you see the beauty and all the carnage that the League is re is wreaking across the world. It's like you can't help but root for them. And it almost makes you feel bad for enjoying it too. Yeah, like I remember when I first finished that arc while reading it, I kind of felt dirty rooting for these guys, as much as I love them. But I shouldn't love them, because they're big heels who have killed and will kill. I think the beauty of this arc is that it may, is that it's a great example of sympathy for the villain, you know? It's very much how I feel watching AEW nowadays, seeing Maxwell Jacob Friedman as world champion. Like, he's a bastard, but I feel like he deserves it. It is, like, un like unimaginable, bloody, bloody glorious time this arc is it is weirdly come around to the to like the fucked up philosophy it comes down to that there is some kind of beauty to what shigaraki is wreaking upon the world it almost brings out an inner primal nature within you that you just want to see the want destruction and you don't want to look at it but you have to you have to stare the you have to stare the abyss it's in like the a eyes. car crash it's like a train running over a truck <laughs> you just gotta look at it but i guess we gotta look at like the season overall as a whole um yeah, still as as disappointing it was, still had some good uh, class one B stuff in it, you know. Still had uh, some good, you know, still did a good adaptation of like the Endeavor arc, but man, this is one of those seasons where like the final stretch is so poor that it kind of brings down the rest of it. Yeah, I I know I brought up Daenerys before, but like. I don't want to compare this to, like, a final season from Game of Thrones. No, this is far from that bad. No, it's far from that, but I wanted to think that. <laughs> and that's already bad enough. Yeah, that's bad enough. Because this this all... There's beauty in all of this. There's, there's something truly wonderful about this arc that needs to be experienced. And, like, don't take our negative reactions to the anime as meaning that my hero is now bad. Like I said before, far from it. It's still very good. You are not wasting your time if you keep going with My Hero, even if you are an anime-only watcher. But just maybe check out the manga on the side. So please, whether you so you please whether you were disappointed with like the final arc of the season, or whether you were, or whether you even still liked it, 
please, like, actually go read this arc, because it is something altogether different in the manga. It's... It's... It's darkly beautiful. Thank you all for listening to a podcast that went longer than I thought it would, because we are now sitting at over four hours. Whoo, boy. We had a lot to say about my villain academia. Then again, well, I was also very passionate about, like, that last arc. Oh, too. yeah. Both of us were. Yeah. Like, it's I our, mean, fa- our favorite arc. It's, yeah, it's my favorite arc of this whole series. And sadly, I have to now say, this was the last time I was truly, like, this hyped for My Hero Academia. I'm following season six through the dub on Toonami, and at this point we're only two episodes in, so I'm willing to give that the benefit of the doubt. But the thing is, even when I was reading the manga after this point, some things kind of just didn't feel right ever since then. That too. Because now, going to the future, Morikoshi will officially be going into his endgame, and, well, I'm gonna let all you listeners out there uh, come to your own decision about it, but, um more flaw but in my person in my professional opinion still more flaws to come good moments mixed okay. in great moments still to come in my hero academia but the sloppier moments are just all the more noticeable to me now yeah i mean i will say the good outweighs the bad but the bad is much more noticeable than before it is it absolutely is. Like before, and we and we we may and we we, we may encounter some of that in season six as well. Because even we even when we go to the next arc, I began to feel some of that as well. Mm. It, but it, it didn't. Maybe it became a lot clearer down the line. But like, <laughs> uh, Shigaraki's working that that decay quirk of his is now extending to the entire series in a meta sense. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's all starting. It's some of the cracks are starting to show. It's starting to go beyond like the uh, the borders of each panel until it reaches our own hands, and then we start decaying. Oh no, it's <laughs> happening! <laughs> but I will leave uh, I will leave all of you all of you dear listeners to find that out for yourselves and come to your own conclusions. And also, how do you all feel about the big war in Naruto? That may affect your feelings on what's coming next. Whew, you, you make a good point. <laughs> Keep that in mind, dear listeners. Mm-hmm. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shiota on the gram. Where can we find you, buddy? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and Wolfish Grin on Tumblr. And follow Anime Baby on Twitter at Anime underscore Baby. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. I don't know if this will be out of date in the future, but I'm just still saying it. Yeah, who knows? Twitter could completely collapse within that time. You know, maybe Elon Musk would do his own decay on the entire social media. <laughs> uh, do do not endear that man. No, please. No, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> Apology accepted. <laughs> One place that won't go away is uh, you can follow the show at animebebe.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You cannot stop the broadcast! <laughs> And also, uh, at the time of this recording, we should already have our anime Secret Santas out. Uh, check those out. I did mine on Masaki Iwasa's Lou Over the Wall. Yes, and check out mine on uh, whatever I decide to choose in the end. Mm-hmm. I actually still have not chosen by this point. Yeah, They're all short works, but it's like, but it's like, what short work do I want to dedicate the most of my time to? That's why I still need to decide on. But uh, you folks at home, you should, uh, you should already know about this. And like, hey, weren't they great? Didn't you like what we had to say about those things didn't i make such good concise well-researched art well-researched arguments hopefully hopefully i hopefully i 
entertained and informed you about Misaki Wasa's work? I mean, I have a reputation I need to make first before I can maintain. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, next time you'll hear from us, it'll be our first episode of 2023. And we'll be kicking off the year with a doozy. A series so fearsome, so terrible, so mind-bendingly large that those of you with weak constitution may want to turn off the podcast. I gotta get out of here! Too late! Ready or not, here it comes. Quake and fear, you mortal fools, as the show we'll be covering in our next episode will be... Kept a secret until after we recorded to ha fuck you! <laughs> Sorry. We can't give up all our secrets just yet. It's like, no, we usually like to reveal what we're doing next, but for this next one, I want to keep, uh, want to keep my cards close to my, to my hand right here. I don't want to reveal this. I'll, I will say this now, this is going to be one of those ripping the band-aid off kind of podcasts. Like, we don't want to do this, but we're just doing it so we never, ever have to worry about it again. And this will be an episode that'll either amuse you or piss you off, depending on how you feel about the series in question. So, look forward to that. And look forward to many, many more great things coming in the new year, as uh, after that episode, we'll be, we'll then be hitting big episode 50. And uh, I already got plans in place for uh, that one right there, and I think this should be a fun one. And I also may or may not be working on a side project, a little personal project, who knows. Uh-huh. And also you may hear me doing some guest spots on some other podcasts here and there next year. Yeah, we do got plans of our own, so keep an eye out for those folks. Yeah, but hey, here's to 2023. Yep, here's to the new year as it comes up. And happy holidays to all of you as well, listening. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Winter Solstice, Happy Sunday, or whatever day you listen to this. We all wish you a very Merry Holidays. And until next time, be good to yourself and others. And this has been... Anime, baby! Go beyond Plus Ultra! I'm only here to figure out what I can't do. That's the real question. <laughs> Heck of an ego on that one. Shut your mouth! Why are you even hanging around anyway? Oh, me? I'm on standby, honey.